listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Wrestling, bringing you great wrestling action, sanctioned by the NWA, National Wrestling Alliance. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the superstars on the Superstation. Welcome to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Hello, everybody. We've got a new avenue for you this week. That's right. We're flipping the dial to TBS we're going to Atlanta, Ted Turner Town. Take a look at World Championship Wrestling, the premier show for the NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions. And I think Jeff put it best earlier this week to me. It's, this is our version of not growing up NWA. Yep, that's right. I'll probably put that in the title. They were the mysterious third league, you know, that had equal status to AWA and WWF, but was wily and elusive until we could finally track it down. That's right. And find out how amazing it is. Oh. And maybe probably even could be the best uh, of the three. But it's hard uh, yeah, to say. I, I think that it, it's age specific as far as our our experience because we couldn't watch it in real time and when i finally did get access to videotapes to rent them i'm going to say that that's a very different experience because without watching the syndicated program you don't get the true feeling of what jim crockett promotions was all about which is this like monster promo you know league basically like all of the matches were built around the idea of like what people were talking about before and after them and quite often during the matches somebody else would be on the microphone with the commentators you know so like it was just this real big build-up of everything and they were real masters at building each other's up like you know the heels and the baby faces they would you know they wouldn't just come out and tell you what a wimp somebody was and how they were going to beat them up they would tell you how great they were right. so that when they beat them up it meant something lay out for our listeners the plan for the for this episode yeah so when i looked at uh you know things we wanted to do i was looking for tv specials and of course i was aware of the superstars on the superstation which you know as far as i know is the first special tv event for tbs as far as jim crockett promotion goes so i thought okay let's do something there and then as far as like what we were going to look at I just pulled a few of the... By the way, TBS means S-O-L for me because I didn't have that yeah. shit. So Turner uh, Broadcasting Systems. Yeah, and, you know? and uh, shit out of luck, which should be <laughs> S-O-O-L. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is I didn't get to see any of this stuff. Like, well, and neither did I. Like, we didn't have, as far as I'm aware, I remember getting TBS on our cable package in 1990. My t- my house was pretty big into TV, and we had lots of channels, so I- I'm pretty sure if it was available earlier than that, we would have had it, mm. because we seemed to kind of get all that stuff. So m- someone might be able to correct me, and maybe it was available in 89 or 88, but I didn't see it till 90. I didn't see TBS until uh, in like 1990, a member of the winter of 1990. I was down in the States on a trip to Florida with my, my family, and we were at the hotel getting ready to go for dinner, and all of a sudden, you know, some Andy Griffin rerun or whatever it is that's playing goes to commercial. 
And it was like, you know, all of a sudden the commercial comes up for World Championship Wrestling, you know, starting in like, you know, 40 minutes or whatever, a two-hour broadcast. And I was like, ah, I actually convinced my parents to leave me at the hotel. They ordered a pizza for me so I could stay back and watch wrestling because it was just, it was that, you know, special. Yeah, you had great parents. (laughs) I have great parents. Yes, yes. So... I did not have access to this stuff. And we were, Jeff says, we've, as you know, we've been watching AWA, definitely watching WWF. And I think we'll see as we go through anything with the NWA and Jim Crockett promotions is that it was definitely geared to a more mature audience. It was definitely, you know, more violent, more gritty. You know, the <laughs> Flair's talking about inviting the woman back to his hotel after the, after the show. Right. So, you, and as far as the housekeeping goes, we are in 85 at the moment in our 80, w- 86. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. We just, yeah, that's right. We covered the New Year's that's and then right. early 86. So, but this TBS stuff, are we going to 85 or we're doing 86? This is, this is going to be January of 86 and the, sh- okay. and the, the, the card, the special is the beginning of February. Okay. Yeah. So I did get some glimpses of Ric Flair. Uh, 15 plus something. So I, I, I really don't know how I got exposed to the NWA. <laughs> Heli- the helicopter, <laughs> Ric Flair, would, right. yeah. he would just fling his schlong around and say, hey, look, the helicopter was one of his famous party tricks. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that was probably, you know, like the drunken airplane ride. Yeah, like, yeah, of you know. Anyway, so I knew him Really, after I was very well aware of the AWA, and then we got our hands on the WWF, but then there was this other thing going on that yeah. I think I first saw Ric Flair in a, against a jobber. And right, it yeah. was funny because the jobber looked a lot like him hairstyle-wise, <laughs> and he had blonde hair, but Flair had the, you know, kind of the platinum white. That's right, yeah, yeah. You know, the white hair. Yeah. and But um, not old man hair, just no, like no, no. really kind of cool, unique look. The way he carried himself was so different from anybody in the AWA. And, Absolutely. And he was no Hogan, he was a heel, but with this... Oh man, the the, the, the cocky showman, the and- confidence, the arrogance, you know. And one, I have this image in mind of Ric Flair with in in full seventies clothes, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he's got an ice cream cone in each hand and a lady on each arm. <laughs> And, you know, his hair looks like, this looks to me like this is the Barry Gibb of professional wrestling, like a really handsome, charismatic guy. Like I was, I remember thinking like if I was a grown up, I kind of wanted to look like this more than I felt that way about Hogan because he was like more like the guy you wanted to have your back. But, you know, I didn't necessarily want to be Hogan. I wanted to be a bit like Barry Gibb and, you know, other parts of of culture, not just. That's right. Yeah. So Ric Flair captured that, that charisma in a different way from Hogan. Hogan, especially as a heel. So it, it, I saw him against some jobber he dispatched, but it was neat because they kind of looked like each other. But by the time the match was done, I knew who the star <laughs> was. Right. Yeah. And then I got to see Flair versus Brody on TV somehow. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And I was just like mesmerized because I was already a big fan of wrestling. Mm-hmm. So my first then like to see like how I don't even know how it happened, but suddenly I'm watching a match of it was after seeing Ric Flair versus the golden haired jobber. And a week or two later, I, I I was, on, I was on to something and, and, and I saw Brody versus Flair and I was like, wow, this is as good as anything. Yeah, I, I think that our our real exposure to Flair would have come through magazines initially and the whole NWA and Jim Crocker. Like, Jim Crocker promotions wasn't a thing I was even aware of until I was an older adult because even when I rented those tapes and I'm sure the credits rolled and at some point the words Jim Crocker promotions rolled across the screen, but I don't know, it didn't It didn't hit, you know, like I didn't care who the production company was. I, I didn't get it, you know, like yeah. I just cared about those letters, N 
W A. Yes. I feel like I saw something similar to Grunt or Body Slam or something <laughs> where where Flair didn't have any lines, but there was, you know, at the same time, our memories being so bad, it could have been, you know, Playboy Buddy Rose doing his best <laughs> Flair get up. You know what I mean? Like I have these really kitschy memories of just sort of vistas, you know, images of a Flair type of guy. That's right. Yeah. But I definitely, the other ones are, are hard memories. Like I knew that I was watching Ric Flair wrestle. I knew who he was, but the first time I got right. to see him wrestle were, were those two experiences. But yes, the wrestling magazines is how I realized that there was a third guy and it wasn't, right, Nick, it yeah. wasn't Rick Martel, Nick Bockwinkle, our gritty athletic AWA. And it wasn't Hulk Hogan. Where Hulk, where he left us at the, you know, right. to go to WWF, where it was a much more cartoon and sort of like more to our tastes, if you will. Even though we already liked gritty adult professional wrestling, yeah, this now was like silly and aimed at us a bit more. And well, it's kind of like in a way, it was sort of like the NWA. Maybe maybe this is a way to put it would be sort of like the WWF and AWA rolled together with like a third ingredient. You know, like yeah. it was sort of like the the serious. Studio wrestling, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, pr- pr- presentation, some of the sort of uh, entertainment style, but but a, but like a violent, like, you know, like yeah. a, an adult version yeah. of the WWF. Yeah, it, it was had the best of both leagues. Yeah, and their characters didn't have to be silly. They, you know, they had their names and they had costumes and stuff, but I mean, it wasn't... It was more about like the action in the ring. Like we're 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 real wrestlers was sort of their you know motto. Here's another way: the WWF got so cringy so often in a way that the NWA didn't really. Not in this era. No. Yeah. Like for the most part, NWA Jim Crockett Promotions, their problems were mostly behind the scenes, like things that you as a fan wouldn't know about, like them not yeah. doing a good job with their books, and you know them yeah. you know bad bad on the expenses or whatever it is, not marketing themselves properly, you know printing tickets. You know I, I've read this so many times, different ones are like, you know they would sell a big show and then the tick the printed ticket time would be like an hour or two after the real start time, so like there'd be nobody there mm-hmm. and the, the show would be almost over, and that's when the crowd shows up, you know, and it's just like oh you really blew it, like you know mm-hmm. come on. Yikes! I I didn't hear that story. Didn't know that one. Yeah, there's a few like that. I think the there's a there's a bunk stampede that's like that. There's a big show in New York that was like that. I remember they were trying to like invade New York and they were. I see. And uh, yeah, so so let's get back to our focus. So we're going to look at uh, mostly three different broadcasts and then a one hour long program of this uh, a show that I didn't get to watch as a kid, but I I don't really know how I stumbled across those matches from Flair. Mm, Yeah, I, I feel that. Uh, I feel that it was uh, mid eighties, like eighty seven. Right. So uh, we did get start getting TV. Eighty six is, you know, I always say is the gateway to wrestling. And this is, and I'm starting to go back and look at stuff, and I'm starting to think like nineteen eighty six might be my favorite year for wrestling for a lot of different reasons. And one of them is because I got more wrestling. So summer of eighty six, we get on our television station, and we'll talk about this more in a different episode. The UWF. You know, is Bill it possible Watts. I saw it there? Possibly, because then as we as that show as we turn into early '87, that show turns into an NWA show because at some point along the lines, there's the co-promotion and eventual buying. Crockett buys UWF, so all of a sudden UWF becomes an NWA show, and those are like you know. And the first time I got to see Flair was a promo like live. First time I saw Flair live, not in a magazine, was a promo just a, just a, you know local promo kind of style. But it was on a UWF show. Right. It was like, and we mean TV live, not in person. Yeah, obviously. that's right, of course. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not, not attending a wrestling show. Yeah. To the best of my knowledge, the NWA uh, only came to Winnipeg, Manitoba 
like basically one time they did it. They did a show in Winnipeg and then a show in Brandon the next day. And that was it, you know, like they never, they never came again. And they never came before that. Some of the wrestlers were here for different cards. There's some AEWA co-promotion stuff, but I, you know, I won't count that. We're going to get into that at another time. Yeah. Especially when you, uh, when we bring on our first guest off outside the show, we'll be recovering that whole story in depth. So, so stay tuned for a special wrestling personality who will give us the details about the NWA's only appearance in Winnipeg and Brandon. Yeah, exactly. And how I missed it. <laughs> I know. Tragic. Poor guy. He must have been so depressed. Yeah. Seeing the flyer of like the show the day before. <laughs> okay. So we'll tell the story when yep. on the day. Yep. So that's where I think we started seeing actual footage. And the other thing was there was a TSN show called Pro Wrestling Plus. And I think we could even do an episode on this one of these days. And the commentator from Stampede Wrestling, Ed Whalen, hosted basically a clip show. So everyone except for the WWF, they would take matches from them interviews and it was sort of like a done like a news desk style wow that sounds yeah. really good yeah like the there's, cre- there's an american version of this like with gordon Soley, and i'm forgetting the name of the uh, guy from atlanta or whatever it was somebody do this with all the um turner all the all the teen superhero dramas that i can't be bothered watching your flash your you know smallville <laughs> make a f- hour-long episode give me the best five minutes and i'll watch that shit <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> <laughs> do it i'll watch a whole season you know i'll binge watch it all <laughs> so a lot of the stuff that i got to see on tv from places like world-class championship wrestling or memphis or florida and even the nwa and jcp this is through this pro wrestling plus you know and it was on the air for wow. over a year a weekly show you were watching that I was watching. Oh yeah, oh. big time into that. Yeah. Wow. So you got to see Jerry Lawler. You got to see most people. They were. It was all over the place. It for the first long stretch, it was jobber matches only, and then at one point it was neat. The, the Von the, Erichs would be everybody yeah, but the yeah, WWF. Everybody, yeah, everybody wow. with the WWF. They and but they would talk about the WWF on it. Right. Oh. But they couldn't show any footage. Ah, ha, ha. So they would do like a part where they Just talked like, about an angle, but they you know maybe they show a picture or something like you know. I wonder if this like Bill After had a hand in this. <laughs> maybe. So that's where I exist. Handing out t-shirts. And I do think that it's really important to note that like uh, the impression became that the NWA was better than everything else. And part of that was because of Bill Apter, because he was working so closely with them. His story Uh started to kind of cultivate this thought, right? The more he was intertwined with them, the more his magazines kind of propped up the NWA and it gave you that impression. And I do remember at one point being defensive about it almost, right? Like, you know, how dare they suggest that the NWA is better than my WWF, you know, or whatever, right? Right. Well, they always had that competition on your rankings page and they would put Flair above Hogan consistently. Yes, yes, they would. So that was like where we're living through the magazines, we're getting these small clips, we're starting to get shows and matches. And once we got our NWA show, it was great because it wasn't a syndicated, like we probably had a better show than what people were seeing like in the States because the, the actual proper, you know, worldwide or WCW Saturday night is a syndicated show that's mostly squash matches. You could, you and could stuff be like talking that. about the Pro Wrestling Plus, or you know, like yeah. both of them are better than what we were getting. <laughs> I mean, that Pro Wrestling Plus sounds yeah, yeah. incredible, like highlights yeah. from around the country. Yeah, geez, I wish I'd knew known that that was out there. Yeah. So what we would end up getting from the NWA when we finally got that show was like a highlight reel put together from these different syndicated shows and clips from their pay per views and stuff. Like I remember one week it was Jeez. literally just like you know it was like. The second half of the, you know, let's say Flair versus Garvin cage match, you know, at Starcade, And then there was like, you know, this match and that match. And these were good matches. These weren't like, you now, know. What's the proper name of the show? World. 
Well, the, the show, show. In, in, in here, they started calling it the NWA main event. And that was sort of the Winnipeg broadcast name that took over the UWF Power Pro Wrestling. Okay, so what are we watching today from TBS? That would be the proper, like, classic world championship wrestling, not the company, the show name. So let's back up just for a second. So TBS, Studio Wrestling, Georgia Championship Wrestling is what that was like in the 70s, early 80s. And that cultivated a whole group of fans that really knew a style of wrestling and, you know, a a presentation of wrestling that they were really used to on that channel. And then basically, I've mentioned it before, the in 84, there's Black Saturday. So Vince McMahon, with the help of the Briscoes, he basically, you know, sneaky buys out Georgia Championship Wrestling from from underneath Ole Anderson and some of the other owners. They was don't it, realize. Was that a national show, by the well, way? Well, it, it, was, it, was it was a regional promotion that had national coverage. Ah, uh, so yes, then. Yeah. For my purposes. So they only wrestled in Georgia, but they broadcast nationally. That's right. Ah, that's that's key to everything and they had they had better coverage than anybody like they were uh-huh. like this yeah. is why yeah black saturday so, wwf takes over and vince mcmahon appears on there and they get thousands of letters complaints everyone's mad their gordon soley's gone you know their their proper gritty wrestling's gone and i don't want to see you know the bob backlands and the whoever else like you know i don't want to see your i don't they don't even want hulk hogan they don't that's that's not that's fake wrestling we want real wrestling you know that was they didn't want hulk hogan imagine that and mcmahon tried to hire gordon Soley, and Soley wouldn't work for him so this is heel hogan by the way challenging Backlund. well actually in 84 i have to get the dates we'll have to get the dates that's it's 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 champ hogan oh my god you're right they just don't want they don't want cartoony hogan oh, they want wow they right. want, they reject rock and wrestling they do big time so the ratings aren't doing the greatest it's not doing as bad as people suggested it did but it didn't do that great and they were on the air for almost a year i believe so the lead up to wrestlemania vince mcmahon sells the slot the the tv slot to jim crockett for a million dollars oh and uses that money to finance wrestlemania wow and without that money, it's hard to say whether he would have been able to put everything together the way he did. Right, but Crockett also wins in the short term. And Crockett gets that, they get the station back and they use the name. And the, the name existed, pardon, pardon me. The WWF called that show World Championship Wrestling. So World Championship Wrestling, the show, existed with Georgia, the WWF, and then Jim Crockett, NWA. It carried along through all three things. The same, basically, the title of the television program. Yeah, and set, like the, you know, the... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God, that is fascinating. I think this is finally dawning on me what, yeah. what really happened. Yeah. And, uh, and Ted Turner was pissed And boy, because... and McMahon comes across as a, a weasel, you Yeah, know? and the problem... But a genius, too. Vince McMahon promised Turner that they would produce a live sort of weekly show the way that Georgia had, you know, that they would have the studio wrestling. McMahon didn't want to do that. He wanted, he put a clip show together. He just wanted to like put something on the air that he was already producing. And so they didn't want that. And there's actually a neat time early on in the, in the broadcast where the weekly shows of the WWF, they're kind of like power pro wrestling. They go to the other federations and they're like, Hey, send us your best matches and we'll put them on the air. We'll promote your guys. The power pro wrestling plus. Uh, Pro Wrestling Plus. Thank you. Sorry. Pro Wrestling just, Plus. Just learning these things here. Taking yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a student. That's Excuse right. Excuse me, Professor. Uh, you said earlier. So you, there's literally episodes where like Vince McMahon's like showing you highlights of like, you know, Memphis oh and my this God. and that. The yeah, irony. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. The it's, irony of yeah. that. But they get away from Little that. California. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I, we'd have to we'd have to like kind of dig through it. But The mystery land. That's right. So you once Jim Crockett gets into Turner 
the fans, the Southern wrestling fans, like they have the wrestling back. This is the style of presentation they want. This feels like Georgia Championship Wrestling to them. Freaking Ole Anderson's on TV with them again, right? Like it's a lot wait, of the wait, same wait, wrestlers. Wait. They don't like Mother's Day parties. <laughs> they don't like Mother's they, Day. They got parties. a problem with Halloween. <laughs> what about the, what about the water slides? Georgia water slides. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there was no cakes thrown. Out. Actually, there probably at some point was, but nope. uh, right. <laughs> not three shows in a row. Not three shows in a row. Exactly. Talk about uh, fucking what pie wars, bakery, <laughs> bakery battles. <laughs> so what we're gonna do is that's like gonna... the p- most popular show on TV, right? The British Bake Off. Like, oh, really? It's crazy eh? big. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, they, these these competitive cake shows. <laughs> yeah, they gotta start throwing cake in those and say face planting. You know, gotta get we moolah. Need, we need heel we bakers. Need, that's right. <laughs> Sneaking other ingredients into the other people's. We bowls. need a little bit of flair in this uh, this baking show. <laughs> So we're going to pull info from three Saturday broadcasts, World Championship Wrestling broadcasts, January 4th, January 11th, January 18th, 1985. We're just going to like, we're not going to like look at the whole show, of course. We just went through and we're like, okay, who's on Superstars on the Superstation? There's four big matches. So the participants in those matches, and then who's on these, where are they on the shows? Is it like a subtitle, World Championship Wrestling, Superstars and Superstation? That's right. Superstars and Superstation is like Saturday's main event. Okay, so as a title, as a title for a show. Okay, uh, but not time slot. Talking, oh no, it's no. it's in its normal time slot. Okay, yeah. Actually, pardon me, not it. It aired on a Friday, actually. But they have a regular weekly thing. It's all about the consistency, right? Like they yes. had a weekly show. Oh yeah, they had multiple syndicated shows. But the Saturday night six oh five, six oh five on TBS. That's a big thing. If you look at like wrestling fans, that means something to them. Like six oh five is because Ted Turner, for whatever reason, TBS. They, for up until who knows when, they had a strategy where all of their shows started at five minutes after the hour. Hmm. And the reason for this is that everybody else ended their show on the hour. And then there was commercials. Well, on Turner, you're getting the end of the show. You're not on commercial yet. So they could like draw people in. And now you're a few minutes. Now you've missed the first few minutes of the next show. So you might as well keep watching their show. You know what I mean? Like that was sort of the, you know, a little bit of the idea behind their, their programming. <laughs> Kind of neat, you know? And they basically lived off of, TBS lived off of, like, Andy Griffith, like, reruns like that, like, you know, uh, I think Beverly Hillbillies and whatever else, other different old, uh, there's a, I can't remember them all, it doesn't even matter, but there's all these basically rerun shows that are in syndication, and then sports. So, Atlanta Braves, uh, the, the Atlanta Hawks or whatever, like the NBA team, and wrestling. And they got huge ratings from wrestling, whether it was Georgia, whether it was uh, JCP. At one point, uh, UWF had a Sunday slot on, on Turner, and they started doing big ratings on the Sunday. They were really doing well, and they were actually in line to get the, they were trying to get the Saturday slot from WWF, UWF was. But Crockett ended up getting it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to pull stuff from there, but we're not going to go sit here and go, like, okay, this segment, this segment, this segment. We're just going to jump from interview to interview. There's a couple of key matches that actually happened, some nice bigger matches, We'll pull out from them to just trying to give us an idea of what these angles and feuds were heading into this like special presentation of superstars on the superstation because we've got a couple of tag team matches that are really important. So you got your world champion Rock and Roll Express defending against the Midnight Express. So this is like, you know, this is a beautiful time in this feud. Like, you know, great. They're at their peaks. It's super awesome. Dennis Condry, still, it's still that version of the Midnight Express. Then we've got the Road Warriors battling the Russians. So Koloffs. Ivan and Nikita, but Sneaky Crusher Khrushchev is, you know, is, is, you know, lurking around and getting involved. 
Smash. <laughs> He's going to smash him. And then we're going to crush him. We're going to smash him. And then we're going to axe him. <laughs> and then we got a couple of big singles matches. So we have Dusty Rhodes versus Tully Blanchard. And at this point, Dusty Rhodes is called the National Heavyweight Champion. And we'll come back to that in a second. And then we've got a, a big title defense. Ric Flair defending his world title against Ronnie Garvin. Rubbish, Ronnie Garbage. <laughs> so one of the things that probably confused Jeff is that there's this time, this period of time in 86, I think sometime in 85, where they introduce U.S. championships, but they've already got national championships and you've got world championships. So you're just kind of like, what? Like everybody's got a belt, like, you know. And that sounds like the wrestling card we went to go see. Yeah, so you've got ago. you know, like I might have, I might miss one here, forgive me, but it's like, you know, you got Flair's the NWA champ and then Dusty's be, you know, become the national heavyweight champion and Magnum TA's the US champion and somebody's got, you know, world TV champion. I think it's Arn Anderson at that point, you know, like and that's like, those are all singles titles. Plus somebody's a Mid-Atlantic champion, which is a more regional title and, you know, and then there's tagged the world tag team champion, national tag team champion. Oh, soon there's going to be a tournament for a US tag team champion. This plus, is out of control. Plus there's six-man championships with the uh, Russians have that at the moment. And that one's funny because it's not a belt it's a big trophy <laughs> right yeah i remember from the uh magazines yeah i'm gonna pull a piper that's it that's enough no more belts i'm sick of you <laughs> and you take your belts and shove them away i don't want to see any more belts <laughs> so you will be glad to know they do phase the national championships out there's like uh basically unification matches and at one point i think like to somebody replace them with the u.s tag yeah tennis. pretty much yeah pretty silly <laughs> so I, I think it's just the holdover of the nwa and like how things were working at certain times and you know we're what was phasing out the teams. national tag team belts and we're bringing in the u.s tag team yeah. belts well they have i think in the case of the national like the the national champion and the u.s champion have a match and unify the title in the case of the national tag team titles they're vacated and then just you know basically there's an announcement that they're it just sounds gone. like a ridiculous waste of time <laughs> <laughs> we need to sell all these cards and there has to be championship okay. matches <laughs> that's the point of all that i never liked this wwf title and ww and, and then the world thing like i'm i wasn't no. watching and but like from afar i'm like that's dumb no Didn't when like they it. split off with their two world like once once wcw was gone and they were kind of running two world championships sort of a wcw champion which didn't last very long they got yeah. rid of it and then your world and you know your wwf champion wwe champion and then you know i, don't, I haven't kept track and i know now there's like a universal champion but they're still kind of like two separate champions there was the great moment of chris jericho bringing the two world championships together yeah you know and his the only claim the only true claim to the first ever undisputed <laughs> world champion yes is chris our jericho. man our man chris jericho but, you know, from that point on, they split them off again. They split the belt again, and who knows, yeah. whatever. I, the Raw matter. champion, the SmackDown champion. Yeah. The Suck It champion. The, the 24-7 champion. Yeah, uh, at least know. it got rid of, like, uh, hardcore. Or, yeah, and, yeah, but that's what that, like, I think that 24-7's just as bad, because it's like, you know, yeah. it's segments of people getting pinned in parking lots and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> Sleepy you know, time. Yeah, like, it's supposed to be like, okay, we're going to make content that we can put on, like, you know, on YouTube and, Here's and the Instagram. Angle. and. Your girlfriend, she pins you in your sleep, and she's a new 24-7 champion. <laughs> Pretty much. Stabs you in the back. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so we've got lots more to sort of, you know, bring up and sort of discuss as we go along. We'll kind of just interject because this is, again, a really different, unique version. I've heard a lot of this stuff through audio podcasts. Tony Schiavone did a great job of 
you know, going week by week through 1986. So some of these shows, I've heard them, but I haven't seen them, <laughs> if, if, if that makes any sense. And Jeff hasn't seen them at all. So uh, we'll, we'll go through some, some clips and stuff, talk about them a bit, and kind of really compare and contrast our experience of AWA Studio Wrestling, WWF Televised Wrestling, and then this new, unique Jim Crockett Promotions NWA Televised Wrestling. So it's um, my first look at this, really, and it's uh, different different for sure because what I like is that there's a live audience, even if it's uh, only about 40 people. Um, when you have your two announcers there, they both got, uh, you know, their suits and their microphones and, you know, the AWA often would be more like a report instead of a live, <laughs> you know, like they've got these people reacting. So when Tony Schiavone... Yeah. Says to David Crockett, Dusty Rose, the crowd goes, Wah! Yeah, yeah. And there's a very genuine, you know, feel of um of what's you know exciting and um you uh, so it's still very different from what we were used to from the AWA and even the WWF. Um, I always liked it. It wasn't consistent that whole sort of you didn't always have a live studio audience responding to what you were hearing. Um, a lot of what you were hearing, uh. Was like pre-recorded, I guess, what you mean? Or, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, even supposing like you're watching a match and Jesse and Vince are talking, the audience isn't reacting right, to yeah, Vince no, and Jesse, no. but David Crockett says to, you know, Tony Schiavone, boy, Dusty sure did that to Tully Blanchard, and the people go, woo! Right, yeah, I, th- I think it is just a live mic. Yeah, and, it's and vers- cool. It's and different. there's even the intimate setting, like there's there's times in one of the episodes, like this episode, where you can hear Dusty Road in the ring, like yelling at somebody. He doesn't have a mic. Yeah, but you can still hear everything. He's yeah, saying. it's it's cozy. Yeah, and genuine. So, um, yeah, I, I can see the appeal of this style. Um, it, it wasn't like that with the AWA. Like they had a small. The the wrestling was similar. You know, yeah. like uh, fewer than a hundred people watching the wrestling, but it didn't always feel well. It just wasn't when when Mean Gene interviewed somebody. You didn't have an audience reacting to only those stage interviews is yeah. the only time you really got that live feel. Mm-hmm. But those are... they consistently are doing everything in front of the studio audience. That's so right. that's cool. Yeah, it is interesting. When th- something that does come up often is you'll be doing an interview. And at the same time, an act will be coming out to the ring for the next match. And it actually ends up inter- interfering and infecting the interview because yeah. you actually get the crowd starts like going ah, or booing or whatever. You yeah. know, like it's funny, like let's say Dusty Rhodes doing an interview and the crowd's booing some bad guys that are coming to the ring, but yeah. your TV's not showing those bad guys coming out. So you don't know why the crowd's booing Dusty. This is way better. <laughs> you know, I got to say as a performer, you know, I've been on stage hundreds of times and, uh, and the audiences, they don't lie. You know what That's I mean? Because right. co- collectively, they can't conspire to deceive, and, you know, for your own good and tell you, yeah, yeah, so-and-so mentioned you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, like, it's just too sincere, and, and like, yeah. I love a live audience. And I've bombed, you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it feels so exciting when you can, you know, capture something for the whole crowd, and they laugh at what you do, and everybody's together. It's just yeah. live audiences, man. That's what it's all about. This episode's a bit unique in my mind, is from what I know, in that it actually just opens with the theme song and then right to the, your hosts, Tony Schiavone and David Crockett. Normally, these shows open with like a 30, 40, 20-second, minute-long, whatever it is, sort of flashback, um, usually an arena show clip, the end of a match, some angle, someone getting beaten up, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be. Well, it seems so much more logical. Like, you want that to, to capture your audience that they're only going to give you five minutes. You got to start strong. 
That's right. Yeah. So that that's uh, a little bit different on that. We don't get any kind of big, you know, rewind moment at the beginning, but that's okay. And the other thing is really unique mean, and different. They, right. So they took us for granted, the AWA. They, <laughs> they knew they had us. They didn't give us anything good till the end of the show. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you had to wait. <laughs> but one thing is really unique in Jim Crockett's promotion in the World Championship Wrestling, and I can't really speak too much about Georgia, but, like, the fact that when we're going to see, people come out multiple times. It's sort of like, you know, like, wrestler A comes out and says, da-da-da-da-da, and then wrestler B comes out and says, well, yeah, well, blah 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 And then later in the show, wrestler A comes back and goes, did he say blah 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 You know, like, it's kind of funny, this, like, this back and forth, and eventually, at some point, one of them walks in on the other one on the, on the set, and then, you know, we have the showdown, right? So it's like, it's kind of a different, uh, you know, and we think about WWF, syndicated tv like superstars of wrestling whatever someone comes out and they have a segment and that's it they leave you know like they're they have a match they have an interview and then you don't see them again right i remember an awkward segment where colonel de beers is getting interviewed by ken resnick on the awa <laughs> for could have been somebody else interviewing maybe mean gene um and mad dog Bichon comes and shoves colonel de beers interrupts his interview and <laughs> announces the biggest ever wrestling announcement in history. Vern Gagne is coming out of retirement to help me take care of Fatwell and something, something. <laughs> but I thought it was really awkward because De Beers takes a spill and doesn't retaliate yeah, and has to walk off. And there's no audience cheering Mad Dog, pushing over a heel. There's, it's just, it was awkward. Like yeah. the silent studio and, you know, hard to believe that De Beers would just allow, you know, because he doesn't, he just sort of like, fine, then I'll go away. <laughs> and you know but i mean like when mad dog's bringing on Vern, the boss like you know it just was it was it was not it wasn't you know the studio audience prevents things like that i think yeah. just having the the real feel like when a crowd gets bored or i, I don't know i'm just com- contrasting awa That's like right. you know that kind of shit would happen on this show and there might be a, a more believable scuffle and the crowd would right. get into it and they wouldn't like force us to watch this heel back down and look cowardly and like lose stature really that's right to take the beers too seriously when he takes shit and walks away (laughs) and and doesn't get a doesn't get a receipt you know (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) well put doesn't get a receipt (laughs) yeah the beers is never my favorite guy but you know you you gotta make your heels you know kick ass yeah if they're gonna weasel off they gotta there's gotta be payback down the road something yeah maybe there was but yeah. I only saw that clip, and I just, you know, it makes me think, what would that have been like if they'd done it more TBS style <laughs> with live audience? And yeah. Just... Yeah, so this intro is really simple. I mean, I, I think they're just setting up the show, right? They kind of just list off, you know, who we're going to see, you know, you know, and who we're gonna, who's going to talk and stuff like that. And there is one key match. It's, uh, we're going to see Magnum TA versus The Barbarian with Paul Jones. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it makes you want to watch the rest of the hour. Yeah. The yeah. first 20 uh, the first two minutes like i'd be like oh yeah I'll, I'll stick around that's right yeah so pretty quickly they bring out tully blanchard and jj dylan and that's very familiar to us but actually it turns out on this episode that the this is sort of unique and kind of a new new um pairing i'll tell you what's unique are the close-ups they zoom right in you can see yeah. every you know every All the scars st- on the yeah, forehead. <laughs> those yeah, poor yeah. wrestlers their foreheads are just <laughs> you know valleys ditches gullies Yikes. So Telly Blanchard, I really noticed it. But yeah, that was nothing. Yeah. Dusty Rhodes comes out later and like, oh, there's, oh, there's a road up. map. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. So, yeah. So uh, D- David right away, you know, said, pardon me, Tony says, like, I'm not used to seeing you two together. So, you know, J.J. Dillon had, had was represented a lot of different wrestlers. Tully Blanchard 
for a long time with working with valets. And there is a point, you know, in 85 where, you know, the Andersons, Flair, Tully Blanchard come together, the four horsemen are created, and J.J. Dillon sort of, you know, ends up being a part of this whole thing. And it's kind of interesting because I would think in the 86 that this was all already cemented. But uh, so they're asking him about it. And, uh, you know, he, they explain that he's been hired by Tully Blanchard Enterprises. So they always have this fictional company. <laughs> <laughs> Vandalay Industries. That's Vandalay Industries. Yeah, that's right. So they've hired JJ to take care of his affairs and don't you worry about it. And we'll let you know more later and stuff like that. But right away, they're going to start talking about the injury to Ole Anderson. Just, just mentioning it. We haven't, you know, on this episode, we haven't seen anything yet. But there's, you know, there's been an incident. So, of course, if we flash back to the basically the formation of the four horsemen and also this is adult this is we have a face bragging about injuring somebody yeah, this later is not when this he's is out there yeah oh yeah okay this is still the heels you know lamenting their 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 fallen comrade right right okay yeah yeah so he you know they there's the famous and we've touched on it we have a sneak attack episode we touch on this so we won't we won't dwell on it at all but basically you know dusty Rhodes gets his leg broken you know supposedly by the Andersons and Ric Flair, and it's essentially the, for, the formation of the Four Horsemen in the, in the cage, and that's a big deal. Is that the one where the the, the famous one where it was actually it's the, the it's Russians Flair versus the Russians? Flair and, Flair goes in as a babyface, right? Oh, what a evil, turn! Uh, the evil Russians and they're like triple teaming them. So then Dusty comes saves off the commentary, him. saves them, and then they turn on Dusty. And then yeah, where where are the Andersons to save him from the Russians? They wait until the Russians have left, and then they come out and they, they beat up Dusty. Oh man, that was the one where the, they barely made it back to the yes, dressing that's room. The, that's the near riot situation. Near riot the, the, situation. Yeah, it's coming yeah. pretty well on Dark Side of the Ring or something. That's right. Yeah, Arn talks about it like they had to wait for hours in the dressing room. They couldn't try to leave the building because it wasn't safe. You know, like people went nuts. Yeah. <laughs> And Arrest them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's this retribution that's happened. So basically, we do, we haven't seen it yet. People who were who maybe were watching live at the time would already know the information. But there's been an attack on Ole Anderson, and his leg's been broken. So that's really neat. By a good guy. By a good guy, exactly. This ain't no WWF Mother's Day party. Yeah. But they quickly turn to, like, you know, talking about Magnum. Because if we go back to Thanksgiving, Starcade 85... We had the I Quit match, a very, very famous cage match between Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA. It's a really great match. They've got a big feud. So again, like the NWA, like they like to kind of keep a lot of things in the fire at the same time. You know, Tully's going after this guy. He's going after that guy. He's got a lot of different, you know, he's got Dusty over here. He's got Magnum over here. It's not just sort of one person at a time, you know? It's like all the heels are against all the good guys. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, um, and this is where they David asks, where's Baby Doll? And that's had been Tully Blanchard's valet, and she's not with them. And basically, they you know refuse to talk about it. And from there, they're actually going to leave the segment, and they go to a rock and roll express, uh, you know, squash match. And then when that's over, we go back, and we're, we're back with JJ and Tully. <laughs> this ah. is what I'm talking about, like a you know a double interview segment, basically. One of the things I love best about Tully Blanchard is that uh, he. Uh, was built at 5'11", which was my height. Right, yeah. So I, I was always like, there, that's me. I'm, I'm Tully Blanchard. Yeah, you, you don't have to be seven feet tall. To, no, to I'm the little ring. guy in the ring. You know, I look at Tully Blanchard and imagine myself. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, they're back with them again. And this is where they start talking about baby dolls. So like, you know, they... Tully Blanchard's really upset, and he's like talking about how he took her from, took took something from nothing and made Baby Doll a household name, you know, like made her famous, and she's you know an ingrate and you know not. Uh, Do you know they? I think they called her 
Andrea the Giant. I was going to bring that up to you. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. when she starts in world class, I think that's or something. right, Texas. Yeah, and yeah I think I they was joked like, around the ninth wonder of the world or something yeah, like that. Know, or, like, yeah. Baby doll, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. giant. Well, her other nickname is the Perfect Ten. Okay. And well. she's an attractive lady, but I mean, I don't think anybody. When you look at the women of wrestling over the years, yeah. I don't think she's going to, you know, rank number one <laughs> right. for, for that either. <laughs> so, um, but she's a very physical valet. She would always get really involved yeah, in, the, in the matches. And... Closer to an athlete, you yes. know, like for example, Elizabeth doesn't look like an athlete. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're all upset that she turned her back and. Uh, you know, they said, how could you, you know, go with Dusty? Like he called you a Jezebel. He like, you know, he, he was, you know, smearing your name and we, we were, you know, the ones standing up. I was upset at the time. I the Jezebel. He called you a perfect zero. (laughs) That's what all these things are saying. (laughs) Listen, the past is the past. So then they, they switch back to why JJ's with Tully and he says JJ has severed ties with the other wrestlers. And that all these people have this plot to destroy the four horsemen and, you know, they're, they're circling their wagons and getting their strength together to like, kind of like, you know, stop that from happening and they're not going to let it go, but they have this plan, right? To, to get to Dusty Rhodes, but they need to take away, you know, all his friends because he's and got too many friends. is Paul Roma. <laughs> Down the road. <laughs> <laughs> and El Gigante. So it's interesting. They're like, they're talking about how they need to pick off. The, the Dusty Road supporters and friends. They, you think we might go after a Sam Houston, but we're going to go after, they call him the uh, the silent friend. And eventually they name him the Boogeyman. <laughs> the Boogie Woogie Man. He was always with Dusty Roads. They refer to him as being his best friend, which I don't know how true that is. But, you know, so they, they've now they put a target on Boogeyman, the Boogeyman. And, Boogie uh, Woogie. Boogie Woogie, yeah. Jimmy Valiant. Yeah, he's so got he's got they, a lot of energy in the ring. David Crockett's pretty funny. So a lot of people will complain about his announcing style, but you can't, take away from like his passion like he's so excited and he really like lets his emotion out when he's doing it and stuff like that he's he's, he's pretty funny so we had a great laugh at him with the road warriors in that clip you where he's like stink yeah <laughs> what do like you want to beat them up too <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I do like this david Crockett. yeah yeah so didn't he, really get to see a lot of them so yeah I'm sort so of... he, he he interrupts all this and in, insists on an answer but baby doll what about baby doll and this is where we go to a clip from their worldwide syndicated show and for you know 2023, this would be a very uncomfortable clip. This is not going to be on a wrestling show now. So basically, it's Tully Blanchard and Baby Doll are having an argument during an interview segment, and David Crockett's holding the mic, and basically, she's trying to explain that J.J. Dillon had given her a plane ticket to Acapulco, and it was a Christmas present from Tully Blanchard. And Tully doesn't know anything about it, and he's like, where were you, and why weren't you, you know, where were you gone this weekend, and all this stuff. And so she's trying to explain herself. And then JJ comes into the you know, set and she's like, JJ, tell him. And JJ's like, hey, you got to get yourself out of this mess. And basically it gets to the point where she's insulting him and Tully Blanchard gets really mad at her. And then he slaps her and knocks her to the ground. Yikes. And so JJ Dillon grabs David Crockett. So David Crockett can't do anything. And Tully Blanchard's like, basically grabs her by the hair and he's kind of not dragging her, but he's kind of like, you know, you know, gives her a little shake or whatever the hair it's. And then the crowd and out comes Dusty Rhodes (laughs) and he cracks Tully in the face. And, you know, basically that's it. And Dusty Rhodes like, this is my woman now and all this stuff. And there was a match at one point where like Tully had lost baby doll when she was still a heel fully, like, you know, Dusty had run, won a match to like win her services. <laughs> I do remember that, and she was very indignant about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, she was like this un- unwilling participant in this whole thing. But it actually, over time, transitions to her becoming a uh, becoming a face, you know, and becoming a hero, right? And being with literally being with you know with with Dusty. So it's it's kind of interesting. 
But Tully's like, he's all mad at her, and he's like, you were my perfect 10. He's, you know, screaming at her and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, they, again, they wouldn't run this angle quite like this anymore, <laughs> and for obvious reasons. But, uh, and again, she's not some shrinking violet. It's not like she's some 90 pound, but I mean, either way, uh, Tully Blanchard. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, it uh, it triggers, and then yet, you know, these somebody that might get upset by that might be all for like, well, let her get in the ring and take a clothesline, and you're like, well, okay, so <laughs> they're both faking it, you yeah, know, yeah. like so really, you know, do you need to get so? I mean, you know, Shuri Martell will go in there and take a drop kick from the top rope, so why can't you know she also take a slap from somebody? I mean, <clears throat> yeah, try to for be sure. you know rational about it, where we pretend. Yeah, for sure. So they go back to the live set and, you know, they just kind of wrap it up with like, you know, Tully Blanche saying, Dusty Rhodes, don't stick your nose in my business and you're going to get yours and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there's another squash match and now we're back at the the world championship set with the announcers and this time they got Dusty Rhodes and Baby Doll. Yeah, well, um, this is the perfect example of like Dusty Rhodes in the WWF, cringe. Dusty Rhodes here, charisma you know, he, he's <laughs> yep. just really cool he talks about like he doesn't care if he's doesn't have the muscles you know i like the not life just a little too big you see and uh he's you know he's he's got um he's you can see why he's a big star he's just uh really easy on the mic and baby doll looks fine she's lovely beside him and um you know the crowd loves dusty I think she's holding on to his belt for him <laughs> right <laughs> she's yeah got the belt. it is really that's the other fun thing is that you know that uh here's dusty you know at his best he's yeah. world champion and he's uh not in a yellow polka dot outfit with his you know up up to his elbows and poop <laughs> <laughs> so uh it's it's great um we didn't get this and we only saw pictures of it <laughs> my only like my first thing was like dusty Rhodes at some point had come through the AWA when I was a little kid. Okay. And, and I saw... I Texas had, Outlaws. I had such a strong memory, um, definitely as that, but he also came through as a baby face because my strongest memory, AWA memory of Dusty Rhodes, is an interview he did. I, I would have I said it was in a hot tub, but I saw the clip a few years ago when it was in a pool. It's Dusty Rhodes in a pool, like up to his chest. Close with like enough. A, with like a cowboy hat and sunglasses on going like, I'm coming to the AWA. And he's doing, you know, he's, he's just doing a promo. Like, it's just like, you know, 20, 20, 30 second promo. And that's how I knew who Dusty Rhodes was. And like, you know, like, and it was such an interesting, you know, I tried to find the clip and I couldn't find it. And then like years went by and then all of a sudden I stumbled across it. And I was like, hey, that's that promo. That's that, you know, that's that time I saw him come. So yeah, he's just, uh, he, he definitely was like, unlike anybody else in the business, you know, like the visual of him and like, right. He's so charismatic. And, but you know, the, the eighties and the Roy out, roided out bodies, you know, Dusty Rhodes was not that. No, he wasn't. And, uh, it's kind of like when you first found out that there was this Ric Flair guy, it felt kind of like, well, who's his opposite. And, <laughs> you know, in those days it felt like it was Dusty Rhodes was his. Oh yeah. Dusty you know. versus Flair is like, you know, yeah. for the eighties was like, you know, NWA's. I mean, it's on the cover thing. of Pro Wrestling Illustrated was Dusty Rhodes with, you know, a lot of blood on his arm looking <laughs> lovingly at the World Heavyweight Championship belt. And that was probably the uh, this period right now, probably. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that... I'm sure um, he did it more than once, but uh, exactly. well, we know that he, <laughs> he won the three, belt. three-time champion. Yeah. And this was his, was his... Was this the third or the second? Well, his... his the time he beats Flair is his third, and that would be uh, this summer, 86. Ah, yeah. 
his so other t- his other his other victories actually came over uh, race. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's just beaten race for the title. Yeah, but that would have been like Not just mm, probably eighty three ish, two ish. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um. So wait, I just want to be clear. So he's got the belt right now that he took from race. Uh, who? Sorry, Dusty. That yeah. national title you won it from oh, Tully Blanchard. Oh, that's a national title. Yeah, it's not the that's world title. Right. It's, it's Damn the, it, and I got caught in this fucking title. stupid. <laughs> like, see, I have a better idea of the U.S. title because of uh, T.A. and Volkov, are, yeah. you know, feuding over it. But this national title, I'm, you know, just baffles me. Yeah. So I think part of this whole promo is the idea that, like, uh, you know, there's a tar- they put a target on these these horsemen and, like, you know, they're going to take out the head of the family. And that's what this Ole Anderson injuries comes from. And I think they take us to a Yeah, that's, nice that's what's really – another thing about uh, this format is that they take us to the injury of Ole Anderson's leg, payback, we now know, where the Road Warriors are in a six-man tag against, you know, what – appears to be the early incarnations it's the three horsemen at this point that's right <laughs> the anderson are they cousins yeah yeah uh, they're they're, they're yeah they've, they've been listed as cousins uncle and nephew and brothers <laughs> depending uh-huh. on when you when you do that's it. that's funny yeah <laughs> versus flair yeah and uh, uh so the road warriors managed to you know get rid of the other horsemen and uh they break. What, what, Dusty goes to the top rope and he delivers what we now call the Greg Ganya shin drop knee yeah, drop. Yeah, the knee doesn't quite touch. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know you got to be kind of close. Dusty's calling close. He got to bring I, him I over. I loved it because they throw Flair to the ring and he's trying to get back in, and Paul Ellering's got his leg. <laughs> ah. And then just as he shakes Paul Ellering off, Hawk comes down because Flair's on the apron but not in the ring, and, and Hawk comes down the you know and clotheslines him off again. Nice. <laughs> So Dusty comes off the top rope twice on the right. Old Anderson's leg and then wraps a figure four. Yeah. Meanwhile, Dusty's talking over this. Like he's got the, he's laying down the commentary That's on his right. own action. Exactly. And then we never saw this yeah. on any of the other programs. That's right. You see what I'm doing now? So I'm going to give him some payback. You understand what he did to me? This is, you know, it's great. It's almost Love like, it. I mean, in sports, like I think of like hockey interviews and in the intermission, they'll literally show the player, like, here's your goal. Here's you scoring a goal. And then they'll talk about it. You know? So like, it's that idea. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of makes it more real or whatever. Right. Hockey interviews turned into a bit of a joke, like, oh, we're going to put some pucks towards the Yeah, 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 yeah. They've got the 10 things they have to say, and that's all they say. Yeah. (laughs) They're not allowed to go go rogue and be Dusty Rhodes or something like that. Yeah, be more fun. I I think that, like, this, yeah, this whole break, and Ole Anderson, famously at this point, you know, he is trying to, he's, he runs some businesses. His son is involved heavily in amateur wrestling. He doesn't want to miss out on that stuff. So he's not a full-time participant. And I believe, if I'm correct, this storyline is not only sort of the furthering of this, you know, the whole Dusty Four Horsemen, you know, feud. It's also a way to get Anderson off of TV for a while for him to have time off to go do things. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of, kind of playing, serving two purposes. Right. Yeah. Well, Flair has complained about you know having to miss so much. Yeah. That, you know, uh, especially I think I one time I either read or heard him say that. Uh, you know, there was some match and he was just begging for a day off to go see some big thing. And it was perhaps Eric Bischoff who was like, nope. Yeah. So years later, I think Flair said he lost his temper and just started swinging at Bischoff because like so often Bischoff <laughs> yeah. was like, I don't give a shit about any, That's right. you know, any of that. Yeah. They were making him go to, um, he was his, it was in his contract that he wasn't supposed to be on those Thunder shows or whatever, like the second show. And then they were insisting he'd be there even though he wasn't scheduled to wrestle. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to miss 
whatever family event yeah. you're talking about. And that's where their big feud really, and then it ended up, I think, I think Flair ended up off of TV for months because of this. There was like a big, you know, impasse yeah. or whatever. But. Right. Well, and, well, he attacked, he, he claims he attacked Bischoff. <laughs> Probably not when his contract was on the line, but no. uh, you know, when he was like, okay, now's the time, clobber. <laughs> okay. So we move along in the show and the next thing of any importance is a Road Warriors squash match, but it's two against three. <laughs> they got three jobbers. <laughs> ah. They throw these chumps around and it ends with like, you know. And these are obviously face Road Warriors. Yes, baby face Road Warriors. So I think like Hawk whips the guy off the rope, clotheslines him and lays down on his guy. And then slightly after that, ro- Animal whips the second guy off the ropes, clotheslines him. And then it pins him, and the ref goes down and does the two-handed, you know, double double count, which is always ridiculous because in tag team wrestling, why, why is there more than one person in the ring? You know, I like, uh, don't recall seeing that angle. Like yeah, two yeah. pins. What is the third guy? What about exactly. me? Yeah, yeah. Precious Paul's gonna jump in there. All right, come here. Well, the third guy, Clover. the third chump, was out on the floor, I believe. Ah. So they quickly get over to the set, and they have their little interview time, and it's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> Hawk's like. We always feel better when we do something real bad. <laughs> That's pretty good, Hawk. Well done. <laughs> okay. Do him my best. <laughs> nice. And they start talking about Ole Anderson and the payback and uh, how they, like, you know, they were happy to help out Dusty Rhodes and the horsemen got more of that coming to them and all that kind of stuff. And they quickly switch over to the Russians because the Russians have now famously jumped them in two different occasions using the chains and three-on-ones and things like that. And uh, so they, you know, talking about how they're going to get Get it? It's like, uh, it's pretty good. Hawk's like, uh, if you don't know about life after death, and get in the ring with us and you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty, very deep. Yeah. <laughs> Mike. And then they let Animal talk and he's like, they jumped us mine and we'll find a partner and take that six man championship. So they, they want the big trophy. <laughs> and, right. And the trophy from, yeah. Boy, I, <laughs> it survived a long time. You figured it would have got trashed after like, you know, because yeah. at one point tr- trophies were always meant to be broken in wrestling. But uh, in the early 80s, the year like mid 80s, trophies actually lived. Yeah, buried dark. <laughs> Saw is just uh, drawn to the uh, three man. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you know, free bird situation. <laughs> well, not not really, not exactly, but anyway, close enough. It's cool how the free birds were, you know, so popular that they that's would right. like make belts for them. Yeah, they <laughs> had to just make it up. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's make up a six man cha- championship because of this whole thing. Yeah. Okay, so I, you know, we're gonna go to commercial. We have I haven't tracked every single thing. I'm sure there's some other squash match, but when we come back from that, it's gonna be the world champion Ric Flair. Woo! Right, so we haven't really talked a lot about Ric Flair on our program because we've covered our childhood AWA memories and you know and the spillover to the WWF. But yeah, I guess it's got to be said that Ric Flair is you know possibly the best promo wrestler of all time. Uh, he, you know, he's great on the mic. He's he certainly. I don't know if there's anybody better. You know, like the, yeah, you, consistently, you know, like yeah. yeah he, He's got so many great segments of, of him freaking out and, and he can he can kind of be controlled and quiet and he can also and of course he's great at being loud and crazy. Yeah. Ric Flair is not as big as Hulk Hogan and he was never billed as the toughest guy backstage, but he's just the right size to be able to stand in there with Hogan or Brody or anybody, you know, he, yeah. he wrestled them all and he never you know, even now he's he never says like, Oh, I wasn't afraid of anybody. He was like, No, I didn't wanna you know, if Andre's <laughs> mad, you know, you don't wanna he so which is good. Because, you know, some guys you know, just 
uh, will the uh, or yeah the exactly ego. that's right. So uh, uh, Ric Flair is legendary, and it was he was the third of the world champions that we really got acquainted with. So you know, Rick Martel was uh, our babyface champion, and then Hulk Hogan was our babyface champion, and and it seemed like over in the NW day in NWA. The heels were in charge. That's right. Bad guys were always on top. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, was Nick Bockwinkle, you know, did have the belt for you know years and years and years, but we did finally get to see Martel wear the gold, and that was really satisfying as a kid. But where do you start with Ric Flair? I guess you know, <laughs> he uh, was so charismatic and had that. I guess I already did say that he looked like. Yeah, we we we, we yeah. did get some yeah. of it. Yeah, he was like the the seventies look. He brought it into the 80s a bit. You know, he had to change his style eventually, but <laughs> yeah. uh, always, you know, well-dressed. He would wear suits, and uh, yeah, he had such an ability to uh, ramp up. So this particular promo, he's got a crowd to react to, and right. it's it's better than the, you know, the AWA style, like I, for what I already touched on, you know, that live audience reaction. So, uh, and again, like you said, there's an adult flavor to this promo. He's talking about how Baby Doll wanted to be with him and cheat on Telly Blanchard. He was like, "No, no, she's not gonna my daughter." Oh, Rick Flair, please let me ride Space Mountain. He's like, "No Space Mountain tonight, Baby Doll." <laughs> and uh, so you know, it's pretty entertaining and yeah. uh, definitely more risque. And uh, you know, it's uh, great for us to finally be able to touch on you know one of the, the greatest of all time, which is which is Ric Flair. I mean, there's a lot of greats, but the Nature Boy is, is certainly legendary. Yeah, no, he's he's right near the top, and yeah, he's really funny. I love it. He ta- he's like he's, he's he breaks the interview down into three segments. He says a three part a three part interview. Yeah, and I, and I hate that I have to waste my time with these idiots. He's talking to the, the yeah. crowd. And at one point, he points off camera really early, and he says, "Watch yourself, or you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in." And he, threatens he calls to kick her out. out. He's like, "Shut your mouth, Betty!" <laughs> he, like he he knows her on the first name base. He's familiar with this lady. Oh, you'll be on the outside looking in. And then they cut to somebody in the crowd who's kind of like you know, yeah, yeah. maybe. That's Betty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I love it because at one point, even you know, during the interview, he's loosening the tie and he unbuttons yep. the shirt, and, and then he takes the jacket off, and he's you know he's getting more ramped up, but he hits all the hits all the bases, right? Hits the Ole Anderson, hits the baby doll, and all this stuff, and and base and calls out Dusty Rhodes for trying to say that he's the highest paid athlete and everything, and it's yeah, and they, it was almost like a real life competition. I've heard where like they would kind of say things on the air about like you know kind of bragging about who was making more money and and some of that stuff and and dusty got uh crockett to put something dust you know whatever it was on the side of one of the jets so that was a big you know a big victory for dusty over flair was that like the two there's two jets and one of them had like i can't remember exactly what it said but something something that was referencing dusty roads on one of the jets like was painted on it you know oh, gold dust <laughs> i don't think it was gold dust but it was something you know along that lines but yeah it's really it's really great to see him kind of in his prime. And I think there's like, you know, maybe 10 or 15 super famous promos that people have seen over and over again. But, you know, he did it every week and sometimes multiple times in the same week. So if you really kind of strung it together, there's hundreds of these promos and the and the standard like you're talking about. He was able to kind of be really entertaining and really great with them, like, you know, basically every time. Yeah. Yeah. He just uh, could work himself into a, a rage and it was great to see Flair freak out. Yeah, we've got a lot of great memories of Flair freaking out. Of course, yeah. Okay, so we're going to come back from a squash match of Arn Anderson's, and then we're going to see the two of the four horsemen, Flair and Arn Anderson, back at that TBS set. 
So again, you have all the bonuses of a live studio audience and the whole stepping onto the mic after getting in the ring. Your adrenaline's up. You look like a professional wrestler covered with sweat. Like, this is much better. It's so much better. That's right. Yeah. So Flair is in his classy $3,000 suits (laughs) and his shades, $400. Watch three grand. That's right. This watch costs more than your car. Yeah. Okay. So he's not that. He's nowhere near that. He's he's yeah. okay. That's like okay. I was just going having a little fun, but he's um he's like I don't know. Maybe he's doing. Uh, he's he's like two thirds. Uh, he's he's flared up. You know because yeah. it's not his first appearance on the show. Like as as Corey has, has made clear, uh, the wrestlers they they keep coming back and so there's an escalation on the the hour so this program's a two-hour tv slot yeah it's right? normally two hours but they would flex it so live other live <laughs> sports would would occasionally college sports basketball baseball would basically interrupt it so sometimes the show would be 90 minutes or ah. 70 minutes but on average it was the two hours right uh, but it adds to everything, being there and coming back and like, I heard you said earlier, and is awesome. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, so Flair's there looking great in his uh, classy threads. Arn Anderson is slick with sweat, and they're complaining. It's funny to hear <laughs> heels complain about heelish behavior. Exactly, because oh, he did exactly to them what they did to him, yeah. <laughs> but somehow it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, so it's great. It, it starts a little slow. It really picks up steam, you know, but let's see. what. And they also go to the footage so it's funny when dusty is showing the footage earlier they're showing the the actual damaging of Ole that's Anderson. right yeah and did we get to the part of mentioning it was a ganya shin drop that you did, did? yeah you I called did. it that yeah okay yeah anyway so that's what the faces showed now the heels show tender nurturing brotherly brothers in arms <laughs> after you know after looking after their buddy who's injured that's right and they're taking off his boot and protecting him and they're like what kind of savages do this to an athlete he doesn't deserve it it was great fun so yeah and at the stretcher and uh flair is speaking over the footage of what will be the horsemen looking after they're that's all right. in there basically yeah. and uh, and they're tending to their injured ole anderson so the stretcher comes out and, and it's it takes quite a while while uh, they they show a, a lot of video footage and Flair's getting worked up and um, <laughs> you know the disrespect of injuring an athlete anyway so that's all great fun but then it gets a lot better when Baby Doll shows up and like things turn up a, 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 to the next level <laughs> that's right because <laughs> Flair she comes out. And basically, when she gets to speak, she says, "Yo, oh yeah, okay, I forgot. Yeah, we have to cover this. This is the thing. I had to take a second there. I took a second when I listened to Arn Anderson ranting. To hear it correctly, he refers to himself as inbred. And I'm like, no way. That <laughs> yes. can't be possible. But he says it in a strange way. There isn't anything about me that's not 100% inbred. And it's like yeah. the double we, negatives. We, we were inbred for this business or whatever. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> so Arn Anderson basically never flubs. Like he's you know famously great on the mic. Like probably like super underrated. Probably most people's top five, top ten, top three. Like some people think he's the best. Uh, because he did it differently than other people. He wasn't just a screamer. But on his podcast, when they covered these segments, he like he's hearing this stuff for the first time because he didn't go back and watch his right. stuff. And he's like, he literally says to the host, he's like, did I just say what I thought I said? Yeah. <laughs> and because he yeah. actually says that 
version of a promo multiple times. <laughs> he says it on several different shows back then. So wow. he, he's, you know, each week he's having to like slap himself on the forehead and, you know, make fun right. of himself. And, you know, he's a good guy about it. He takes it. <laughs> well, this is no flea in a freight train. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hook it up. Hook it up. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really funny. Uh, I, I had to go back and listen to four or five and I okay, so that does that confirms it. He calls himself inbred. We were we the Andersons. We were inbred for this business or yeah. something along that lines. Uh, the Targaryens of professional wrestling. <laughs> and for a man like me, that is an Anderson, that is inbred with Anderson blood, I can't accept it. And the thing that makes me sick, Tony Giovanni, is guys like you, Jim Crockett, David Crockett. He comes in the ring. Okay, so yeah, that was the other memorable thing about the promo. So Baby Doll shows up and Ric Flair goes in ballistic and he even, you know, lays on the ground to mimic some sort of like, this will be you after riding Space Mountain. And he, <laughs> you know, goes and spasms on the ground and in this, you know, very sort of lewd and uh, suggestive manner. And then Anderson's shouting about women, you know, staying at home and cooking meals. And they're just, you know, throwing all kinds of particular, you know, misogynistic heel behavior out. Yes. Um, and the, the tensions are high. She says to Anderson, you're next as far as Arn. Right. Because yeah, yeah. Oli's leg's broken. And then they're going to get Arn next. So the, the faces are reveling in this wicked, evil heel behavior. <laughs> That's right. Going yeah. around breaking legs. Exactly. You, you know, what comes around goes around kind of thing. But it's huge excitement because there's a live crowd responding to all this stuff. That's right. Okay, so as we move along in this show, we get a Jim Cornette promo. I won't say it's his best one because he's so good. He talks so fast and he's so confident in what he's saying. And he always has so many, you know, I don't know, sayings up, this, up his sleeve. He's always going somewhere. You yeah, know? and he, he and his his flub rate is so low. I mean, like, oh, yeah. I, I don't think you ever hear him stammer. Or, he <laughs> no. always knows what to say. Exactly. And he always responds. He's listening, too, to the That's other person. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the full package when it comes to it. So the one thing I did love about this promo is he's got the magazine because he's the 1985 Manager of the Year yeah. for Wrestling Illustrated. Oh, this was my peak magazine era because I remember the scandal because you know bill after you know without going too far down it they they were mama Cornette had flooded <laughs> pro wrestling illustrated there was a scandal and they cheated to make jim Cornette win so it was amazing yeah. like pro wrestling illustrated goes in on the kayfabe angle that this fictitious uh <laughs> widow who is yeah. jim he's a spoiled brat mother kid. yeah uh, jim Cornette. you know you know this already but he's got a tennis racket he's a spoiled rich kid that's just a total brat <laughs> And, you know, we saw him in the magazines first. It was a long oh, time yeah. before I ever got to see him in person. But I was aware that, uh, you know, how does, first off, how does any heel ever win the popularity <laughs> yeah. contest of blankety blank of the year? Yeah. They can only do it by, you know, in this case, yeah, Mama Cornette. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like, I think her character in that storyline of him, it's like, it's. I don't think it's matched. Like, there's other versions of it, but he, he carried it on for so long that, like, you know, Mama, like, that's where Big Bubba, the, the head, you know, the, his bodyguard yeah. comes from. You know, she sends him to protect him and yeah. all this stuff. It's so good. Never makes an appearance. No, of course, yeah. That's And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Why, like, <laughs> no, don't break the, you know, the illusion. Like, let it be the mystery. You know, it's great. They go to some film, and it's a clip where Cornette's distracting the Midnight Express, or pardon me, the Rock and Roll Express in an arena match 
match. So he's up on the apron distracting them, and the Midnight Express attack from behind. And they do this thing where they hang Ricky Morton, basically his neck over the top rope, his armpits. And then they're holding up his legs, and they're kind of, the, the Midnight Express are holding them in place. And then uh, Jim Cornette is using his loaded racket to smash away at the left, I think, shoulder or arm, and he hits it multiple times. So they're trying to basically sell like an arm injury here. It looks pretty good. So Robert finally gets back in the ring. He'd been thrown out and runs the heels off. But basically, like, it's so great. He he always throws in these, like, little barbs and insults, you know, like, whatever else is going on. So he's like, it would make my decade if you little sleazy punks were out of wrestling. You know, that's what he's talking about, the Rock and Roll Express. I hate it. I hate your guts. (laughs) And then basically, from there, he just, he, he, from the desk, he would do this quite often. He announces his wrestlers, whether it's a tag team match or a singles match. He literally does the ring announcer job, you know, from the desk as as the closing part of his interview. You know, like, I bring you, da-da-da, lover boy, Dennis Condry, and the music hits. And that's, you know, how the segment ends. But, you know, yeah, it's pretty neat. You you do that quite often. And then from there, we're going to get a follow-up by Dusty Rhodes and Baby Doll. So this is adult wrestling. This is not for kids. This is not clown <laughs> wrestling, you know. It's uh, dinner time and the yeah. kids are watching, but it's it's for adults. Yeah. So hopefully they don't understand the references, but the, a later Cornette promo will show that they know that kids are watching. <laughs> and uh, I mean, like, and not little kids, but, uh, you know, still kids. Anyway. Okay. So this is a very adult promo. This is after Ric Flair has come out and done his whole pretend to be baby doll laying down after being banged by Ric Flair, he's pretending to be somebody that he just screwed. Oh, this is me, you after Space Mountain. Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, this is you after I fuck you. Like, what? Flair, what the hell are you doing? But it's good because it gets it gives him something to work with. That's right. So Dusty comes out and he's he's cracking jokes and getting laughs. I bet you that really brankled Flair in real life because the, the crowd's responding to Dusty like he's a stand-up. You know, he's, he's getting burns. Right, yeah. Good burns in, and he's doing his thing, making up words. He's having them fists here on the floor. And Dusty's, he tells Tully, no more pushing around baby doll. She's mine now, you know. And and then he responds to this accusation Flair had that uh, baby doll begged to go to bed with Flair, and Flair turned her down. Dusty tells the actual story. He says, that's not true. What happened, Miss Flair, was baby doll said no because... Lack of size, baby. <laughs> and so uh, Baby Doll, you know, says, why would I want Space Mountain when I could have the whole theme park? And so they're <laughs> kind of suggesting more so than I've ever seen that, like, the yeah. valet services come with, you know, privileges. <laughs> this is a pretty overt, you know, I mean, you've got the couples, like Precious yeah. and J- Jimmy Garvin and Macho Man and Elizabeth, but they still, you know, then you have these sort of like, well, the valet is, it's, you know, you don't know that they're always any kind of thing going on, but now that making the bedroom jokes, yeah, yeah they're making it pretty clear <laughs> that they're trying to suggest that Dusty is sleeping with Baby Doll. That's right. And that Ric Flair has a small weenie. <laughs> Which, from all the baby arm stories of Ric Flair, <laughs> everyone knows probably isn't the case. <laughs> right. But this is definitely uh, wrestling for grownups. Yeah, that's right. So this episode also is sort of the first mention of this concept of, like, vote in for your, like, the greatest match. You know, like, your dream your dream matchup. And that is what becomes superstars on the Superstation. So it's this voting process. They get people to write in cards. You can only write in cards. They don't want any letters. They just want them on single, you know, like a postcard. And you're supposed to write in your dream match. Cool concept. 
terrible title for an event, Superstars on the Superstation. You know, give me a Starcade, a Star Cage, a WrestleMania, a wrestling classic, but yeah. Superstars on the Superstation, like it's taken me about a week to understand that this is a sort of a one-off thing. So yeah, so TBS was always referred to as a Superstation because of its satellite link-ups and its ability to go across the nation earlier than a lot of other networks. So I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe TBS wanted that Superstation affiliation, or maybe this is just Dusty's, you know, came up with this and whatever. It still sounds like the second half of a title. Like it should be Super Super, Superstars on the Superstation, you know? (laughs) Double Super, Summer Super, Slam Super, anything that just, you know, that, because, yeah. I mean, it took a while to wrap my head around that I'd never heard of Star Cage, but we covered it. Yeah. And then, you know, with this lack of a catchy title, you, you don't realize that this is a, akin to a WrestleMania or a Starcade, this yeah. event. Okay, so this episode basically has uh, one segment, or pardon me, this episode has one key match, and that's what we're going to want to cover. So that's Magnum TA, the U.S. champion, versus The Barbarian. And we've known the Barbarian for a long time. He does look a little different in this era, like his makeup and stuff. And it just, I don't know, at one point I remember even thinking when I saw this version of the Barbarian, I was like, is that the same guy? I wasn't even 100% convinced. And then as I watched him wrestle, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's his, you know, that's the way he punches. And that's, you know. Yeah, it's kind of hard to take him seriously because uh, you got to get over the fact that he, he, he looks He's got the same Mr. T haircut, but, you know, it, it kind of looks like he's riffing off Animal from the Road Warriors. Yeah. And so that I always uh, held against him. Yep. So, and even here, as I turned it on, I was like, well, but Road Warrior Animal's right here. He's like front and center in the storyline. He's a headliner. Yeah. mid Carter. You're like, or at this point, I guess he's almost, well, no, sorry. I, I go too far. This is the main event of a weekly. Or, yeah. It's yeah. not the end of the show, but it's the big match for the show. Yes. Yeah. So that's, you know. It's not the main event of a WrestleMania, but is the no. main, you know, so he, I, I'll stand by that Barbarian's a mid-carder. Magnum TA is not at this point. Correct. Yeah. Magnum's on his way up. Yeah. So I'm Barbarian just saying, I'm just, <laughs> exactly. So I'm just saying that when you got Animal, who's, you know, I don't know if the Road Warriors were ever truly mid-carders. I, I'd almost I say. I think so until I would, like maybe at the end there. Or exactly. Whatever, and not bar- in this era. <laughs> yeah. And the barbarian, you know, I, I, not to use these terms as if they're insults or anything, but that would represent, you know, mar- barbarian didn't really ever get to the main event. Not much. They had their moments, you know, like there's some big stuff for them, but it's, yeah, not, not consistently. There's little peaks, you know, <laughs> he literally gets a, he gets a, a pay-per-view title shot against Ron Simmons. But, you know, it's pretty uh, underwhelming and people don't really like the match. And, yeah. you know, there's a guy like with a gimmick got in the way. A little bit, because he has some good wrestling skills. I do. I did like him, you know, as a performer. Looks Just great. Didn't like the gimmick that much. Yeah. And then when they kind of made him with Bobby, when they changed him into like the the, the antler, more of a Conan. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thing. That didn't really necessarily help either. So didn't yeah. help. But I was less. I personally, I was less distracted. Then. Okay, that's good. All right, so we'll just jump into this match. So one really neat thing. So Barbarian's got Paul Jones in his corner. He's a pretty famous manager. He was a he was like. Ricky Steamboat's tag team partner back in the 70s. They were, you know, tag champs and stuff. I never got to see him wrestle. He had some pretty big injuries. So most people of a certain vintage, like ours, 
come across Paul Jones as this sort of weak on the mic heel manager. You know, he doesn't really stand up to the other greats of the era, but he's kind of one of these guys that like, you know, built his way into the business through like as being an actual wrestler. And then I guess had the connections and the loyalty and that's where he gets to keep being on TV. Even though sometimes you're kind of like, why is this guy getting the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 precisely. And then the little clip that I saw also didn't... I mean, a lot of times now, as we go back, I see what these guys had that I missed. Right, right. I, I'm not seeing it yet. <laughs> yeah, we'd have, you'd have to go pull up some like 70s, you know, Paul yeah. Jones matches and see him wrestle when he could yeah. move. And you I'm, know, I'm sure he had, you know, there's a reason. I've seen him in the ring wrestling, but I saw him after mm. the injuries and when he can't do what he, you know, what ah. he used to do. Uh, so, one really cool thing and really surprising thing, and they announced it at the beginning of the show, is that Harley Race is on commentary. So he's like, he had a squash match earlier in the show, and here we are, seven-time NWA world champion Harley Race is kind of reappeared on the scene. And this is like, you know, he's going to be in the WWF not too long from now. So I was, you know, I'd forgotten that he kind of had this last little swan song in the, in the NWA. Like, you know, it's kind of interesting. Did I tell you my uh, story that I heard from a wrestler? Agent Orange told me, he said that you didn't want to mess with Harley. Oh, yeah, though, he's, he's one of the notorious tough guys. And <laughs> uh, and he had, you know, and then he really drank a lot, you know, drinking yes. in the locker room. Yes, he had and, several famous boat and car accidents mm. and escaped them all. Well, anyway, the wrestler told me that somebody pissed him off in the locker room mm-hmm. and that uh, Harley slapped him around a bit in the locker room and then worked a real stiff match and then gave him oh. a couple more shots after. Oh, I, I, can't, I remember yeah. he, just, he just sort of told me like this, that sometimes there was real violence because he was telling yep. me this at uh, 12 or 13 year, years old yeah, when right. I'm like, oh, you know, this is all make believe. And he said, Harley Race would, you know, could hurt people. And, you know, I saw him beating people up in the locker room. Yeah, he was a legit tough guy, you know, like, and, and it's funny because in the 80s, he kind of, you're, you know, with this, the roided bodies and stuff, and he was at the end of his career, he didn't look like, he, you know, what, how is this guy beating people up? He's an old man, but yeah. it's like, but he could beat those guys up. <laughs> it was hard to take him seriously. But, you know, we, we didn't know about all his glory and, you know, everything he'd done in the in the, in the business and stuff like that. So, yeah, so we get this match and Harley Race is, is talking throughout, but, uh, you know, we'll just kind of focus on the match. So Barbarian's basically showing his power in the lockups and pushing Magnum off pretty hard and... Race is talking about how he'd love to have that U.S. belt again because that's a title he held at one time in his career. And so Barbarian's winning a test of strength and Magnum reverses the test of strength in an exchange and basically kicks Barbarian over the top rope. It's, it's pretty weird. He gives him like a kick, like Barbarian's kind of bent over and then he kicks and somehow flies over the top rope, but it's a little bit weird. On the outside, Barbarian charges at Magnum and he gives him a backdrop on the cement. So that was like, that's a pretty cool. Anytime you see somebody get back body dropped on the cement floor with no padding, you're like, oh, geez, because you can't really control your fall, right? Like when you're flipped in the air like that. It's not like a body slam where the guy can kind of maybe control your landing a bit better. Right. And sorry, I'm a bit of a word nerd here, but it's cement until it's hardened, then it's concrete. Oh, okay. And cementing is is also a verb to harden. Ah. Yeah. So when you get you know when you used to get those little airplane models, they didn't call airplane glue. If you look closely, they were like use the cement. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah. And then when they're doing streets and stuff like that, I think you can still call it cement until it's hardened. Then it's technically it's no longer a glue or a liquid. But the concrete, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So they're back in the, in the ring, and Magnum's working the arm, and at one point, Barbarian misses a clothesline. He tries to hit a clothesline, he misses it, and Magnum bounces off the ropes and comes back with this, like, jumping forearm. Not not like a Tito Santana forearm, but just like a jumping, like, you know, sort of stand. He's not launching himself at him, he's sort of just jumping up in the air, so he's high. So his, you know, his forearm sort of right into his face as opposed to reaching up. You know, it looks pretty good, it looks pretty devastating. And then for some reason, Magnum starts chasing Paul Jones around the ring. What did he ever do? (laughs) 
So basically, Barbarian tries to ambush Magnum as he's getting back in, but that backfires. So uh, finally, Barbarian gets an advantage off of a rope break, but he's kicked on the uh, back body drop attempt. So like he can't really, Barbarian's not getting any momentum, Like, and Magnum's pretty pretty tough here. He's been shown really strong. This is something that you wouldn't know if you're not watching, but like Magnum's coming out week after week and squashing guys in record time. Like His matches almost never go more than 20, 30 seconds. Like He's just bang, bang, it's over. So the fact that this is still going as his manager's going to allude to, <laughs> this is like some kind of a victory. I haven't lost yet. He's getting a Goldberg. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not so, my as I said, like Paul Jones literally is like leaning into the, the commentators on the mic and claiming victory, ah. <laughs> moral victory that it's not a thirty second match. So, <laughs> <laughs> literally, so they, did they you see to, how long that took? <laughs> <laughs> they go to commercial and when they come back, Barbarians have got the advantage. Doing shots, he drops oh, a leg right. drop. Oh, sorry, yeah, I, I was jumping like it's not over yet. Okay, <laughs> that's right, it's not over yet. Yeah. <laughs> he just hasn't lost yet. Right? He said, oh yeah, <laughs> claiming victory. Yeah, I get yeah. it. I get it. And then basically he throws Magnum off the ropes and gives him like basically what you would call like a slingshot clothesline. So he picks, you know, bear hugs him, falls backwards so that he, you know, nails Magnum's throat across the top rope. And that's a, you know, pretty devastating looking. And then he lifts him up into the, you know, the Ricky Steamboat Randy Savage choke. <laughs> Hangman choke. And Magnum's a big guy. So like holding him up there, that's pretty yeah. impressive. And gets a backbreaker for two. Barbarian with more strikes. And then he whips him into this great front kick. And that was my favorite thing about Barbarian is he had, and this one didn't look as good as ones that I've seen him do, but like, it's still really good. Like he has this, you know, earlier in the match, he sort of did a sabot kick that didn't look very good. But when he does that front kick, it looks like he's just killing you. You know, it looks really powerful. Kind of like the Hogan boot, but way better, right? Way better than the Hogan Hogan boot. Because Hogan just stands there running to me. Well, he just, yeah, he just lifts it and says, yeah, run into my foot. Barbarian, you know, he puts his foot in your face. (laughs) So yeah, after that, he misses a knee drop and then Magnum's off firing shots and uh, he whips him off for a drop kick, and Magnum's got right hands until there's like a headbutt that stuns him, and Barbarian lifts him for an atomic drop, and somehow like Magnum reverses it, and then he he's got him up an atomic drop. So like he he doesn't flip over the back the way Ricky Steamboat would. He sort of just Magnum almost like spins sideways, mm. and now he's go go behind, and then like right yeah you always sometimes you look at the the, the quick moves you yeah. know what the wrestlers are doing like how does the guy you had <laughs> what happened there like didn't you wouldn't your arm break if you tried that shit That's you know? right. So Magnum's atomic drop, though, causes a ref bump. So, like, when he when Barbarian comes down and hits the knee and goes forward, bang, ref gets squashed. So that's, uh, you know, that's going to be problems for Magnum. And then the camera misses it, but there's a quick belly-to-belly, which is Magnum's big super move, which kills everybody and would have ended the match. But, of course, the ref's not there. So at this point, Paul Jones comes in from behind with a cane. <laughs> and he's, he's hitting Magnum. And then, basically, Barbarian, now he's got the advantage because of that. So he's got this falling headbutt he does. And then... Race slides in and does a three count, like a super fast count. So Ray, Harley Race is like on the microphone leading up to that point going like, the ref's got to get up. You know, they need a ref. So then he runs in the ring in his wrestling in his wrestling gear, Harley Race. Yeah. Okay. And he does like a th- quick three count. And then so basically the heels celebrate. And so Magnum attacks Race. <laughs> He's like, screw you, buddy. And But he gets overwhelmed by the three of them because even Paul Jones is hitting him with the cane and stuff. And so Race gives him this sort of awkward looking backbreaker. And Barbarian goes up off the top rope for a headbutt. And then one second after that, Harley Race comes off the second rope (laughs) for a headbutt. Ah. (laughs) Harley wasn't ready to come off the top rope, I guess. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he regretted that move. Yeah. So Jones in there with more cane shots. And then finally, the Rock and Roll Express and the Boogie Woogie Man come in and clear the ring and save Magnum from his beating. And then you go to race with Harley Race with Tony Schiavone. And he's pretty funny. I got to give it to him. He's like, I didn't do anything but count him. He's the one that attacked me. (laughs) Arrest him. Exactly. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) 
So we're wrapping up the show. We got a couple of things that are left in this episode. This is another segment with the Road Warriors. Right. Well, well, this is the first half of the show. I, have, I mean, I'm sorry, this World Championship oh, Wrestling right. episode. Yeah, show can mean so many things. So many things. Yes, words. Well, I just love how everything's happening at once, that live feel. You know, it's it's just so cool because at the end of the main event that we just covered, the Road Warriors are on deck to be interviewed. And so as Harley Race, you know, had his exchange with Tony Schiavone. <laughs> Hawk's getting pissed off waiting to get That's on right. camera. So finally, Hawk takes off and he's like, I don't know what Harley Race thinks he's doing taking our interview time. You want something from us? You race, you're going to get it. So that's pretty great. And just everything yeah. feels like so much more real when you can respond to that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, and then Animal, you know, does a little heel talk like, that's what you get, two on one, three on one, all that stuff. He's basically pointing out that the bad guys need yeah. uh, superior numbers to, right. uh, to win. And talking tough. And he switches the subject to the heat they're building with the Koloffs, because the Koloffs have done some run-ins to mess with the Warriors. But yeah. what's so wild is, like, you know, the the Warriors, man, they get around. So they were in the AWA, out, well, it's hard to say earlier this year, but, like, because it's direct, direct changeover now. These are early 1986. So at end of 85, the Koloffs are, are interfering with Road Warrior matches. But earlier in 85... The Road Warriors are fighting the Hennings, so... That's right. Poor AWA. You know, they just can't keep the elite talent. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I gotta say that at least this is a fucking peak, awesome, amazing Road Warriors, unlike them in the WWE. So they went to the right place. Like Hogan... Oh, absolutely. Hogan was right for the WWF at the time, and the Road Warriors were right for the NWA. As far as where to go after the AWA, yes. they for sure landed in the right places in this golden era, mid-80s. Okay. Yeah, I also think the tag team scene here is a bit more developed early in 86 than it is early in 86 in WWF. It picks up steam in 86 and yeah. 87 and 88, and that's a great, great glory period for the WWF. But as we've talked about on the Saturday State events, we were like, at one point we were like, there's only like, you know, three little real teams. And then like, you know, they just have to slap guys together. But very quickly after that, the yeah. teams pick up. I'm glad they wound up here once they left Vern. Yeah. Okay, so the Koloffs, they're complaining about how the Koloffs came in and caused trouble for them on probably their squash matches. And then Hawk has got some paraphernalia. I guess NWA wants to get in. I don't know if they've... I've never saw this shirt again, but Hawk goes on to tell Tony Schiavone, I'm sure you're a fan of the Road Warriors. And so they made a... He said, there's two kind of people, weasels and weasel slappers. And I'm thinking, you're not in the AWA anymore. Bobby Heenan's in a different league. You know, what's with the weasels? Yeah. But they have... It's almost like Vern printed up a lot of people on the show calling Paul Jones a weasel. So, I mean, yeah. Okay. So he gives Tony Schiavone a weasel slapper shirt because the road warriors are weasel slappers <laughs> right. and Koloffs are weasels and they give them the shirt and that's the end of that promo yeah it almost looks like a like a homemade shirt like jim crockett promotions is one thing they're really bad at is like especially this early on like merchandising and stuff like that like they didn't know how to capitalize on the success of the rock and roll express they didn't know how to capitalize even if like the horseman even became this big popular thing like the stuff you see in the crowds like is fan-made right guys start showing up in suits and sunglasses for the horsemen it's not like they're buying some gear wdf was like selling the foam fingers and like they knew how to, they knew how to make fingers money everywhere. off everything you know put like, down that foamy finger i can't see the ring <laughs> that's right yeah so i would i would assume this shirt was almost like probably like a one-off just for the purpose of the promo you know even because i mean arn said like it was very rare and i think at this time in the nwa it was almost like self you know you had to do it yourself kind of thing like if you were selling shirts you had to 
go and you know get them printed and kind of sell them. I'm sure there's some sort of consignment deal or something where staff at the arena were selling it for you. But I mean, it's not like Arn Anderson sitting in the foyer trying to sell a shirt for himself. But you get my point. You know, they weren't good at merchandise, and that's why I think this is sort of just a, a prop for the uh, for the interview. Okay, so the show's going to close out with an enraged Magnum TA. So he's you know back on his feet. He's collected himself, and he's really hot. Sometimes Magnum, when he's being interviewed, will be very understated, very dull. In fact, you know, very quiet, very low energy. But this is a hot Magnum. This is a Magnum, like, ready to tear Fire it off. Yeah. He wants to get acquainted with Paul Jones in 1986. So he's really mad that Paul Jones has orchestrated this attack on him. And But he's got real serious business with Harley Race. And he's like, I'm the champ and you're not. And you're my main man now. And I don't think you're half the man you once were. So, you know, he storms off the set. And that's how we're going to close out the January 4th show. And it really gives us this, like broad picture of everything that is going to happen at Superstars and the Super Superstation. And we are going to continue to cover stuff in these next two episodes, but we're really going to trim it and speed through because it's really just more supporting evidence and information and promos for that show, kind of touching on all the same themes and people. And even the squash matches, we see a lot of the same wrestlers appear again. So, but there are some important angles and a, you know another good match. So we'll, we'll pick out the best stuff, but we'll certainly speed up the process here to get us to the second half a little quicker and make sure that we leave ourselves lots of time to properly cover the, the big show. The big show. Sauce. Superstars on the Superstation. <laughs> okay, here we go. So the intro for the January 11th, does have a, you know a flashback that shows us a good clip. Yes, the first edition of the Midnight Express are in their street clothes, or at least half of them anyway. They got their trousers on, and they're beating up the Rock and Roll Express. So this will grab your attention as far <laughs> exactly. as an opener. You're like, what's going on? You're getting some good action. So yeah, that, that uh, opens with a bang. And it's Dennis <laughs> Condry. Well, I didn't give Dennis Condry a fair shake because I have my Stan Lane fan club. <laughs> because <laughs> I love the fabulous ones so when Stan Lane joined I uh, thought he was you know cooler looked better and uh, but you know there's a, that actually turns out there's nothing wrong with Dennis Condry yeah he's he's very well liked and he's he's kind of had a resurgence a renaissance of like you know younger fans fans that didn't have access to the promotion whatever the case may be sort of going like oh okay this guy that kind of looked like an athletic Oliver Humperdinck or something you know like <laughs> well like, I, yeah, he's I a good performer yeah well when you compare when you compare him to Oliver Humperdinck but I was going to question the term athletic there right? in comparison to yeah. <laughs> but he can do stuff and he can he can work the crowd you know he's, he's so good at that kind of stuff so there's an interview with ron garvin not super important we'll skip through most of it the only thing he really talks about is how that he's looking at that belt as a way to like that's a hat that's worth a half a million dollars like if you're the world champion you're gonna make a half a million dollars in the year kind of thing and dusty Rhodes has said that in another interview and it's kind of an ongoing theme so it's interesting how they really talk about dollars and cents in the nwa in a way that like wdf wrestlers were never on tv going like i want to beat hogan because i'm gonna have all this money like i just you know yeah i never really heard that promo more of that childish approach yeah, exactly so another interview segment is with the russians and they're out after a nikita match a squash match and they talk about their uh, Russian tour. So I think they come in on Barry Darso who's holding a, a black and white photo of him and Ivan beating up some jumps over in a Japan show. And then they pan out to the desk and you see them there and they're all kind of laughing. And one of the funny things with, you know, so Ivan's got like a legitimate voice and then you've got Nikita who's like spent a lifetime, you know, basically pretending to be Russian. And then you have Barry who just doesn't even try. <laughs> He's like really? totally in his like Minneapolis accent. Yeah, like oh, oh, yeah, wow. he, he does nothing to disguise his voice at all. That's hilarious. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't hear any of his promos yet. <laughs> it's just smash, baby. 
That's right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, oh, it really tough. stands out, you know. Oh, man. I guess it's kind of like the uh, Kevin Costner Robin Hood, you know. He just They decided he couldn't do a good enough accent, so just forget it, you know. Oh, like, <laughs> Lord, yeah, but that's just cringe town. Yeah. So one of the funny things, just to wrap it up with the Russians, is that, like, people love, is, you know, Nikita Koloff had a few things he would say, like, every promo, especially in this area, be like, MAGA DA. <laughs> that's his Magnum DA, MAGA. <laughs> <laughs> and he had Shatoata uh, and like people that speak Russian are like that's not a word <laughs> so like he just made this word up and to this day on podcasts he will not let it's a he knows it he knows everyone wants to know what it's supposed to have meant and he won't tell anybody it's his big secret <laughs> he's taking it to the grave <laughs> yeah he was so committed to his character you gotta admire that and they mentioned in this promo that uh Crusher Khrushchev is the Mid Atlantic champion, which I kind of hadn't realized. So that's kind of interesting. That he's got this belt. Humbug, I say. Yeah. So then we're going to get a segment with Mr. Ric Flair. So we have another promo with Ric Flair. He's being interviewed by Tony Schiavone. And this is a weird one. He comes on with a tape recorder, uh, not even a ghetto <laughs> blaster, but more it looks like the machine my mom used to drag around to interviews when she was a journalist for CBC. Uh, chunky black thing and he's got uh, he comes in and all he wants to do is play a song and he plays the wanderer which <laughs> the lyrics are all about you know chasing skirts and getting That's chicks right. getting laid and, and uh rick kind of sings along but only to about like 10 percent of it it's very uh bizarre little promo because it goes on for about 80 to 90 seconds and there isn't much there except for rick saying listen to the songs it's a strange yeah, one like, i know i've come up to music but this is my song you know and yeah it's like, you already got a song <laughs> it's not the last appearance unfortunately of uh this tune but we'll get to that when we do <laughs> All right, that's going to be followed up by a Dusty segment. Funny thing happens, we're watching this recording and it's got the actual TV ads from the time. So there's a Sports Illustrated uh, TV commercial with uh, Lou Ferrigno, the original Hulk. That's uh, Lyle Isato, he's an NFL player. Oh, he, 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 I insist, it was Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> Well, okay. I'll, I'll a familiar, a familiar looking. <laughs> definitely, definitely familiar for the eighties. Yeah. yeah, he sure looked like a guy that I knew. That name doesn't ring a bell to me, except for that I'm sure I must know it because stuff I re- that you would have saw in the eighties yeah. for sure. Okay, so anyway, it's pretty funny because we're watching an NWA show, and it just so happens that at, as they are piling up a big stack of pro, re- oh, no, of Sports Illustrated magazines. There's the Hogan cover shows up on an NWA show. <laughs> Vince right. must have been cackling with glee if he realized that happened. So I, for a second there, I was like, what are we watching again? Because we've been covering NWA, WWF, and AWA. So Dusty, I think he's part black because he loves to come on. The first thing he talks about Ric Flair singing along to the song. Yeah. He says, Ric Flair's rhythm proof that white people have no rhythm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there was something about Dusty. He, uh, he certainly liked to appeal to everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And personally, of course, I am the exclusion that the roads, the American <laughs> dreams, got some rhythm. I know how to swing and soul, job, brother. But anyway, uh, there isn't much more than it. You know, when you have this many appearances, it's kind of like somebody comes on and says, the sky is blue. And somebody else will come on and say, like, no, the sky is pink or, or whatever. So it's, yeah. you know, Ric Flair comes out and Dusty sings. Dusty comes out and makes fun of Ric Flair singing. For sure. Arn Anderson describes this as this way. They would on TV. The bad guys basically normally got a lot of the sort of last laughs, so to speak, to continue storylines. At the house shows, 
the good guys almost always went over. So like the bad guys were almost always losing at the house shows. And then, but then what they would do, the beauty of it is they'd get back on TV the next week and like deny it ever happened. <laughs> you know, like if somebody, if the announcer's like, but what about Saturday? You've lost to such and such. And he'd be like, that never happened. <laughs> you know, like. Nice. So it's just their way to kind of keep it going and like keep, keep passing it along. So we end up with another Tully Blanchard and JJ Dillon promo. And they're kind of like, tied at the hip in all these these episodes here and what they're talking about is the domino effect they mentioned earlier in the first the, the previous episode and their mission to take out dusty Rhodes allies so we move into a clip of an arena show and basically it's the boogie woogie man and he's got a sleeper on a wrestler named black bart who we've seen in other stuff and but tully blanchard comes charging out in his street clothes like basically in his suit minus the jacket and he attacks and basically he does this thing where he like nails Boogie Woogie. He gets him out of the ring and nails him into the post. And then with JJ's help, he does a spiked pile driver on the floor. And then basically they come back to the live interview and like, Valent, your history. And Dusty and Magnum, think about it. You know, you're next kind of stuff. And Tully says he'll have the national title on one shoulder and the U.S. title on the other shoulder. <laughs> and I'll have the 24-7, you know, around my waist. Ridiculous. <laughs> So then I think we're going to have a Rock and Roll Express promo. Well, Robert Gibson was never the talker of the team, and this little promo proves it. Um, (laughs) They've been selling a throat injury to Ricky Morton because he just kind of pounds his fist in the table and nods his head. But really, he was... He was the appeal of the team. He was he the was, charisma. Robert Griffin's a great worker. He, he was a Jennifer Aniston of the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> he didn't have the charisma. Uh, well, sorry. Yeah, we we I we were both we both were saying something about different wrestlers. So yeah. Robert Gibson was a good worker, you yeah. know, and he you know it uh, not to dismiss him, but it seems that I think most people would say that Ricky was the uh, you know the the real drive behind yeah. the team because he had his. You know, they never really gave Robert Gibson much of an angle against Flair. If if not if no other evidence the fact that they gave ricky morton a, a run against i definitely flair. know he had like a, he'd have those random title shots like anybody would have against flair but never a storyline the way ricky morton had it right you know you never felt like he was gonna win it <laughs> you, know, yeah. you probably knew he wasn't gonna win whereas ricky morton you're like hey he might win this right anyway it was really quick and only robert gibson talks and he stammers and flubs so it's you know not great <laughs> so now we get back to our our good friend mr jim Cornette, and he's with tony shivani and Jim's laughing because Robert is upset, so he's not, not taking him seriously. And it's a matter, Ricky, does the cat have your tongue? He's making fun of him that he can't talk and stuff like that, which is pretty good. And they're there. He's, he's basically, they're showing the footage of this injury angle that Jeff just referenced. And I love it because Jim Cornette says, we just came to the ring to inform the ref of the, you know, there were some rules being broken. <laughs> like, that's the only reason we are out there. Good citizens. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, and Cornette basically at this point is saying, how big and bad are you now? Can you talk if you've got a busted up throat? I wish my mother and grandmother could see this. Do you know what I would say to my grandmother if she was here? What are you doing here, Grandma? You, you've been dead for nine years. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good joke. <laughs> and then basically Tony tries to talk and he turns, what do you want? <laughs> he snaps at him. It's really mm. funny. So Tony thinks that what they just saw was the, one of the worst things. So what they did just see was basically the Midnight Express attacking the Rock and Roll Express and getting rid of Robert Gibson, throwing him out of the ring. And then Jim Cornette goes down on one knee like he's going to propose to somebody and takes his tennis racket and props it up so that the racket end is pointed straight to the sky. And then Bobby and Dennis pick up Ricky Morton like a body slam kind of position and then drop him so that his throat lands on the top of the racket and Ricky Morton sells it like he's, you know, he's been, his throat's been broken or whatever, you know. So that's, and that's pretty. Yeah, that's why Robert Gibson's doing the talking. That's right. And then Robert gets back in and chases them off and that's, you know, we, we're, we are where we are. 
And I, he makes this strange comment, which I don't understand, and he keeps saying it a few times in a row, but he says, uh, I don't give a tinker's twiddle. <laughs> he gives a few different examples about, like, I don't give a tinker's twiddle about Robert Gibson. I don't give a tinker's twiddle about Ricky Morton. And Never heard that else. one. Tinkers. Yeah, I don't, even, I don't even know what it was. And he promises they're going to be the next champs and announces them into, like, again, into a squash match. So the, the Midnight Express are coming out for a tag team match, and Jim Cornette's announcing them from, from the desk as part of the interview. So it's kind of this on you know this thing he always does with them. It's pretty good. And from there, we're going to go to a pretty strange segment called the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Scouting Report. So the wrestling magazines have a very large presence on this particular program and really involved with this league, which I took note of because this is my heyday of wrestling magazines. I wasn't able to watch these wrestlers, but I certainly read about them. And I, for example, that's how I knew about the controversy of Jim Cornette, manager of the year. Yes, right. And so we have Bill Apter, kind of like the head honcho of uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, sitting and interviewing Magnum TA. Um, so it's, you know, a 90 minute to two hour pro- broadcast so they give this segment like eight or nine minutes, way too long, but there were a couple of gems in there. Uh, one thing that was cool was they showed a little compilation of the tournament to choose the TV champ. And I kind of wish that we could see the whole thing because it had some awesome there, uh, animals in there. Not Hawk that I could tell, but uh, Jimmy Boogie Woogie Valiant was uh, in there. Tully was in there. Yeah. Arn was in there. Who And eventually he wins it. Yeah. Um, we saw the Barbarian. Barbarian. Ron Bass. Ron Bass. Black Bart. Wahoo McDaniel, if we didn't say that already. Yeah, no, we didn't. And I think the final appeared to be Wahoo versus Arn. Correct. Yeah, that seemed to be it. So that was cool. But as far as a 10-minute segment, they only gave us 40 seconds of this awesome wrestling tournament. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and more. as I mentioned earlier, like Magnum's look like he's uh, ready for bed. Like he's yeah. so subdued. Yeah. He's so quiet and like like he's he's talking in a monotone voice. So it's kind of like when you're at school and if they don't, if the teacher doesn't change the tone, it's like, yeah, you know, you're ready to go pretty, to sleep. Pretty boring section. The only other uh, entertaining part, I mean, they talk about all these like, different wrestlers and Magnum just talks about them and it's, yeah, it's pretty boring. But there is a funny part where they go to Nikita Koloff and he's like wrestling a junior high substitute teacher or something. <laughs> this guy's so skinny, scrawny, you know, student. Archie with a mustache come to life yeah, or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he just looks so overmatched that he's just getting clobbered by Nikita. And they, they have a look at this poor guy getting battered. Otherwise, the scouting report by, uh, you know, featuring Bill Apter and uh, Magnum TAA is a bit of a snooze. Yeah. Yeah, so they move on from that segment, and we're going to go to back to the desk with interview with Tony Schiavone and Baby Doll. And this time, she's not with Dusty. She's out there by herself, but she's got his belt. <laughs> she's carrying his belt over her shoulder. And then, you know, just really quickly, she just addresses. She's out there for a while, but, I mean, I'll just say the one line that's worth it. It's like she's talking to Arn Anderson, and I'm not out here cooking her barefoot. And the match is set, and you are going to have some broken bones. So she kind of goes back to that all the time that, like, you know, you're on our list. You're next. And they're always threatening what happened to Oli's going to happen to you. And from there, we're going to go to the premiere match for this episode. It's an important one. So it's that Mid-Atlantic Championship. Crusher Khrushchev defending his title against Sam Houston. Okay, well, didn't take notes, so we're not going to really do the collar and elbow because we, we got to get on to the actual Yeah, I think sauce. the finish is really all we need. Yeah. And, and, and that big move on the outside on the cement. <laughs> yeah, concrete. Concrete. Yeah, Sorry. so Sam Houston's quite a slender guy. I didn't realize that he was featured in kind of main storylines you know he sort of seemed like jobber plus in and yeah I mean, WF, he didn't get a great run there in 87 88 or whatever it was when he was there he was definitely there at the second survivor series i recall and he kind of fell out of favor here in jim crockett and that's why he ended up in wwf 
but he definitely in the mid-Atlantic region and, and J- Jim Crockett and stuff, he was used in a much, in a much larger way. Well, there was an amazing military press. That's one of the benefits of being so scrawny is the big guys can throw That's you around. right. <laughs> yeah. So Khrushchev, Barry Darsaw, uh, does a great military press outside of the ring, like where the camera's just got a great shot and it looks really good. And um, I can't say that I've seen him do a lot of press slams. No. And this one looked like, he looked like as good as anybody at it. But again, it's because it's because of how slender Sam Houston is and he's mm. probably got great core strength and he's right. posting up and it, it looks great. And then he just, yeah, yeah he falls, it's like he's falling off the second story of a building or something, you yeah. know, like... And he drops him to the Kong. Yeah, yeah, flat. To the Kong. Like, not a slam, but just like a face first. Like, yeah, sort of like Ultimate Warrior would let you drop. So Yeah, and I never thought that looked very good in the ring, but on the concrete, it looks pretty Yeah, <laughs> it looks pretty good. And it gives the dropee a lot more control. Yeah, for sure. So the real point of this match is the Road Warriors come and get revenge for yeah. the Koloffs interfering with their business. So they come out and they mess around and Sam Houston has taken a real beating and he's been working on the leg of Khrushchev as well. That's been his strategy to victory. But, you know, he's so much smaller than Khrushchev that he's at this point in the match near the end, he's just, you know, barely in there. He's been taking such a beating. But anyway, somehow Sam Houston winds up outside the ring and Khrushchev gets a bit distracted so Animal ends up picking up Sam Houston and pressing him over his head but it doesn't actually look as good as Barry Darsaw's nowhere near as good as as Khrushchev's military press Animal's such a great press slam guy too yeah strange anyway and the idea is that from the floor Animal is press slamming and throwing Sam Houston as a as in a Bricky Steamboat body press but target (laughs) yeah so he you know or fastball special or whatever minus the claws (laughs) 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 anyway so now now Sam Houston is the missile, uh, the uh, projectile weapon, That's and he, right. and he gets, but he doesn't quite make it over the ro- top rope. Needs a little help. Needs a little help. <laughs> and Kristoff's got to, you know, grab him, grab him and much. help him <laughs> over the rope, and then take the body press too. Yeah, you that's know? right. It yeah. doesn't work so great, but you have to overlook a lot of things. You well, know. I said the one thing that really saves that segment is that Khrushchev is selling his legs so badly that's the reason that he can't just like sort of, you know, swat him away like a fly. Yeah. So uh, Sam Houston's on top of him and then to seal the deal or to cement the deal, Animal grabs Khrushchev. <laughs> he he goes, goes low so he yeah, can't yeah, be seen by the ref. Bobby Heenan style. <laughs> yeah. And he grabs one of Khrushchev's boots so he can't kick properly out. kick out. And it's and the it's, camera angle. It's so perfect. Because like animals kind of off off scene, you just see his hand pop up. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Unusual weasel move for you know the weasel slapper. It. Yeah, <laughs> and, like and it's a title change. Yeah. Uh, so Sam Houston's got some gold. I mean, That's there's right. plenty of gold to go around. <laughs> But uh, yeah, really amazing finish to this match, and it's setting up, you know, our sauce. Yeah. And I and I I don't see anywhere else it happens along the way. But there's basically, I'm pretty sure this is the angle that's going to take Crusher Khrushchev sort of out of the out of the picture for a little while. And we're going to see coming up in a minute what there's sort of like a replacement with the Russians as far as like who's joining their ranks to battle the Road Warriors. I just realized superstars on the Superstation. I guess yeah. that's saw. Wait, sots. S s o t s s. Okay, so uh, Arn Anderson. How, uh, it won't be long before he debuts at Smash. 86? Yeah, so uh, no, uh, no, eighty-seven. So oh. they're in before WrestleMania three. They're on the Saturday Night's Main Event in the March of eighty-seven. They debut, I think, a couple of months before that. Oh, is he in the first incarnation? But he's, he's not. He's ah. the replacement. So like Axe and yeah, yeah, pardon, yeah. By Mar- by March, it's still Moondog in the in the Battle Royal. So yeah. Oh really? Axe. I've, I've never oh. seen Moondog demolition in a Battle Royal. 
Yeah, in the famous like pre WrestleMania three battle royal, the Hogan uh, Andre. Uh, well, I, is that the suit of armor? No, 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 no. That's not the Lanny Poffo. No, uh, no. Lanny Poffo does a stretcher job, though. Andre gets his hand on him, and uh, that reminds really good. That so, means yeah. a bell of. We're, we're gonna be covering that soon enough. So we'll okay, <laughs> and then I can look for Moondog Rex as demolition. Yeah, yeah. He it stands out because he doesn't have the physique of. Uh, yeah. Not that the demolition was that great of a physique, but no. When you start comparing to that flabby Moondog, they start looking like pretty muscular. So now we're gonna have an Arn Anderson segment, and what is happening really is that Arn's in a match. And baby dolls come back out, and she's watching Arn Anderson's match. And she actually distracts him. Like, he sees her at the desk, and he gets all, you know, he's been beating the crap out of this guy. And then, so the jobber sneaks over and gets, like, a, you know, a schoolboy roll from behind. Gets a two count. <laughs> Humiliation. Yeah, that's right. So Arn's sick of that. So he, uh, you know, he, he does the gourd buster and finishes that guy off. So he can charge over to the, the interview seg area with the great world championship wrestling backdrop and you know sometimes and, does that get called the sidewalk slam by some people the gourd buster no because it's like a it's like a front suplex he would he would lift the guy up like he oh, was doing a suplex yeah. and then he would drop him back down on that his face. is right okay yeah okay yeah. so he would do the sidewalk slam thing later the spine buster spine he, buster he, right arn anderson invented the spine buster so the spine buster is the spinning catch you know like yeah, the guy puts his leg around your waist luthez press dial but yeah then he and catches then you, you spin him and slam him down okay. and that's arn anderson's spine move and nobody buster. does it as good Ron Simmons did like the sidewalk slam which is basically the guy runs into you and you're a brick wall and you just kind of almost like almost chokeslam him but right in front of you by you putting your hand on his chest and his waist let's say lifting him up a bit and then just slamming him down right it, it he's gotta amazing. be coming he gotta be coming off the ropes for that it needs momentum yeah the yeah. guy's gotta charge at you or be bounced off the ropes mm-hmm. exactly and Arn Anderson can hit the spine buster from almost anywhere and he did it to almost everyone I think he did a spine buster on like Vader <laughs> you know like so and stuff like that so he was that was his move his baby and you know, everyone but not yet. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. He's definitely the Gord Buster is his finisher, and we haven't seen the Spine Buster yet. Mm. And he's kind of known for three finishers. But we'll, uh, right now, it's the Gord Buster. And a lot of people apparently didn't like taking the Gord Buster. Arn Anderson said they were worried about it. They didn't want to take it. Mm. What was, it was the third one? He d- he did a he started D- in eighty. He, yeah, he started doing a DDT, DDT in like yeah, around eighty-eight. Don't like that. Well, he did it differently though. His his DDT looked different than Jake's, and I give mm. him credit for that. And he also, like Jake, was very thoughtful of like unique ways to get to it. So, like, I think he's probably got the second best. Him and Michael Hayes are probably, like, tied for second best DDT. Jake's, like, on the mountain way above all of, all of them on his own. <laughs> yeah. And all these ham and eggers today, they're That's all, right. you know, they don't count. <laughs> <laughs> you got the refs giving DDTs out. Is there warning yeah. DDT? <laughs> so then Arn Anderson charges over the desk and asks, since when does Dusty Rhodes need a woman to speak for him? Where are you, Rhodes? And he's like, you know, Arn's hair is kind of crazy at this point because he's all sweaty and he looks pretty funny. And what you see, the camera pans out, Dusty's in the ring. So Dusty's in his street clothes in the ring waiting for him. And Arn Anderson's talking big, but he doesn't realize that Dusty's behind him in the ring. And so the David Crockett's kind of, oh, kind of really playing it up and like, why don't you, do the, why don't you turn around and see where he is kind of thing and really hamming it up. And so then uh, Arn Anderson, at this point, Baby Doll's headed over and she's kind of up on the apron on Dusty's side of the ring. And Arn's thinking about it. So he starts putting his hand up on the rope and he starts to pull himself up and they make reference to the fact that the other horsemen aren't there. So like, you know, like it was, what's Arn going to do? And then finally Arn decides that he basically decides against He's not now. This isn't the time. So he leaves and that's the, uh, that's how the episode ends. Uh, so it's kind of cool. Like they kind of leave it on a cliffhanger, let's say, right? And continuing to build that story on our way to our special event. And that brings us to the January 18th episode and another cool pre-credit intro. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so we're into that January 18th episode. We're going to fire through it really quick here because there's not too much that we need to get us on. It's just kind of repeating. So we do need to touch on a couple of things. This will be the express version, if you can uh, (laughs) forgive the pun. (laughs) The takeout. Uh, So Tony announces that the responses for this mail-in campaign for superstars in the Superstation called Dream Matches at this point is so overwhelming that they're going to have, instead of just one match, they're going to have several matches. He says, I don't know if it's going to be six or seven matches or four matches. It ends up being four, but that's what they're going to do so now they they know where they're going with this uh we're going to skip over it's important to note ronnie garvin has a promo doesn't matter what he says it's just important to note that he has you know he comes out we've seen him because we're going to see him again so there's uh flares out he's got some funny stuff talking about uh, rendezvous at hotel paradise and he's telling some of the girls in the crowd to you know they better watch out because if a dog catcher comes in here this place is going to be empty and he's <laughs> insulting a lot of the women and all this stuff and then he says and there's some of my ladies over there and the camera shows a couple of women that are cheering for him and stuff like that it's pretty funny yeah um so again he's talking to garvin moving on and uh the odds he says garvin if you if it if you or anyone else believes you can knock me out the odds of that are astronomical <laughs> so he kind of setting that setting up that he's you know that can't happen and then we're gonna have a promo with the russians it's not really too important what they say but it's important because there's a replacement yes well paul jones who i didn't really know much about prior to today comes out and he says oh if you really want to get to that you know if you really want to stick in the eye of the good guys you'll hire an american and i'm an american and i'm going to lend you my german (laughs) that's right and so baron von raschke our awa that's right face is here as a heel (laughs) and uh, he's been lent to the russians and uh this didn't get a lot of attention in the wrestling magazines i don't know why they didn't but i didn't i didn't know this yeah he looked funny and I've said this on a different recording that, you know, he kind of looks out of place in the NWA, but I mean, he he's does. here and he's yeah. back to being a heel. And I mean, you know, really, there's not much difference between Ivan Koloff and Baron Von Rash. Height <laughs> and Baron, I guess, uh, Ivan facial hair. More powerful, you know, and, and the funny thing too is that there's two people, in, you know, doing the claw at this point because Ron Bass has been in some matches using a claw and now Baron Von Raschke is here yeah. using the claw. It's a face Ron Bass, I noted. Yeah, yeah, kind of. It's a weird, I, I haven't yep. seen enough of it to really figure it out, but that yep. is strange, yeah. And so, yeah, there's a Dusty and, and Baby Doll with Tony, and they're talking about, you know, different stuff with Arn, with old Arn being concerned about what happened to Oli, all that stuff. I'm going to skip over that because it's not important. Magnum's out, he's pissed off. <laughs> We're moving on. Yeah, that's funny. The fans didn't vote for a Magnum match. Yeah, it's at interesting. Storyline, yeah. at least storyline wise, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover that when we come back from our break. About and sort yet of... they spent 15 boring minutes with him talking <laughs> to Magnum TA on uh, yeah, pro wrestling scouting report. So th- this part's kind of important. There's an update from a doctor, Doctor Joseph Yazonic or something like that. Uh, an update on Dusty Rhodes. So he's Dusty Rhodes' doctor. He goes on to talk about how he's fully recovered now, and the ankle's healed, and the boot, the protective boot that the horsemen are complaining about, is no longer needed. Right. Arn Anderson was saying it's a steel toe boot. Yeah, yeah, no one's doing anything about it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I told everybody. So Arn Anderson, yeah, he, he comes in with a promo from this and, you know, he says he doesn't come out to make an idiot of himself, you know, spitting and screaming, but he's irate. So this is about his magic. You're going to see. I'm in bread. I'm irate. <laughs> I don't like so, that boot. So Dusty's, you know, doctor has cleared him. His own doctor, not my doctor, his doctor kind of thing. And you know, he's using it as a weapon. He's demanding that the boot be taken off. And, you know, they're going to lock him in me in a cage. There's a host match coming up where he's going to have a cage match with Dusty. And he's kind of like, I got to be locked in there with this animal, with this weapon. And what are they going to do about it? And all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. So, yeah, Arn is just like really great at his promos. And I, I'll put him over all the time. You got the that. cast over in the WWF. You got the boot here in NWA. That's right. What were they doing in the AWA? <laughs> well, she get the cast. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, she had the cast. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot, man. He was all... Star Cage. Uh, yeah, Cage. Was Starcast. That's right. <laughs> so it was a Jim Cornette promo, Rock and Roll Express, all that stuff. We'll, we'll move on. So this is where it gets important. Now, Ron Garvin's out for his second time on the, on the interview stage, and somebody's going to come track him down. Well... Ric Flair bursts onto the scene and like they go nose to nose, but his nose to nose is almost like a mini headbutt. You know, when they, you know, yeah. So it's almost like the first blow is already struck. Ronnie Garvin appears to be a bit uh, flustered by it because Flair gets in and, and uh, he turns to Tony like, you stay out of this and bow. He's got that. That's his excuse to get the first sucker punch. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't take much. He just looks away and that's enough to like, just, you know, to keep Ronnie Garvin's guard down, let's yeah. say, you know. so Garvin really sells his punch. He goes down, stunned, and and uh, is not really able to defend himself. No, yeah. So Flair has the time to strip down to his, <laughs> you right, know. the tie, the yeah, jacket. Exactly. <laughs> I think the watch comes off. <laughs> yeah, so Ronnie's got to play dazed, a little too dazed yeah. for the damage uh, done, but never mind, you got to overlook these little things. Yeah. And then, but it, it starts to look like it's going to be embarrassing because Flair leads him over to the ring. I mean, I really do love the setup, how one room has got the interview area and the ring and the fans it's just so it, different it's like it's a really... permanent piper's pit right there you know yeah, like just you know, always going <laughs> and you know there's only 50 people there but it doesn't matter you know they sound loud they do it's uh and it's just also you know sincere and genuine like yeah. whatever those 50 people are feeling you know they're not the actors they're you know responding in a very real way anyway so yeah flair it starts to look like the bully is going to kick the crap out of this guy and he leaves Garvin in the ring and the camera follows Ron so Ric Flair comes over to basically gloat that he's already taken out Ronnie Garvin he's done he left him in the <laughs> ring he's finished it's over yeah. I said collect the 50, 50 grand <laughs> bounties <laughs> the bounties yeah, do trip ball under the top rope and get some money that's right <laughs> here you go here it is <laughs> and so Ric Flair says you see you get and pow <laughs> we don't really quite see it but Ronnie you know gets him from behind and um Ronnie starts to show a, a bit of ag- aggression, which we were wondering, what, where, where's this been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's so dazed, so surprised, because he sees yeah. Flair coming. He's interviews, yeah. walks Flair, watch, watches Flair walk right up to him, and then just, yeah, you know, gets... Clocked. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we end up, well, you know, Flair's now only got his dress pants on, but he's... Uh, he, actually, Flair looks really muscular in this clip. Like, he looks yes, as yeah. big and strong and as muscular as at any point that I can think about. Like, he, he did look pretty powerful. Yeah, his back was always impressive. Yeah. And, you know, shoulders, and, and he didn't quite have the same biceps as other guys, but he had big triceps and he had thick arms, you know? Yeah, so, so he, he actually looked very... His physique looked great in, the, in this uh, clip, Ric Flair. Yep. Um... And uh, you can uh, help guide me here, but it's not long before Anderson and Blanchard show up, and yeah. we have a three-on-one, and they're and they're clobbering. Like a pack of dogs, yeah. they're all over him, holding yeah. him in place, so Flair can really get those chops in and really yeah. get to him. Um, but when that happens. It's just a matter of time before. Oh, well, the other huge thing that they've been selling is like Flair saying, you can't knock me out, can't be done. That's that's key. And <laughs> exactly. Ronnie Garvin's gimmick is the hands of stone. And it, yes. Like, you know, sure, he can punch you all through the match, but when he puts his mind to it, that punch is a knockout punch. That's right. Yeah, he's got this killer killer knockout blow. Um, which is actually more, it's kind of funny because like, you know, the way Hogan punches and, you know, unless you want to be stiff and risk the bones in your hand, these guys have to like, 
turn their hand at the last second and land with the meaty, fleshy part that, you know, if you were karate chopping people, you'd be hitting with the certain, not the finger part of the edge yeah, of your hand, yeah. but the edge of your hand. So they, they, it looks like the knuckles are coming and the last second they take a little U-turn, you know, and they hit you with that <laughs> fleshy side of your hand, yeah. right? So, uh, you know, it's, it's necessary to keep the performer safe. So when they slow-mo Ronnie Garvin's hands of stone at the last second, you can see like, ah, that's a ch- chop punch, <laughs> right. a punch chop. Um, you also, you could notice Hogan's punches always did that, how he would flatten his, he yeah. would side his hand. But Vader, Vader would punch you with his knuckles. Yeah, you some notice guys that? definitely did. I also noticed when they were like, sometimes when they're punching guys right along the railing or something and they're really close to the fans, that's when it's kind of like, all right, we got to we gotta land some real shots here because Potatoes. otherwise the, uh, yeah. you know, it's going to be too obvious. And Vader was famous for throwing potatoes when, right, when, he, yeah. when he would punch you for real, uh, apparently. Right. So uh, lots of action at the end of the show. So the faces come and uh, they've been, set, you know, Ronnie's Garvin's like, I can punch you. I can knock you out. And Flair's like, you can't knock me out. This was all earlier. So now, you know, we got the three on one. But uh, here comes help. Sam Houston comes out to help and Dusty Rhodes goes all around the other side. So Sam Houston basically occupies Flair on the yeah, he, camera side of the ring. He gets rim. taken out, but he does his job just long enough to like yeah. yeah distract everything and then Dusty goes around to deal with the Boston's <laughs> Tony yeah, Blanchard he grabs and, uh, a, I think he yeah. grabs Anderson's leg or something yeah because they're double teaming Garvin but uh, he manages to get involved Dusty so that Garvin can break free of the uh, of, of Blanchard and Anderson and then Flair turns around to go restart the triple team but Garvin's free That's and right. lands a hand of stone yeah. and knocks Flair out and he's yeah. like plays unconscious for the next three and minutes and they really play it up yeah they have to carry the horsemen carry him off, yeah. off the set and it's 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 important to note here that the cameraman essentially misses the punch and Jim yeah. Crockett unfortunately has a lot of this now there's a sneak attack episode that we recorded where we talked about like there's moments where sometimes the camera's not quite in the right position and it actually adds to the realism and it's and it adds to like the excitement of this match and then there's times where they just blow it they just like the can the, you know, the guys in the camera truck are just like not looking at the right thing you know that I mentioned only not that long ago the magnum TA belly to belly that's kind of off camera this hands of stone is off camera you know the first time I ever saw Sting, jump over the top rope. And the first time I ever saw someone do it in that style, like the camera totally blows it and misses it. You know, like right. it's just, there's times when it's like an in- intentionally missing stuff. And then there's just missing stuff. This is mm. just missing stuff. Right. But it was a strong finish. It was basically our go home show for Sots. Yeah. So you're basically, you know, just they, after some other stuff, they cut the four horsemen end up at the desk and without Ric Flair, they've really sold that he's so hurt he can't even come back out again. So telling Arnold and JJ, and they're just complaining that you know Dusty's booed, and they're complaining about Garvin's cheap shot, and that he couldn't. Nobody can punch that hard. He had something in his hand. <laughs> they're, they're claiming that uh, you know that's what it's got to be. And I think it's Ar- Arn says he takes it really personally, and he's Tony. If someone slapped your baby and pushed the stroller off a mountain, you know, kind of thing. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so David Crockett just says that he's okay. You know, they say he's okay, like he's asking if he's he's okay, kind of thing. And the show wraps up, and there is one more episode before our special, but I went through it and really there it's just rinse and repeat. There's no premier match. There's no big angle that happens. It's more of like a review, let's say, and more promos that just support, hey, we don't like this guy. I don't like you. We're going to beat each other up. Uh, the only thing of any consequence is that the there's a Midnight Express match, a singles match, and at the end of it, Dennis Condry comes in after Bobby Eaton has won, and they start stomping on this poor jobber. So the Rock and Roll Express come out and 
you know, give him a couple of shots and chase him off. And, you know, that's it. That's the only other addition right. to the. Sometimes you don't know when you are on these shows because they open with flashbacks and you're yeah, like, you know. Yeah, they're out of context. That's right. They open with last week, this week, last week. And sometimes it's something you saw on the show earlier, but sometimes it's like an arena show thing that you've never seen. So you yeah. really, you're, you're kind of left wondering what you're, you know, what you're going to be watching. I got a little confused as we tried to cover three episodes. Yeah, we rushed through it pretty quick. But I think that gives us a super strong flavor of what was happening and what people would be interested in and excited about. And when we come back from the break, we're going to get right into the show. We don't have a long correction segment. I'll talk about that for a second, why we don't. <laughs> and it's maybe not because we didn't flub as much or we don't have other things to talk about, but we'll touch that in a second. We'll be right back. Here comes Sam. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes is a ringside. Welcome back to the second half, or should I say the third third? Yes, yeah, we went a little over long on the setup to the card with no name. <laughs> Superstars on the Superstation. Yeah, the predecessor to Clash of Champions. So just like Clash of Champions, it's a two and a half hour broadcast minus the commercials. And, you know, it lays out. Of course, it's got its own format. And we don't see a Clash of the Champions until 1988. So it's unfortunate that they didn't really think to keep this going. Given the success of Saturday Night's main event, you would have thought they would have, you know, kind of seen fit to have their powerful... TV station helped them kind of broadcast this stuff, but I guess they were still in that arena mode, you know, that that idea of let's get let's sell tickets to arena shows. I also wonder to what degree they actually counted the fans writing in letters saying we want to see this match. Okay, I'll tell you that because Tony addresses this 100% on his podcast. Oh. It's quite funny. So here is the clear distinction well, of the difference okay, between. So before you answer that, they yeah. should the, the, the title should have been something like Dream Card, Your Matches, something like well, that. Well, that's, that's kind of how they started calling it. And then when they announced when these matches would take place, then they changed the name to Superstars and the Superstations. But Tony, when he, the, the writing campaign was Dream Match. You know. Well, yeah. There you go. Dream yeah. match. Because yeah. I mean, they say dream match on the they build. Yes. You know, the yeah. dream match. Tell us your dream match. Okay, so go on. Tell me. Okay. So this is again the clear distinction between dream the card. Difference Sorry. between dream card. The difference between the WWF and JCP or WCW or anybody else. It's the business acumen. So, as we saw in the WWF, there was the vote of confidence for the honky tonk man. <laughs> Right? So people yeah, of wrote course, in. I remember, yeah. Uh, later down the road, the tugboat encouraged people to write in letters of, you know, get well letters to Hulk Hogan. Which was so obscene because Brutus Beefcake was the one who'd had like a, you know, career threatening accident at the time. <laughs> so, and I'm sure if we looked at it, there would be other examples in the WWF of write in campaigns. And then you have this Superstars in the Superstation write in campaign. So the WWF, they took all those letters and cards and created a mailing list and sent out their catalog. You want to know oh. what uh, JCP did with, with the cards? They gave it to some phone bomber. I don't know. <laughs> they threw them in the garbage. Oh. And the, the voting meant nothing. They had already, they knew what matches they were doing. They did, they did not look, they didn't care what, you know. And that's wow. why they specified they only wanted postcards because it would be less less stuff to throw away. Wow. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. So Tony says they really blew it, like knowing how, when he goes to work for the WF in 1989 and kind of gets a look at how they operate. And he's like, oh boy, we really, you know, why didn't we do this? Like, why didn't we? 
Right. Well, I'm no Lanny Poffo, but back in the day, I did used to run some improv shows, and I actually asked people for them for their phone numbers because I remember getting that shtick from the dinner theater, which I might have mentioned. <laughs> the dinner theater had comment cards, and the comment cards would ask you for your name, phone number, and address, and and then they say, "How'd you like the show? How'd you like the food?" And yeah. they would, you know, they would assess that information. But the main thing was then they would call you on your birthday. Then I think they'd ask you that, and they'd offer you That's the, right. the special discount or something right for the birthday that's right anyway it was all about how do you get the people's butts back in the to seats come back. whether it's a wrestling show or a dinner theater show you got to get those people or an improv show like who's going to buy WF merchandise well people who are taking the time to mail in a card yeah. of get well card or, so I, or put, I don't like the honky tonk man or. right since I was like the boss of this improv group I, I made the phone calls and I had a list <laughs> of over 125 people you know I think I had the top I was like special people <laughs> you know but uh, I, I wonder if I threw that away because these were strangers that yeah, all left yeah. their name i asked them to leave their and name in a phone time numbers. where people weren't so let's say hesitant to give out that type of information exactly it was a you know we walked ourselves to school you know <laughs> it was safer days well, when, when i first started playing the sport of ultimate frisbee they literally used to like mail out the organization would mail out little like address book basically with everyone's name in the league and their phone numbers and address in case you wanted to carpool <laughs> right just you know attracting all the stalkers and exactly the yeah <laughs> and then not that many years later it's like you do not give that information out you wow. do not ask for that information oh that's hilarious yeah. here's the address of everybody in the league <laughs> yeah so we normally at this time take a moment to look back in the first half and you know find things to expand on and talk about and maybe you know catch some corrections and we definitely flub some points but a little peek behind the curtain. As some people will have noticed, we were late. We were not able to get our Saturday Night's Main Event Episode 5 posted yet. That's still to come. And these two episodes will be coming out virtually back-to-back. So we kind of had a week where we missed, and then we're going to have a week where we have two shows. Apparently, Corey's got a family to feed uh, and a career to, ha- to career. <laughs> that son of mine taking up all my time. Uh, outrageous. So, exactly. So I didn't have time to review this information to the point I normally would to really come up with the type of notes that I would have that would, you know, would do that. So we're going to kind of skip past that point, which kind of helps us anyways, because time-wise we're kind of running long here. So, But the one thing from today that I wanted to touch on was uh, we were looking at the call sign for TBS, and Jeff noted, you know, W. TBS on the screen. Yeah, and I'm like, and he's like, well, what is that? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It seems like all of those, you know, superstations like WGN and this and that. There's lots of W's or K's and aren't part of like, let's say the Chiron logo. There's, it seems to be these letters in front of network acronyms and things like that. So I took a quick look on Google and didn't find as much information as I would like. But one thing I did see is that starting in 1912 with radio stations, the federal government started designating a letter at the front of those station call signs. And this is kind of unique. Uh, so K meant that it was a West, like a you know, radio station in the West. And W meant it was a radio station in the East. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. And that, I think, is you know held, held through here on the TV stations. And I think that's what that's about. And if anybody knows better, please correct us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. Yeah, really quiet. Really quiet. <laughs> it's okay. a secret, like Starcage. So I jumped onto our WWE network to start watching Superstars on the Superstation, and right away I was like, hmm, I remember this opened with something and it's not here. So I was like, wait a minute, this is incomplete. And I know it's going to be edited, so I was like, so I searched, sure enough, the full episode is available just on YouTube. So I watched that instead, 
and so that we don't get things cut out and we don't get the music changed and we can get as much to the original as possible here so the episode opens with this like well, shot. It's, it's, it's a one-off though i mean it doesn't really happen again like this is kind of like the special yeah yeah Oh, I suppose, yeah, it's right. Just sort of like when you say episode, it keeps making me think of like our, you know, continuing shows and. Yeah, I know. We'll touch on that in a second as far as like what it looks like when it opens up. So the first thing you're going to see is Magnum TA trying to look cool or maybe looking cool on a motorcycle. I don't think he has a helmet on uh, and letting his hair flow. And he's kind of just riding casually around town. And there's a Willie Nelson song playing. I didn't, uh, sorry, bother to look it up, uh, which one it was. Not that important. And that's. It stresses the importance of an eighth grade education. That's what the song says. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, don't give me a hard time. I got grade eight. That's right. And this is something that was cut out of the WWE version. So we go into this arena, proper full arena in darkness. And, you know, it's got the cool lights. And we hear this great voice. And it's Tom Miller. And that's someone I kind of introduced Jeff to earlier this year. And there's this amazing call when Dusty Rhodes wins the world championship from Ric Flair. And Tom, Tom Miller gets on that mic at the end after the, after the match and just his calling of Dusty Rhodes being the new champion is just just chills up your spine and so when I heard Tom Miller and saw him in the ring I was like oh great you know I love Tom Miller so he welcomes you there and right away you're sent to some hosts which is Magnum TA and this woman Linda Curry never seen her before it's 80s celebrity with whacked out hair I was baffled I tried to look her up and I couldn't find any way to verify the thing that I kept finding was actually her, and I don't think it was. So there's a woman named Linda Curry who looks a lot like this woman as far as just generally, you know, like a blonde woman looks like she, you know, could be on TV or something like that as well. And this Linda Curry, which I do not think is the same person, is famous because her husband, and she's married, her her maiden name was not Curry, and her she got married in like 1990, so she wasn't Linda Curry in 1985 or 86, so that's why I don't think it's this person. But that person, their husband was like a Jeopardy champion who then ended up getting like convicted of like murdering her. So <laughs> that was like, for a moment I thought that was this Linda Curry, and I was like, whoa, that's some juicy material for the show, but different Linda Curry. But what I did find was outrage online of people just sort of like what is this woman doing on this broadcast she like she brings nothing she adds nothing she has like nothing to say she's not good at this like that she should not have been up there with magnum he's not the greatest host himself so like he didn't need to be handcuffed with a bad partner so it's unfortunate but you know there they are so they take you there from to, from there to david and tony at ringside in their tuxes and Tony starts to explain that all of the matches are going to be 20-minute TV time matches, with the exception of the Flair Garvin match, which is going to be TV time remaining. The one thing, they got nice tuxes on, but apparently they couldn't get matching microphones because they got these <laughs> headsets, you know, like Motley Crue. One guy's got, you know, sort of a cylinder. The other guy's got right. the round one. I mean, s- small thing to pick on, but I just right. noticed. That and this is that setup Bring your where own headset to work day. They got like the timekeeper bell at a table with the ring announcers right up against the ring and they're facing the ring. So they're on the far side from the camera on the other side of the ring facing you. So you can see them quite a bit, like throughout the, throughout the matches, you can spot them in the background. And I think that's pretty neat yeah so they're gonna send us to the back to a mid-atlantic fixture a man by the name of bob coddle who wasn't familiar to jeff and i i didn't see him until like 1990 when our buddy kenny satellite kicked in and uh we started watching wrestling from there and the first you know the first time i got to see like let's say like a starcade 
uh, pardon me, A Great American Bash 90, and Bob Cottle was on the call on that show. So that's how I kind of knew who he was. He gets made fun of a lot for sort of being a dry, kind of boring kind of announcer. And you're like, you know, he's you know, always trying to fall asleep during his job, you know, like he'd be calling the match, and all of a sudden you hear him snoring. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yeah, not very familiar with Bob Cottle. Yeah. So he, he he's he's like a he's like a poor, 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 poor man's Cal Redman? Thank you. <laughs> so they're in the dressing room and it's the Rock and Roll Express literally tying their boots in the background. They don't say a thing. It's just Bob Cottle basically doing like this like setup of the match, talking about them with them behind him, but he never addresses them. He doesn't turn around. Yeah, it's kind of neat. It's like all the NHL, yeah. you get that clip at the start of most hockey games, you see the guys lacing up their skates. <laughs> so then Bob starts talking about when the Rock and Roll Express won the tag team titles, which was in July 8th, 1985. And he throws it to a clip of Rock and Roll Express winning the titles. But this episode, this video we're watching, edits that out. So you don't see it. It actually just goes from there to the ring. You go back to Jim Cornette in the ring and you don't see the highlights of them beating the, the Russians. But, uh, you know, it's too bad, but that's okay. And so now we've got Jim Cornette doing the intros for the Midnight Express from within the ring. So he's there by himself. His charges haven't come out yet. And so he, that was how he would always do it. He either did it from the announce desk or he did it from within the ring. He would kind of take over the, you know, the, the ring announcer's job for them, for his men. And so their music kicks up and we've got that kind of cool NWA dark arena light, some smoke. And, you know, boom, 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 and the music's on and they're coming out and they look, you know, they look really cool and, you know, it's just great. And so they come in with... I like the the curtain too. It's like... The curtain's good. The, you can kind of um, see through it almost. Yeah. The uh, spangly, long silver uh, streams that yes. you can sort of part as you walk That's through. That's right. Yeah. They're not beads, but they're like, you no. know, <laughs> they're, they're like they're, strips of... Yeah. They're shiny and glittery and, <laughs> and you can't see what's behind them and the wrestlers just walk through. Yeah, for sure. So out come the Minette Express to their music, and they're in these red vests, and they got black trunks and or tights, because Bobby Eaton always wore the long pants, and Dennis Condry, or Stan Lane, always wore the short <laughs> you know, yep. trunks, so they kind of right. had that, that look going on, and Bobby's they got some that. Ra- they threw rainbows on the trunks That's there. That's right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Bobby's got the you know, the mullet of all mullets. Nobody can, nobody yeah. can touch him on well, that. Well, actually, stay tuned for Ronnie Garvin later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So then you you head over and there's a you know there's a break in the music and the crowd starts going crazy because they know who's coming and the music hasn't even started yet but the crowd really pops and you can make them out the silhouettes of Robert and Ricky behind this curtain and then that you know familiar music you know they're 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 rock and roll uh this is the ELO. Yeah, ELO rock and roll is king. Yeah. So that music happens and you see like an arm like a like a someone who's on production maybe like hold them for a second <laughs> like hey wait 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 don't yeah. go yet. So they wait a few seconds and the music goes and the place pops and then out they come. It's Mel Gibson. Hold. <laughs> hold. <laughs> That's right. So it was Braveheart outfit. Yeah, yeah. So they <laughs> they come out and they've got these I think it's white vests and they have black tights. And then they've got their little, you know, what do you call them? They would almost put like armbands around their knees and they had like tassels on their boots and stuff like that. So they kind of had 
a little bit of a look themselves. They, and, they both did a lot of flair, like, yeah. uh, you know, the, the kerchiefs, you know, here and there. Yeah, when they got put together in Memphis, the story was they showed up for wrestling knowing they were going to be a tag team. And I think it's Jerry Lawler that runs them across the street. There's like an outdoor market, like a fair or whatever you want to call it. Like a, I'm not, I'm not naming it properly, but basically a big place where there's tons of vendors and they're yeah. selling all this stuff. And there was somebody selling all these like rock and roll, heavy metal bandanas. And he just went and like, he's like, okay, just, you know, get some of these and tie them around because they didn't have matching clothes or anything. He's like, how can we make ourselves look like a team? So is he's this like, the rock and roll? Or? Yeah, this is their first time being the rock and roll express. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that, because like I'd mentioned before to you that, uh, that, Robert Gibson had wrestled as a tag team with his brother for a while, and yep. now he's going to wrestle with Ricky as his partner right. instead. And yeah, so it's pretty cool. So yeah, so they got that look going on, and before it can really, before it can really, everything can happen, the midnight attack, they attack, and it's right while Tom Miller's announcing the Rock and Roll Express. So like, as this awesome voice is announcing the start of the match, the match starts, <laughs> and the heels get in, and they get a lot of shots, and it's pretty good. So they attack and get and knock the Rock and Roll throat. They throw both of them out of the ring, and then they bring Robert Gibson back into the ring with this double slingshot. So like, Robert's on the apron, and both Midnight Express give the rope a, you know, the tug, and Robert Gibson comes flying in, and then they try the same thing on Ricky, uh, <laughs> Ricky Morton, but he reverses it. <laughs> so the Midnight Express both go out to the floor. It's pretty funny. So, and then they're out on the floor, and fists are just flying. They're just like, they start kicking ass on the outside, the Rock and Roll Express, and they're back in the ring, and Bobby gets whipped into the corner, and he's down on the ground, kind of like laying on his, with his head on the bottom turnbuckle, let's say. And then Dennis gets whipped in second, so he gets the butt bash. So Dennis's butt, you know, kind of knocks Bobby's face right in there. It's pretty funny. And then they, there's a hip toss to Dennis and a monkey flip to Bobby and a double toss. I've never seen this. Sounds better than a stinky face, though. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I always face, felt yeah. bad for any wrestler who had to put up with a stinky face. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although Vince McMahon took it, so I was like, okay, if, yeah, you, just, if you can yeah. teach it out. Okay, if, I thought maybe in the Rikishi. Like I the, did mean the Rikishi. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Like if, because uh, it sounded like, this sounded like, a, you know, the lightest, you know, kindergarten version of a stinky exactly, face. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's a, a mild, a mild stink face. <laughs> <laughs> nice clean tights yeah for sure it's a double atomic drop so sorry sorry they do them at the same time and it's like you know so they crack heads so it's pretty funny and finally the you know we get the proper situation we get wrestlers on the outside wrestlers where, on the where, where two guys a dumb atomic drop one guy or where, no, where one no, guy was, atomic drop my apologies two guys. I, was almost, I was almost suggesting for a second that that's what it was it wasn't it was two because uh, of course we've seen lots of we've yes. seen lots of atomic drops yes. where both guys yeah pick exactly up, two you know. ster- stereo atomic drops that are yeah. happening at the same time okay and then they bash into each other after they get cracked in the knee in the butt and then they fly into each other the two heels and crackheads so we finally get to the point of a tag team match where you know you have a guy on the apron and you have a guy in the ring so we're finally like kind of down to like a normal part so we're gonna get bobby and robert are gonna be starting so after some standoff offense they're trying to go for each other some you know some counters and things like that robert reverses a hip toss and does a big head scissors and he tags ricky and that's something to notice there's so many tags in this match it's hard to keep up because there's just both teams are so good at like bringing the other person in really quickly and so ricky's in nails both men just like our our high flyers yeah exactly and so they start working on Bobby's leg, and Bobby rakes an eye and throws Morton outside. And after some punches, he charges at Ricky, but Ricky backdrops Bobby on the floor. So we talked about that a second ago, like the, you know, onto the concrete. I get it right this time. There you go. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, so, and Robert's inside beating up Dennis in the ring. And so they finally, they get back in the ring here from the outside, and Dennis is tagged in. But the Rock and Roll Express still have the advantage, and they start with these really quick tags. So they're working Dennis's legs. 
and Robert comes over the top rope and stomps on, you know, like, so Ricky's holding his leg and Robert stomps on it. And they're really, you know, doing a lot of work on the leg and the knee and the dropping the knee to the leg. And they're doing double team moves in the corner and stuff like that. Double punches to Bobby to knock him off the apron. And then they're back to Dennis's legs. And he, Dennis fights out and does a knee to Ricky's stomach, but he actually hurts his own knee. So he's like, it's kind of cool because they've been working on his knee. He finally gets a move in, but it's like, because he's got a hurt knee. Yeah, you got to sell your injuries. Yeah, so it's really cool. I think that's awesome. So Robert's back in to continue the punishment on him. And then there's another tag and they go up to the second rope and there's a shot from Ricky onto Dennis. And at this point, Dennis, after he takes this hit, he crawls over to, to Bobby, you know, for the tag. And then Bobby comes in and, and man, he's got like, to me, he's got the best working punches, the best wrestling punches in the business is like Bobby Eaton. They just, they look so good. Like, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he looks like he's just cracking these guys in the face. And from everyone talking, he never hit anybody, you know, like he, he didn't, you know, he didn't hurt anybody, but hmm. he made it look like he was like really giving it to you. And right. okay. it just looked awesome. I just really appreciated his ability to, you know, look deadly and, but be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. So Ricky reverses an attempted backdrop into a vertical suplex. It's kind of a neat spot. And the Rock and Roll Express, you know, to this point are just kicking ass. And so Robert's in for a one count. It's a quick, quick kick out. And Robert does a leapfrog and tries a drop kick. But Bobby catches the legs and then just slingshots Robert into like Dennis Condry. It's really good. So like he's flying through the air and he gets, I don't know, like a forearm shot or something like that. But it looks, it looks just perfect. It's super awesome the way he nails him. And he's on the apron. Of course, he's not in the ring when he does that. So Dennis is in to punish as they throw, uh, they throw it to commercial. And this is really interesting. And every other time in all these episodes, and including later in this same broadcast, when they say they're going to commercial, you see like a Chiron, and then it edits out the commercial, and then it comes back, and it's like the match is starting again. But in this case, they don't go to commercial. There's just, th- the commentators stop talking for about two seconds, and then you hear David Crock go, okay, welcome back. <laughs> so it like oh. really shows you that like the, that commercial break, you know, for them was like two seconds, three seconds. Right. <laughs> it's pretty neat. <laughs> unlike modern wrestling now where when they go to commercial they do like picture in picture sometimes and uh, you know you get to see like what's actually going on <clears throat> anyways so Dennis is still selling the knee and but he's distracting the ref with that with his hurt knee so that Bobby can choke and Cornette gets in some belt shots he's at this point he's taking the belt off of his pants and he's getting in some shots with the belts and the doesn't heels he are, have his tennis racket he does but for some reason he's using his belt I guess they want to save the the loaded tennis racket for you know maybe he's getting ready to get pants to uh, JYD <laughs> exactly. Jimmy Hart yeah they're setting that up <laughs> so the heels are tagging and working Robert over and Bobby nails the Alabama jam he comes off the top rope with the Alabama jam that's a cool unique finisher yes that's a top rope leg drop it just looks awesome but he doesn't even go for a pin or anything it's kind of interesting he kind of doesn't even you know really sell it that much then he goes over to Ricky to point to his uh, fallen teammate and like you know goad him in and stuff like that so he kind of gets him to come in so the ref will be distracted and Dennis at that point is in for cheap shots because well there's the distraction so Bobby goes for the pin attempt for two finally, and then Dennis is in for a whip for an abdominal stretch. But just like we talked about it <laughs> not that long ago, Robert reverses it into his own abdominal stretch. <laughs> oh. But it's weird. He does it immediately. It's not like, ah, I'm in an abdominal stretch. Wait, wait. And now I reverse it. He literally does it as he's like, as the move is being put on. It's just like a, a do do <laughs> He flips around. And, <laughs> right. And, and now he's got him in the abdominal stretch. And we know how that ends, Jeff. A hip toss. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Dennis hip tosses him, goes for a two count, and then he tags Bobby back in for like a whip and a back elbow, and Bobby goes back to the top and lands this massive knee drop. So like Robert Gibson is just getting his ass kicked at this point, and it's important to note that 
Ricky Morton was the seller of the group, meaning that he was always the guy 90% of the time that would get trapped and get tortured and the girls in the crowd would be squealing for him and he just knew how to like make eye contact with people in the crowd and reach to them like, and, and sometimes you can actually hear him say things like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> the 12 year old girls yeah, yeah, just trying yeah. to tag. Yeah. <laughs> I can two more inches. So it's interesting that like, you know, Robert's the one taking all the, all the damage and you're at that point, like I'm watching this and this, I'm telling you, I'm really enjoying this match when I watch this and I'm like like it's so believable to me that like they should be able to just pin him because like they've really given it to him like Bobby's hitting him with two finishers they've really beaten him up and the Rock and Roll Express had a good start to the match but I mean they've really you know isolated the him Alabama Jam what was the other one? the top rope knee drop oh yeah 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 and you know he's, he's taking belt shots he's taking you know like he's taking a lot of punishment so yeah so he again with that knee drop he doesn't try to pin so Dennis comes in for this huge standing clothesline. Like he just stands Robert up, who's all dazed, like in a you know a video game fighter who can't protect himself. And then Dennis just gives him this really big clothesline, pin attempt for two. And Robert's trying to fight out, but Bobby punches and punches Ricky off the apron. So like basically just as like he's about to get the tag, Dennis decides, okay, well I'll, instead of you know instead of hitting Robert, I'll just go hit Ricky. And get him. So at this point, Cornette sneaks up and there's more belt shots. <laughs> he's hitting his whipping from the outside. There's another two count, and Bobby's just grinding Robert on the floor. And Dennis is in, and they continue that. And you can hear Cornette telling Robert, you're finished! <laughs> so Robert fights out of the chin lock to standing hammer lock. So he basically reverses things. But Dennis pulls his hair and gets him into the corner, and Bobby comes off the, off the top while the ref is distracted with this, like, fist drop. So he's pulled his hair down to get him down, drops this fist. Dennis again for a two count. So Robert's up, and, and he's kind of loose. Like, they don't have a hold of him after a long chin lock spot. He's been held down for a long time. He finally gets out. There's a whip off the ropes and a spot where Robert does a leapfrog and then gets to do a knee lift as there's a back body drop attempt. So this is finally that moment where the good guys are finally like, might be able to get out of this. So both men are down in opposite corners, <laughs> you know? So, like, Robert's right near Bobby, let's say, and Dennis is near Ricky, so that's, uh -huh. that's pretty funny. As they're trying to get, each trying to get, you know, get up and get back to their corner, Dennis rakes the eyes and tags Bobby in. So, like, geez, Robert still can't get out even after all that. So Dennis is back in for, like, a, you know, a strike and a choke and another tag to Bobby. Like, you know, there's really not much time going by before they tag the other guy in, you know? Like, right. And they just keep doing this over and over again. And so... Bobby does a, a neck breaker. So that's like a pretty big move in 1986. So that's another, you know, essentially finisher. Two count. And then there's another tag with for the Minette Express and a double whip. And they attempt a double backdrop. But Robert Gibson does this like monkey flip on like Bobby Eaton, but he can't get him down because Bobby Eaton's holding on to uh, Dennis Condry. And that's when from off camera, <laughs> Ricky Morton comes in with a drop kick. So it's really good. So as he drop kicks Dennis Condry, then the monkey flip is, you know, is, is completed. And uh, they, but that does, of course, doesn't get a pin. And at that point, Dennis gets on down Robert and tries to pin him and he kicks out, picks him up, gives him a side backbreaker. And then there's this like, so at that point they bring in Bobby Eaton and he runs to the opposite corner on the apron. Like he gets tagged, but doesn't come in. He just runs across the apron, gets up on the uh, top rope. And there's just amazing camera work on this attempted rocket launcher. And I'd explained that one to you before, Jeff. It's sort of like Bobby Eaton's on the top rope and Dennis goes over and sort of almost like he's going to slam him, but just sort of, you know, helps, helps him along on the flight for a big body splash, you know, off the top rope. And the camera work is so awesome because of where he comes from the frame. And then you see like... Bobby Eaton, like, kicking his legs and his arms in a way, sort of, like, he's flapping. But, he, and then he lands, and because of the way the camera work is, you don't quite see the movement, you know? Like, you don't realize he's gonna miss. Like, it's not, like, 
often you can tell when they're going to miss a body splash. Right. This one you can't tell. Like it just ah. all of a sudden it's like, ah, you missed. <laughs> so you finally, that's like the big moment they finally needed is this missed rocket launcher. So, and at this point, David Crockett is just cheerleading. He's just begging the Rock and Roll Express to make a tag. And, you know, he's he sort of never hit his, you know, he, that he's always cheering for the good guys and he hates the bad guys. It's pretty funny. So finally, Ricky's, you know, gets the tag and he's over the top rope with like a drop kick to Bobby and he's just fists on fire. He's just nailing these guys, dropping both men, whips them into each other. He does this really massive cross body on Bobby where they both bounce off the ropes and he gets this huge height on it and he gets a two count. And so Dennis comes in and Robert drops him. I always dislike that. So if a guy's been beaten up for like how many minutes? Like he shouldn't be back in like, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds or whatever after a, after a tag. Like he, he should be beaten up on the outside right now. Like, yeah. Because he's had the shit kicked out of him early. Let's be honest here, right? But anyways, there's a double punch to like drop Dennis and a double drop kick to Bobby. So at this point, the Rock and Roll Express are working together. It's like all four men are in. It's kind of chaos at this point. And that double drop kick causes a, a ref bump to a, a ref by the name of Pee Wee Anderson, who was like Arn Anderson's no relation, but uh, it was like his best friend or whatever. They actually traveled the road together initially and like, and then parted ways and Pee Wee went off and became a ref. And, you know, he, Arn went on as, as, a, as a wrestler, obviously. And they kind of met back up in the NWA. So he's out, he gets knocked out from this, but they do a double drop kick to Dennis and that knocks him out of the ring. And then Cornette gets flipped into the ring. So they do the, they do the slingshot on Cornette. I don't know why he got up on the apron, but you know, it's time for him to take some bumps. So he gets flipped into the ring. And Robert uses the racket to smash Bobby. And this is this loaded racket. So they take this lo- loaded racket and they just like smash Bobby with it right in the head. And David's just losing his mind because, you know, he thinks they're going to, you know, the match is going to end here. So Ricky picks up the belt and he's wrapping around his fist and he's going over to like, you know, Cornette. And Cornette's just begging for mercy in the corner. And that's really funny. David says, come on, whip him, whip him like a dog. <laughs> like right. a government mule. That's right. <laughs> but then Dennis is in with a r- r- racket shot to the back of Ricky's head, the loaded racket. And Robert does this really poor job of attacking Dennis in a way that they both spill out of the ring. But he kind of falls out of the ring before Dennis even does. It's like he kind of almost like he botches it. So he kind of throws himself out of the ring. Oops. Yeah, you're kind of like, <laughs> man, we need you. So Jim goes over and pulls the knocked out Bobby Eaton on top of Ricky. And here you get it, the cover. And Cornette gets the ref back in. And one, two, three, new champions. And they give you all the replays from like an opposite angle, which is really cool. It all looks very different. And the only thing that gets me is that like, I don't know why, but you don't get a Tom Miller announcement. Like I want this like awesome, you know, I'm waiting for this like Dusty Rhodes moment. This like, ladies and gentlemen, new champions. Like, but you don't get it. You don't get anything. So it was the racket shot that led. It's the, they both, both basically Ricky Morton and Bobby can get knocked out with racket shots. Cause there's like, they don't show you what it is, but there's something, you know, in the, 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 the brick or whatever it is that's inside that tennis racket, you know, is just killing him. And they really sell like how hurt Bobby is from this and stuff like that. So, it was just a really enjoyable match. And, you know, the picture's worth a thousand words, of course. If you have access to watch that, you know, if, if you're going to watch one match on this card, I would say this is the one to watch. It was really entertaining. It's really fast. They do a really good job. And it's like the peak of this feud, you know, like they're just right in the middle of it all, you know, and Rock and Roll Express World Champions and now Midnight Express World Champions. Nice. Dennis Condry. Yeah. So they throw it to Magnum and Linda just clearly has no clue what she's saying or what to do. She just, all she can say is like, I was really impressed how the people cheered for who they wanted to cheer for and they really make their thoughts known. And she's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Get off my TV screen. Like. Yep. (laughs) Terrible. 
you go to commercial, and when you come back, it's the Minute Expresser in an interview with Bob Cottle in the dressing room, and it's really funny. Bobby Eaton is, like, basically knocked out in the corner on the floor, and De- he- Dennis Condry spends the entire interview trying to get him up onto a chair, and it's like he's completely unaware he's won the, and he keeps handing him the belt, and it, he- it falls off of him, you know, and he's like, he's like, well, you did it, we won, we won, and he doesn't even know, you know, like, nice. yeah, and so Jim Cornette's doing all the talking, of course, for the most part, and, and yelling and stuff like that, and, you know, we got the belts back, and we, we won fair and square. <laughs> <laughs> so they finally get Bobby up in this chair and give him his belt and mama I did it <laughs> Cornette yep. screaming it's awesome so proud of her yeah. boy and then he turns to Bob Carl Bob Carl you proud of me too aren't you <laughs> <laughs> and then they go back to back to Magnum and that's where we get the setup for the Road Warriors and the Russians this big tag team grudge match so some of the heat on this match would be around the six-man championship trophy, but it's a tag team, which is actually probably better. Let's keep it to the uh, the main players here, Hawk and Animal and Ivan and Nikita Koloff. So we do get Iron Man, which is awesome. I mean, I just can't get enough of uh, the, the Road dark, Warriors. smoky room and lights. Yeah, it's really cool. It's much, I mean, the, the Road Warriors... They're scary, you know. They yeah, are yeah. just—they're big men, and and it, it, although it doesn't happen immediately, there's a bit of a nose-to-nose Hawk and Nikita, and Hawk's bigger than Nikita, so you wow, know, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Nikita was was the strong man of his team, yes. you know, and then I mean, this is, I guess, part of why the Road Warriors are just so awesome. They're both, even they could have been singles wrestlers and probably done quite well, but yeah. you know, they just did so much better by combining forces and, and the, the gimmick works, the face paint and the, their just, you know, sheer size. I'm, and being, the, when you watch, if you watch the movie, Mad Max, the road warrior, the villains were quite scary. People were dying or explosions and violence. And it was, you know, an adult grown up movie. So they really tapped into something, you know, when, when they picked up this gimmick and, here they are now in the NWA. It hasn't been very long because they were just in the AWA within the last year. So they're uh, just they're blowing up big time, and and this is them at their best. They like they look fucking great. I mean, we yeah, already and I think because they got that initial run in Georgia, those fans are like you know familiar with them. So when they come back to the NWA, it's like coming home. Good point. That's that's a good point. There is even some rare footage of them uh, dressed more like motorcycle gang members than uh, futuristic that's end right, of the yeah. world dystopian war. You know, give us the petrol and we'll let you live. <laughs> um, strange. One thing about that trophy I noted during the promo is like uh, the actual guy has got his arms raised, has a pair of boxing gloves on the six man <laughs> wrestling trophy. So, hmm. So they introduce the Russians, and oddly, they uh, measure them in kilos, 251 kilos for yeah, the... there's a few different wrestlers they would do that with. I remember that being a thing. Well, then they introduce the Road Warriors as 580 pounds. Right. So that sounds very Canadian, where we have the metric and the imperial system. We both, <laughs> we have our, our road signs, some of them... Well, anyway, we we it's it's, it's a bizarre mix-up here in Canada, where we still say five foot this, and but I, I guess actually... We won't go down that rabbit hole. We, there's kilometers, there's miles. Anyway, kilos and pounds. And anyway, so yeah, I already covered that stare down. But so the match starts with Animal and Nikita in the ring. And uh, these guys are, you know, very evenly 
matched. It's a, it's a great opening. There's a bunch of spots in the first 90 seconds. We get a collar and elbow. Nikita backs Animal into the corner and immediately gives him four shoulder shots into the abs. And then Irish whips him into the opposite corner, except for Animal reverses it. And Nikita goes hard into the corner. And Anima char- Animal charges in, but Nikita brings up the boot. Boom! This gives Nikita a chance to scoop up Animal for a body slam. Goes for an elbow drop, but Ni- Animal rolls out of the way. Now Animal has a chance to pick up Nikita and slam him and goes for a knee and that misses. And then they both roll up and they're back on their feet and squared off. It was a fucking awesome opening sequence. Yeah, like that yeah. all happens so fast. It's, it's like two power men doing this. Like the, the modern day version is the little flippy guys doing bang, 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 bang. And then they both yeah. do a kip up or something and right. square off. This is the opposite. This is like the big power men. Like, you know. Right. This is matches already kicks ass it's fucking great (laughs) loving it um yeah okay so we get uh hawk in there and uh, i think nikita stays in so we call her an elbow they try to like you know muscle each other but this is now it's like nope they neither guy can can maneuver the other guy so they let go they just glare at each other they go back to the (laughs) collar and elbow and then they're you know jostling for position one guy's trying to get in control of the other um that doesn't work so Nikita tries to intimidate him with a pose, you know, and, you know, flexes his <laughs> muscles. And then Hawk does his pose. But it's kind of funny. Hawk doesn't like do the double bicep shot. Yeah. What he does is more like, it's as, as if he's like gripping a motorcycle and he shows yeah, yeah, off yeah. his traps. And so they, yeah. but Nikita tries to use his pose for a sneak attack. Uh-huh. Hawk is halfway through his pose and Nikita throws a shot, but Hawk blocks it and returns a punch. I mean, this, this show, uh, this match has just got lots of great action. So Nikita tags in Ivan. And uh, it isn't long before uh, he gets a few shots in on Hawk, uh, but Hawk picks him up for an amazing shoulder breaker so easily. Like he was eight years old, Hawk picks up (laughs) Ivan Koloff and, you know, sort of inverts him and then brings his shoulder down on his knee, you know, while, while Hawk takes a knee. It just looks amazing. Hawk's so powerful, just manhandles him. So they work Ivan Koloff, the Russian bear, a guy who beat Bruno Sarmartino for the WWF championship back in the day. So we got a former world champion here. That's right. But he's now in the later parts of his career. Man, he's got a cut-up forehead, too, those close-ups <laughs> in, w, or in NWA. Like, they leave nothing to the imagination. So Animal gets a great press slam on Ivan Koloff. Hawk does his beautiful flying fist drop. Where he just he just where he kind of stands, but then jumps up so high and just comes down lateral. Yeah, like yeah. he goes sideways. Yeah, ver- and, yeah, exactly, horizontal. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. But he's he's we oh yeah, I love his fist drops. We get a two count, but no, that's not it. He's, he's the commentator then makes a strange comment and says these teams right after the two the two count these teams are out to hurt each other. We haven't seen a pinfall attempt yet, and like we just had a two count. <laughs> Odd timing. So there's some punching. They punch Ivan and he tags Animal in and they're working Ivan. Somebody goes off the ropes and the Baron makes his feel presence felt because uh-huh. he's been lent to the Russians by Paul Jones. So he's at ringside. I guess I should have mentioned that earlier that Baron Von Raschke is at ringside to assist Paul Ellering is there to assist the Road Warriors. Well, he's their manager, so of course he's there. Right. Anyway, so this is the first interference. Von Raschke takes a swipe at somebody's feet. Hawk at one point bounces off the ropes, and he gets hit by Nikita. It gives the heels a chance to uh, start getting an advantage and and wearing down the Road Warriors. So um, the Road Warriors will sell when they uh, have to, you know, fill out a match. So the Russians are doing a lot of tags, and they're working down Hawk, and he's kind of hurt. We get a nice 
swing and neck breaker, not a one, two, three shake, rattle, roll, but just, you know, the one neck breaker. We get a two count. The two of them make a tag. Hawk comes off the ropes. They got a double reverse elbow. So Hawk is looking wounded. His health bar is low. They uh, lure, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they lure an animal. Now, remember, the Russians also, part of their costume are chains. Of course. A bit like JYD, but these exactly. are bad guys. That's right. Russian so, chains. That's right. Russian chains. So these chains are actually draped uh, around the ring post in their corner. So while they've got Hawk wounded, somebody lures an animal, you know, go over there and give him a shot or whatever. And he takes the bait, comes in, and it's Tommy Young, as it goes. I'm pretty sure. It seems like he's reffing almost every match. Yeah. Yeah, I got Tommy Young. Yeah, it's Tommy Young. So they lure an animal, allowing them to wrap the chain around Hawk's throat. Whoa. They're strangling. Yeah, they got Hawk in their corner. And strangling him with the chain hawk manages to rally he ducks under a clothesline and gets a nice flying shoulder tackle that levels ivan it's such a good offensive move that he actually covers ivan gets a two count and nikita comes in to break up that two count but that brings animal in the ring so we got all four men and there's a bit of a schmoz and then Tommy tries to get control, and he's sort of focused on one corner, which allows the Baron to come in. And I, I sort of think that the end of the match is coming. Right. But Baron Von Raschke enters the, the ring, and wow, this is like what you said earlier. It's really unconvincing. He, he does one punch and then an elbow drop on Animal. And, you know, to keep going with the video game analogy, like this does, you know, maybe 5% damage. You know, yeah, like yeah. it's so weak. It really yeah. doesn't look like... And they go for the cover, and I'm like, as if you're going to cover that that really soft old man elbow is going to pin <laughs> animal? Like, no, I don't think so. Like, we rarely, you, you mentioned that uh, the one rare hawk clean pin in a bet, but it was two out of three falls is the only time that they'll do that. Or no, six man. Six yeah, six man, man. Yeah, that's right. Couldn't lose belt. Yeah, exactly. There's a way to do it that way they get to save face. But yeah. still, that's rare even for hawk to get pinned yeah. clean. I just couldn't believe my ears. Another weird thing about Baron Von Raschke's interferences. Hawk doesn't even so much as say, hey, you. <laughs> he just <laughs> carries on with the match. He doesn't seem to be bothered at all by this cheating. And and uh, so if I had said animal, I, I, I misspoke because it was right. Hawk who was, uh, you know, been cut off from animal. And, yes. they're, you know, it's animal waiting to gain in and they, they've injured Hawk. So he uh, doesn't even make eye contact. It's like he didn't feel it. <laughs> he didn't even know Baron's there. Like they're not doing a good, they're not Goldberging Baron Ron Raschke. That's for sure. <laughs> what was that a mosquito you know like just nothing nothing i've never seen such an ineffectual out of the ring interference yeah so yeah they're after von rashke's wimpy elbow they do go for the pin but it, it's just there's not a chance in hell and and hawk doesn't pay any attention just totally ignores the fact that the third man's come in the ring <laughs> so uh, the next you know notable feature is that when hawk tries a rally nikita trips him and now again the baron comes in and this time there, the Tommy Young sees Baron von Raschke, and it results in a DQ. So then we get some uh, kind of a botchy, you know, writing for the finish. But I'll try to explain it. It comes across kind of weak, but you know, since it only happens four or five seconds, the the fans, you know, forgive it. But somehow you've got Hawk and Animal 
out of the ring and Hawk we buy because he's injured and he's yeah, been, yeah, he's you been know, beaten up forever. Yeah. But Animal should be hot. We don't really get a great hot tag, actually. You know, all that building. Right. You know, right, this yeah. second interference on Von Raschke gets noticed by Tommy Young, so we get the DQ, but but we never got that big pop of, oh, now Animal's That's in. And point. like, yeah, it, uh, uh, but since it, the quality of this match has been really high so far, so I didn't really notice it. It's just now kind of like breaking it down. I'm like, oh, yeah, we didn't get that hot tag. <laughs> anyway, and the other bad part about that is Animal's so fresh that the writing is bad for him to take a couple shots and be on the apron, unable to defend Paul Ellering. And the right, also the timing is dumb because, you know, you can believe Hawk getting knocked out of the ring and taken out yep. temporarily, but not so much Animal. And, and so they're outside the ring recovering. The Road Warriors are yep. recovering yep. when Animal should still be good to go. Yep. And the timing is dumb because that's when Paul, dumb, because that's when Paul Ellering gets into the ring as the yeah, bad guy. Yeah, I remember seeing this part, I remember thinking like, why do you wait? Like, yeah. Why didn't he? Why didn't he get in the ring when there was when the road warriors were still at least like o- occupying somebody? Like, why yeah. does he? Why does he get in the ring when it's three on one against him? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I had missed another choke where you know the the tag rope was used to choke okay. Hawk, you know, as well. So and then the hand, so they're choking him <laughs> with everything. I think, and then Cornette takes his belt off and he chokes right. and he, stuff he, a bagel in his mouth and chokes. That's him. right. He's <laughs> nowhere near there, uh, Cornette. Okay, so we have Paul Ellering now triple teamed. By (laughs) yes, and Von Raschke holds Paul Ellering like, okay, you guys start over on the other side of the ring, and uh, they're gonna sort of clothesline him with the chain. Yeah, Nikita's got the chain with in one hand. Yeah, and but the Road Warriors make their way to they're on the floor. They make their way to the action where they're both able to grab an ankle or a foot, a shin of Paul Ellering, and then as the Russians charge, they kind of like pull him so he ends up not getting hit by the chain right and but also baron von raschke backs away from the whole thing like kind of like you know he doesn't seem to take the chain bump like you would think von right. raschke yeah, should that's take the expecting to come when, but instead yeah. von raschke backs away uh-huh. so it's really kind of a botchy clumsy finish for that part they pull ellering to safety and the road warriors get back in the ring and actually there's one really cool look when hawk wraps the chain around his fist now he looks like the apocalyptic <laughs> warrior and he's gonna and he gives cole off a good punch you know with the, the chain fist and then they start giving the chain clotheslines you know and they uh, the russians get get their hides handed to them a little bit you know n- not yeah. unconscious but just enough to get them out of the ring so that the road warriors can be like we're the kings of the ring that's right yeah we're the lords of the ring <laughs> the vhs rental that's right which was an all the magazines and I wanted I wanted it <laughs> and you got Crockett that would be David Crockett David Crockett yeah he is pretty good on the mic he really yeah, believes he, it yeah. he, he's he he um he sells that he cares and he, he oh, you know, yeah nobody cares yeah. more <laughs> and I think he's or actually oh, wait a minute even though I just said David Crockett I, I have it written down here it is who says how does the chain feel now how does the chain feel now <laughs> you know he just can't can't help rubbing it in yeah so that is a Road Warrior win by disqualification at the Dream Card, the Dream Match. And it was great. I liked it a lot. Cool, yeah. Yeah, so we've had two really great tag matches. I kind of wonder why they didn't go like tag, single, tag, single, you know, for just to break up the flow and maybe, you know, a, a bit better. But Dusty, uh, booking, I'm sure he didn't want to be more, less than second from the top. <laughs> so. Yeah. This match, I didn't actually m- note how long it went. But it went by quickly, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Because having a good time. 
No, yeah, it's some, some some fun stuff for sure. So here's where I think like we're going to see some stuff in between these matches. And here's, again, the difference between the WWF and the NWA. It's like the NWA doesn't really know how to entertain, <laughs> you know, on their shows. It's like there's some pretty non-entertaining se- segments. And as much as we want to make fun of the water slides and the Mother's Day parties and all these things, it's like we actually get some pretty good laughs out of that stuff. Now there's there's nothing to laugh at here. So Magnum TA is going to do an interview yeah. with like some kind of stock car racer, Benny Parsons. Right. I don't care who he is. You're I'm right. Sure there's that, no comedy. Yeah, it's just... You know, and, and he's talking, and, and it's, unfortunately, it's quite prophetic. Magnum TA talks about him wanting to, you know, feel what it's like to go 200 miles an hour in a car and all this stuff. And seeing as how what happened to Magnum TA in a car crash, it's, you know, it's unfortunate, ironic to hear him say that. And and they go to a segment, the fans. <laughs> it's this Linda Curry, again, like, she's probably a little bit better at this than she is at anything else. But And there's also a second interviewer, so half the time you hear a voice, it's a man's voice. And they're literally just getting footage from, it seems, this event before the match. They've gone through and they've asked people, like, you know, why they're fans, how long they've been fans, who they're there to see. And it's all, it's kind of charming, like all these people, just like pretty genuine. They seem to really be targeting speaking to women to show that, hey, wrestling isn't just for guys, you know, it's for everybody. And, you know, but all the women's answers seem to be, you know, obviously things like, I'm here to see Rock and Roll Express, here to see Magnum TA. How long you been a fan? Two months. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Like, where the guys are like, I'm a fan 15 years and all this stuff. And uh, the one thing to note is while they're talking to one group of people, you can hear Ricky Steamboat's music in the background. But this is at a time that Ricky wasn't using this music yet. So I don't know why the... You know, like the little... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have no idea why that music's there. But anyways, so it's pretty funny. They ask one little guy, they ask some of the women, like, what do you do for a living? And they'll say things like, I'm a stenographer, I'm this, I'm that. And then they ask this little boy, he's probably about eight or nine. It's like, what do you do for a living? And he goes, I play. <laughs> I that was pretty good. And, you know, there's some great 80s fashion. Some of these women just have, like, the big hair and the makeup and, you know, just kind of... Let you know where you are, what time, of, what, what decade you're in. Linda Curry's you know, got that stuff. covered. And got that exactly. hair's going everywhere. And then they get into a montage of just showing fans. So Dire Straits' Walk of Life music plays, and they don't show any in-ring action. They just take film, like sort of, uh, what do you want to call it, candid photo, like video of people who probably don't even know they're being filmed because they're not they're not hamming it up for the camera. Right. They're looking at the ring, and they're like they're they're getting the reactions of like you know visceral reactions of people watching wrestling, and some of them are like you know crazy old ladies. That right. Are, that was that's the original opening of the uh, New Year's Saturday Night Main Event from the. Uh Florida or not yeah you said walk of life but there we didn't yeah, get yeah. to hear it that's right but yeah. I, I complained about hearing two songs right yes yes and uh you know so as they, they show the crowd I do note there's a lot of you know um women that are a little bit older so like you know you get, you get your wrestling sort of the, there's a prototypical wrestling fan like you know the, the picture of some granny with her purse or cane hitting the wrestler from the front row you know actually it's funny I went and had a look at uh Blassie versus Ricky Dozan black and white footage okay and there was like three you know card carrying little old lady granny i mean dressed like the bugs bunny granny you know and that and they were sitting beside each other and i think blassie got close enough for one of them like to practically reach out and swat him like from ringside it was like bizarre somehow it the seating looked close enough that, you know, she could practically touch Blassie. And she looked so proud of herself for reaching out and swatting right, him, right. you know. Yes, and yes. she looked over at her two old granny buddies and like, hee hee, I got him. So I'm going to steal this from somebody. I read this online last year, but it's really funny. It's like, you know, they they started noting that, like, they're watching all different eras of wrestling. And they started to think that, like, the they 
noticed a correlation that like all the best wrestling had all these like old women in the crowd <laughs> and it was like and then they said like if Vince McMahon could just figure out how to get all the 40 to 70 year old ladies into the crowd wrestling would be awesome again <laughs> you're right I love it <laughs> I hadn't thought about that yeah but that that match summed it up those yeah for that, sure the image and now I think about wrestling and I think about ECW and college guys you know uh, yeah, chanting yeah. and like you say they want to be the show It's the, yeah it took over it became the show not the wrestling you're not there to cheer for someone to win you're there to influence the the performance i don't know like you're part of the performance and it's just it's you know it's unfortunate it's it's not what makes me excited to watch wrestling and actually in many cases the crowd stuff can take away from watching modern wrestling yeah it was never my uh i, I didn't really watch it in that uh you know the ecw yeah i was i was watching wrestling times. but i wasn't watching that wrestling but i was very aware of it and and, and it, that leaked out that sort of like f you mainstream wrestling and we're gonna chant ec dub ec dub and that carries yeah. through to now and that, it looks know. like more fun than we had when we went to the and, oh for sure yeah 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 and, and, the one time that we got really bored at a match i would have <laughs> you know give me a bunch of chanting drunken college yeah. thugs over this absolutely <laughs> oh, a lot of the rock and roll experience is that the only reason? Yeah. What do you get out of wrestling? Watch them. <laughs> First time I've ever been there. Oh, yeah? I, don't, I just watch it at home with my husband. That's it. Yeah. I'm a word processor. Yeah. How long have you been interested in wrestling? About a couple months. Who's your favorite wrestler? Magnum TA. What is you development center? Okay. How long have you been interested in wrestling? About 15 years. Okay. Who's your favorite wrestler? I don't know, I got so many of them. What do you get out of wrestling? Just enjoyment of seeing beat up on each other, I reckon. Okay, so there's another thing here where they're trying to bring in some star power. So we heard Willie Nelson's music earlier, and we're going to have an interview. Uh, Magnum uh, is talking about you know how him and Dusty Rhodes are basically best friends, and he had an opportunity to go out and see Dusty on a movie set, and that Willie Nelson's got a new movie, and they're remaking Stagecoach, the the classic movie, and with all these famous people in it, and Dusty Rhodes has sort of a walk-on, non-talking role, you know, and they show some clips from uh, footage from like you know the day they're filming and stuff like that. And then they show, they say they're in Tucson, Arizona, and Tony Schiavone's at poolside with Dusty Rhodes and Willie Nelson. And it's this super chill, super laid back, like, you know, they're barely moving. If they're making protein shakes, then I think the same writer has come over from the (laughs) WWE. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Eggshell and all. So they just talk about admiring each other and all this stuff. And Dusty talks about how Willie's music helped him on the road. And even the first time he tried to get to see him and they weren't old enough to get into the bar. So they bought a six pack and sat out back and listened to like, they could hear the music coming through the walls of the building kind of thing, you know, and just, you know, just charming stuff, but come on. <laughs> the last, the very last show that I performed had on the road again in it. Oh, we, okay. We had, yeah. yeah. The last dinner theater. Yeah, or a musical yeah. theater show. There was no dinner in this one, but it was fun. Yeah, and then they they get Willie Nelson to recite the lyrics from this new song, and it goes on way too long. Like, so he basically recites all the lyrics. I don't know, it's like two minutes or something like that. That sounds like poetry. Yeah, what exactly. the hell is poetry doing on my wrestling program? And then Tony closes off the segment with, uh, and we certainly know now that legends aren't made, they're born. Okay. <laughs> Having said all that, yay, Willie Nelson. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to take it on Willie Nelson. Yeah, yeah. I just think this Willie. presentation's not... Working, right, yeah, exactly. You know? I didn't. Well, I didn't even watch the bit, but yeah. it doesn't sound doesn't sound like it really caught yeah. fire. So now we're back in. Our, Give me Mel Gibson. <laughs> now we're back out in our awesome arena, dark setting, the lights, and this time there's some pyro. And it's, it's Tully Blanchard's coming out with JJ, and there's smoke, and I don't recognize the music he's coming out to at all. I didn't, I didn't want to bother trying to find it because I'm 
matter. I don't think I said this yet, but I do love the lack of gimmick with Tully Blanchard. You know, yeah. this also you know sums up the the difference between WWF and you yes. know. No, you don't need a gimmick. He's a professional wrestler who likes fast cars and pretty women and the, the nice. That's right. Yeah. He's a lot like Ric Flair. There isn't really a gimmick. Just you know. Yeah. Anyway, he was, he was a stellar athlete. Even though, as you mentioned, he wasn't the biggest guy, but he was like this college quarterback and all this stuff. And he was this. They, you know, a lot of people have given him credit at the time for being one of the best athletes in the NWA. Like you know, he didn't have the body that some of those other guys had. But and I went on to just. I hated him when I first saw him because that's what you're supposed to do. But, oh, man, like a few years later, all of a sudden I started realizing and watching my tapes again and being like, holy shit, this guy's a genius. Like, And I won't say that this is one of those matches that really popped me. I didn't see a lot of those great Tully Blanchard kind of stuff. Like, and I'll, you know, if I ever, when we get to some of them, I'll point them out. But, yeah, I think I think he, I think a lot of them, I think he's a great it's like, It's like Mr. Fuji said, best gimmick, <laughs> no gimmick. <laughs> a version of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, Dusty's out uh, to some really uh, familiar but kind of strange choice of music for a wrestling theme. I, I, it's, it's, it's an actual commercial song. I, I don't have it in front of me. I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's kind of old-timey. Yeah, well, it's not rock and roll. It's something else. It's like it's... Neil Diamond. Yeah, I don't even know what it is. But he comes out to this really ugly, like, orange robe, and like, he's got kind of a cap, the, I don't know, you know, the Andy Cap cap. Poor boy, yeah, the poor boy cap. Maybe I know. Yeah. And he's got Davy Doll and Tommy Young is the ref again, and they announced this is for the National Heavyweight Championship, and uh, they announced Tully Blanchard, and then Tom Miller really fires up for Dusty. You almost think he's winning the World Championship again, <laughs> just in the intro, <laughs> and the crowd pops. And we really noticed this time there's a lot of there's multiple photographers on top of the video guys. There's actually like the hard camera guys, and Bill after you spot him, he's right there. He's like right elbows on the mat kind of thing, like he's ready to. Take some shots and <laughs> what kind of shots? Vodka, fists, yeah, exactly. or photographs. Bring up some shooters. Yeah. <laughs> and punch me in the nose while you're at it. <laughs> yeah, and it's just you know Tully's just super awesome. And they, some of the mannerisms stuff he's doing before the match starts and the chirping and everything. And they kind of note the announcers that the boot is off, right? Like you know Dusty's out there unprotected. He doesn't have his his steel toe boot anymore. And here's where we see early on in the match after a few lockups and things like that, and then. Dusty chases uh, Tully out of the ring, and he kind of does some of that uh, Hogan teasing. We say like Hogan's copying Dusty, right? Like you know, we're you know H- Hogan's kind of mimicking Dusty, and this is we're seeing it. You know, like this is this is some of it. He's kind of prancing a little bit in the ring, making fun of making fun of Tully. And so they uh, go to commercial, and when they come back, it's kind of mid action a little bit. Tully's backing off, and Baby Doll yells, "What? You don't have guts anymore?" <laughs> Stuff like that. It's pretty. It was pretty funny from that. He picked it up really nice. It's a very slow and deliberate pace. And I'll describe it once and then I won't bother doing it again because it happens over and over and over. It's Dusty Rhodes working on Tully's leg. So he'll get him down flat on his back and he's got one of his legs up in the air and then he's standing on the ankle of the other leg, kind of splitting him, you know, a little bit. And then he's, you know, he's winding the leg that's up in the air, but it's more of like a, a taunting, like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> and then he'll he'll drop a elbow or he'll drop a knee or he'll, you know, whatever. And then he'll do a little scissor lock on that leg. And there's a lot of groundwork here working on Tully's leg early in this match. And it happens many, many times. So I'm not going to try to <laughs> cover all that, but just, just know that Dusty's doing a lot of showmanship with, you know, really playing to the crowd once, you know, should I do it? Should I do it? You know, kind of stuff. And yeah. really taking his time with it and... Uh, but he does slip on a, a figure four, and Tully gets to the rope really quickly, breaks it really quickly. But Tully's selling his leg from all these hits and from the figure four, and he's on the outside. And that's where I, this is where I really noticed Bill Apter was kind of right there. 
And, you know, Tully's back in, but he decides to bail out of the ring again. But Dusty catches his foot. It's really funny. He tries to like, basically dive headfirst out of the ring to get away from Dusty. And Dusty catches him by, like, the foot and is dragging him back in. And Tully's hanging onto the ring skirt at this point. He's pulled it up and over. And he's trying to, like, you know, stop it. And so, again, same leg. They're going back to hitting it. Now Dusty's doing spinning toehold instead of doing knee drops. And the commentary's going, is he going to go for the figure four? You know, is he going to... Is he going to do something like that? He's, you know, he's still doing the spinning toes and the crowd starts chanting, break it, break it, break it. Like they want to see this. Another Anderson with, you know, pardon me, another four horsemen with broken bones. Right. Dusty Rose, the bone breaker. <laughs> so at this point, Dusty drags him over to the edge of the ring. So Dusty's on the outside. Tully's on the inside. So he, you know, slams the back of his knee or whatever on the edge of the apron. Then he brings him over to the post, gives him a couple of shots on the post with his legs. So he's really, you know, getting getting a lot of, a lot of work done on, on his legs, really beating him down. And so at that, that point, Dusty goes up to the top for this weak-looking, like, elbow forearm. He totally misses it. Like, he, you know, it, it looks like he's trying to do a bionic elbow, but the elbow doesn't touch, and the forearm barely touches. But what does happen is that Dusty sells that he's landed bad, and Dusty's blown out his leg, basically. So now Dusty's, like, on the ground, squirming in pain with his bad leg, which is funny because, of course, Tully's just, you know, for several minutes had his leg tortured. He did it to himself. He did it to himself, exactly. So now Tully's got the advantage, and now he's working the legs. So now, again, we've got a repeat series of moves. Tully's doing a lot of um, scissor locks on his legs and, you know, elbow drops and knee drops and stomping on his leg. And so he goes for some pin attempts and so, during that process. Well, what he's doing is he's, he's got the leg wrapped up, and then he's using leverage to sort of roll Dusty backwards. So while he's got him in a, some type of a leg lock, there's actual, like, two counts and stuff like that, you know, like as opposed to a flat body press for a pin. So he's working some of that stuff. So Dusty rakes the eyes and goes for an elbow drop but misses. And then Tully's uh, back to the leg and pin attempts. And Tully's using the tights in some of this and Baby Doll screaming out, like, you know, he's got the tights, he's got the tights. And so T Tommy Young finally catches him on that. And there's a big kick to Dusty's leg, which drops him. So he's standing and he kicks him in the back of the leg and he goes down. And now Tully puts the figure four in. And it's pretty funny. At one point, Dusty pushes Tommy Young off because Tommy Young's in there like, you're going to give up, you're going to give up. And Dusty gives him a shove, like, just get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> if I beat up the referee, I can't lose. Yeah. So he's still in a hold and he's trying to turn it. And oh, yeah, uh, he does finally turn. So Dusty Rhodes finally turns over after quite a long time. He turns over onto his stomach. And now Tully Blanchard's taking all the uh, all the punishment. But Tommy Young is still over at Dusty, facing Dusty, because that's who was, he was trying to see if he was going to submit. So J.J. Dillon very sneakily reaches in and grabs Tully's arm and pulls him to the rope so that Tully can immediately grab the ropes for the ring break. So that's, that's pretty great. And David Crockett is just... And, you know, indignant. <laughs> he's just so upset at, like, J.J. Dillon for, J.J., get out of there! You know, he's just super mad. It's great. So Tully stays on Dusty in the corner, does a whip, which Dusty reverses, and then Tully does this awesome springboard off the second rope. He does, like, a Randy Savage. He runs up the, you know, runs up the, uh, you know, up the ring post and does this spinning crossbody, but Dusty Rhodes just catches him flat out. <laughs> Gives him a backbreaker. And gets a two count, and then he does this standing belly to belly, like a sort of Magnum TA. He's gonna give him onto his best friend there. And but there's a JJ distraction, so Dusty goes to Tommy and takes a knee in the back to the outside. So he's over, kind of like get back here and cover him. And then he takes this knee to the you know the back, spills out of the ring. And so he at this point Dusty's trying to get at JJ once he gets back up. But Tully does this really cool thing where he come he kind of slides over on his knees and does this like sliding punch. <laughs> like you know he kind of runs, slides, and then punches Dusty from the inside of the ring to the outside. And at this point we hear five minutes remain called. And Dusty's back inside now. He's doing his jabs. And Tully Blanchard's crawling to the outside. He gets on the apron, but Dusty Rhodes suplexes him back in, and that's when we hear uh, 
we see J.J. Dillon's got Tully's foot, puts it on the rope to, like, you know, negate the three count. And so Dusty again after J.J. So Tully again tries this diving attack, but no, no, no. Dusty blocks that and gives him a shot. And it backfires, and here's where here the four minutes are announced. So we're starting to, like, pick up on something here. We're getting a little bit too much information from the ring announcer. So this Dusty's taking big shots in the corner. He's just out on his feet. It looks pretty good, actually. He slides down the corner, almost like he's hitting his head on the turnbuckles as he goes down. And there's a neckbreaker attempt, and he reverses that on Tully and gets Tully into, like, the backslide. So Tully's being pinned from a backslide, but he folds over, so he's being pinned, but his legs end up on the rope. The count is broken that way, and Tully goes for this big punch and misses, ends up getting an atomic drop just as he's being atomic dropped we hear the three minute mark counted out and Dusty does this thing where he waits for Tully to stand up and he does like a three point stance kind of like Hacksaw Jim Duggan and he charges through like a shoulder tackle but more so on Tully's leg and Tully does this big spill like he gets spun in the air like from this tackle it looks pretty good and Dusty Rhodes does this really weird sort of two handed spinning fist shot where he hits Tully in the face and gets a two count and that's where he hears there's two minutes left so Dusty's doing his elbows in the corner, and Tommy's in. So then Dusty moves Tully over a different corner, repeat it again, starts giving him the elbows. And again, Tommy Young's trying to break up this like these shots in the corner. So he gets to the third corner, and he's doing his punches. Tommy gets in there, and of course, oh, Dusty Rhodes knocks Tommy Young down. So Tommy Young's taken quite a bit of beating when you look at the different matches. He's already like, you know, he's already had he's already had some some hard times here, so to speak. So, because of this. After Tommy gets knocked down, JJ trips Dusty, and that allows Tully to get a two count. And then there's Dusty's at its count at one minute, and he's out after JJ, so he's he's running after JJ. And again, Tully tries that diving attack from the inside and gets punched in the face. It's, it didn't only work the first time. So back in, Dusty pinches, uh, he's punching and he's throwing elbows, and Tully gets a short advantage. But he, when he's doing a leapfrog, he's caught. And he gets put into a Boston Crab just as time expires. So Dusty Rhodes got him in the Boston Crab, and we hear the the bell go as time expires. So JJ's in, and Tully attacks Dusty from behind and gives him this really awesome pile driver. Like, he really nails him. It's really funny. JJ Dillon runs over to the table, and he steals the National Heavyweight Championship. And here, David Crowd go, wait a minute, JJ, give me that belt back. (laughs) (laughs) And they take off. They just run away with the belt. (laughs) And that was the last it was ever seen, thank goodness. So they announce there's a time of draw, and Tom Miller announces that Dusty's still a champ, and they're trying to help him get up to his feet. And I think it ends up being a bit of a storyline where where Tully kind of, like, keeps possession of this belt for a while. That's Illegal. Illegal. (laughs) So the next section is something that we have recorded for uh, a Crockett Cup episode that we've already recorded most of the material for. And it's the announcement of said Crockett Cup on this show. So we're not going to touch on that. So there's a couple of interviews related to it. It's quite boring. Uh, There's the Superdome manager being interviewed by Joel Watts, who's the son of Cowboy Bill Watts. And it's how the Superdome wants to, you know, host the event. And it's going to be this big tag team tournament, blah, blah, blah. So... That episode is going to cover that, so we won't bother. And then we get another weird <laughs> interview. Tony Schiavone is, in, is interviewing former Major League Baseball pitcher Gaylord Perry, who's basically kind of, let's say, hyping up the start of the Atlanta Braves broadcast or whatever it is. So I'm not even too sure. Didn't want to go look up his career and who he played for. And if he was retired at that point, I'm sure he was. He didn't look like he was still an active player. But you never know. I've seen some I've seen some pretty old-looking baseball players at times back then. So who knows? And that leaves us with one match left to send this show home. Okay. You would almost think that 
Dusty and Flair are going to mix it up based on all the promos. Like they're chirping back and forth, <laughs> yeah. you know, with uh, the Space Mountain and Baby Doll and all that stuff. And Dusty wants to keep himself in the picture. Of course. He, he always does. <laughs> and he had tons and tons of big main event matches against Flair. They were always finding a way to, yeah. to you know, first two of the first three Starcades, you know, like uh, 84, 85. Dusty Flair, you know, like they've got they got a great American Bash match. Like they have, there's no shortage of of Dusty and Flair, you know, big time matches. Right. They need a main event card called Cage Cade. <laughs> so right, but it's it the other they, however, succeeded in building great heat with Garvin. Like that was also yeah. really well booked. The interruption. I mean, we complained a little bit about him getting laid out by Flair. Yeah, being so caught off guard. Some clumsiness, but still. It's kind of like the the writers told the fans you want to see Garvin and Flair because they threw all the letters in the garbage, didn't read them anyway. The dream match. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think an important thing maybe to note in my, my perception anyway, and I could be wrong and somebody who's a JCP fan, Mid-Atlantic fan can correct me, but I, I don't think people came to blows on the set as often as maybe we think they did. You know, like I think that's part of the reason Ronnie's caught off guard is because they did come out and yell at each other quite often but they rarely actually threw punches because they were trying to get you in the arena, right? So like that was a that was a pretty rare thing we I think we saw there. Mm. By the way, JCP makes me think about my trips to Grand Forks, North Dakota, where we would go to the Columbia Mall <laughs> with JC Penny, and yeah, I would yeah. check to see if there was any wrestling—not wrestling, but the Master of the Universe figs. There you go, yeah. Make sure I didn't miss any good loot when we were down there. <laughs> Toys are so cheap. I had some great. Fun memories as a kid taking trips down with my family. JC Pennies, okay. So we've been kind of joking around calling this dream card because it, it, it certainly superstars on the superstation uh, doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. It's a uh, mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I like the idea of calling this dream card because, you know, they were supposed to be dream matches that the promoters are saying, write in your letters and we'll get all these people wrestling. So it really paid off for like the Road Warriors and, and the Koloffs. So I thought that was awesome. I really liked that match. And okay, here we go. Ronnie Garvin versus Ric Flair. So turns out Ronnie Garvin is the hometown boy. Yeah. And where are we? Ooh, that's a good Where question. is Cage Cade? Dream Cade? <laughs> Dream Cage? We'll look that up and get that on before we before we end a recording today. It could be at the Omni. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah. Okay, but so that, therefore that's Georgia. Yeah. Okay, so we know. I didn't necessarily. Atlanta, Georgia? Yes. Okay, so Ronnie Garvin's from Atlanta, Georgia. I would think so. He's Canadian and he's been living in the States for a long time, obviously. <laughs> it's one of the things that people had a good laugh at is if you look at his interviews over 86, he started almost everyone with a, I'm proud to be an American with his like French Canadian accent. <laughs> like he doesn't have a strong one, but he's got a okay, little bit of one. Okay, let's do it now. Tell yeah. me about Ronnie Garvin. Cause I, okay, well, I don't understand like how he's French Canadian and brothers of Jimmy Garvin. Is he kayfabe? What, give kayfabe. me that. He's, mm, I'm going to, we're going to look at this up, but he's his, like a uh, stepdad. Okay, so no yeah. blood relation. No, he like he married Jimmy's mom. Okay, so you just said French Canadian accent. Can you tell me? I guess what Quebec? Yeah, I think he's from. Um, yeah, he's from. He's from somewhere in Quebec. Yeah. Did he wrestle Dino Bravo and Rick Martel and these guys? Definitely. I think he was in Loot. Uh, I have never watched a lot of stuff from Loot or looked up a lot of their information, but I'm willing to bet that he started his career in Canada. And, and that's the French French word for wrestling. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, and uh, okay. you know, I, he basically was in. He was in several promotions, I think. Uh, his, his accent is actually 
almost yeah, indiscernible here. Exactly. He's, he doesn't have the you know he doesn't have a Rick Martel accent. He doesn't no. have like a Dino Bravo accent. I didn't even. He's got. A, but I think it's because he probably moved as a young adult to the states and lived there permanently. Whereas like Rick Martel and Dino Bravo kept you know kept going back to Montreal and Quebec and whatnot and living there and speaking French more probably. So it could be part of that. Right. But so you're seeing there's footage out there where he's got a thick French accent. Well, I don't know about that. I've never seen any. The only okay. footage I've ever seen of Ronnie Garvin is My you know from his, his Mrs. Yeah, is from his Jim Crockett days and stuff in the WWF when he's right. older and and stuff like that. Yeah, because so he doesn't really. He's in AWA a little bit. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's a bit more information about uh, Ronnie Garvin, rugged Ronnie Garvin. So then, uh, it's it's an interesting way to uh, frame <laughs> things that he's from I, Atlanta, I, I, Georgia. I think kind of an important thing here is that like. This run against Flair, to me, works a lot better than what comes down the road. So in 87, they kind of, out of nowhere, shift to Ronnie Garvin in the fall of 87 to be Ric Flair's big, you know, uh, opponent. And it's kind of, I don't know, his, his 87 and the end of 86 is in the greatest form. He's kind of mid-carder. Here he's kind of main event. So it's like, you know, the timing is off. Like, hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you look at it. Right. Well... They let Flair come in second, as they should. <laughs> and they have his music with Sarastrosa or or something like that. Uh, it's a word. It's not an English word. That's right. Yeah. So it's old composed music that, that he used forever. The music is famously used in the movie Space Odyssey 2001. So people often refer to Ric Flair's music as being called the Space, Space Odyssey, as if that's the name of the song. I, I was like, Space Mountain? Space Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be like this! <laughs> But it's certainly, you know, it's amazing music for wrestling, you know, for uh, entrances, for like the theater of it all. Mm. And especially when you think about the sort of mid 80s NWA Jim Crockett promotion style, dark arenas, lasers, lights, mm. smokes machines. It's, it's perfect. Well, the entrance does look good. Uh, they've got the silver curtain streamer instead of just black curtains, you know, yeah. to come through. And those look really cool. And like Corey said, there's, you know, smoke and he comes out. And this is an ugly robe, man. This is like <laughs> green and mustard yellow. It's yeah, he's, not. He wears this one a few times. I think I've seen him in, in some other pretty big matches wearing that one. I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, so it's not one of Flair's nicer looking robes, in my opinion, but never mind. And then they follow up on uh, the rock and roll Flair. Once he makes his entrance and takes off his robe, they stop. And play the Wanderer. Down the candle, and I'm never down. Yeah, that comes back. Okay. I skipped through most of the like chunks of this match just to get a flavor for it, you know, because I didn't have time. So two songs. Yeah. That's new. Yeah. Hoping that I had the tiger played twice in one match, but I've never seen somebody get two different songs played in the same yeah. you know, in one match. I, it, was a, it was a first for me, too, based on that <laughs> silly, sort of silly promo that they did with a pretty weak promo, really. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm just singing along, or not really. Um, anyway, uh, the match gets better as it goes on, but they spend way too much of the early going, you know, choking and slapping, or, well, not really choking. You see, Flair has got his chops used the knife edge, and then Garvin's chops are more like he slaps you on the chest. Yeah, with open his hand open, slap, his vicious pant, yeah. palm. Yeah, you know, so he's famous for torturing jobbers and just like really laying into them with his chops. palm on their yeah. pectoral on their chest. Right, you know, I didn't really know he was. Uh, that doesn't sound good. Anyway, so these two guys, there's way too much of this in the first six minutes. It's interrupted by the occasional 
headlock and punch, but mostly and and choke. But mostly, there's a lot of well. Thing one thing that was fun was when Garvin grabs Flair's nose and Crockett says he's got that honker. (laughs) 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 That was fun. I forget. Did anybody come out with Flair? Or is he solo? Like JJ wasn't with him or anything, no. was he? Yeah, no. He was solo. Yeah, like I think like we saw JJ. It's weird. Like I, I always think of him being the manager back in '85, but it almost seems like he's kind of off to the side with Tully and kind of half there. But I don't mm-hmm. know. So eventually, Garvin gets the upper hand of the slap chop exchange, and Flair pulls his, <laughs> you know, <laughs> slap chop. <laughs> it's like commercial for that yeah. device. The onions <laughs> right. making you cry, making me cry. That's right. That's right. The slap chop. That's right. Vince. There you go. And uh, so Vince, the shamwow, the slap chop. <laughs> Still not done. Now I gotta say that Garvin kind of looked cool coming into the ring, but his hairdo does not hold up. He's just yeah. a really dumb kind of mullet shaved at the temples, like, so that it's just, uh, once somebody musses his hair and, and he doesn't have a Jimmy Hart or a Jesse the Body to fix it, <laughs> then he looked dumb a lot of times in the match because of the way his right. hair got messed up. It was a, a pretty silly looking mullet. And uh, so we get, uh, you know, it's fun to watch Flair plead on his knees for mercy. That's always a good time, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, I start to get a little more interested in the match after we get a, a nice high backdrop where Flair catches there and lands on his side, of course, because he had a famous plane crash that broke his back. But I'm about to reference that. So many chops. Give me a break. A sleeper. Ronnie Garvin applies, but it's pretty sloppy. It's so sloppy that Flair is able to slip out of it, get behind him, and give him a back suplex. <laughs> right. And then he falls up by with a vertical suplex, so it's getting better. And he's got a nice Flair knee drop that we're uh, all famous with. He rolls through it. <laughs> knee pad up or down? Down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those, knee, those knee pads, they don't last. Shin, shin pads. <laughs> shin pads, that's right. They don't last 30 seconds. Ronnie Garvin... Punches Flair, headbutts him, gets a bit momentum back. Flair is famous for getting whipped into the corner, doing a 180 and running along the ring apron. But the first time it doesn't work. He kind of, he gets the 180, but it's like, uh, more like a 360 because he ends up back on his feet. A 180 be upside down. Well, I guess that's a start. All 360s start with a 180, smart guy. <laughs> okay. You don't get to 360 <laughs> unless you start with a 180. So, you know. If I don't tell you that you got the 180 and you look away, he's just back where he started. He's, he's uh he's upside down inside and upside or upright right side outside. up on the outside. There, <laughs> there we go. go. Yeah. But the first time it doesn't quite work. Yeah. So the first time he really only gets the 180 and gets a bit tangled up, stays in the ring instead of the run. And that's when I think Crockett quips, "Oh, that's got to put your back out. And I'm thinking, <laughs> try a plane crash. Because <laughs> poor, you know, yeah. Flair won't take bumps to the back, we know, because he broke his back in a plane crash early in his career. But that didn't stop him from being, some argue, the greatest wrestler of all time. He'll certainly He'll certainly argue it. But, uh, and you know, there's a lot of people. He actually, he'll put Hogan over and Hogan puts him over. So they, That's true. They're yeah. both pretty humble about it. Yeah. Yeah, which is classy. I like that. We get a front face lock from Garvin, which a front face lock really is like half of a suplex if you think about it. You've got <laughs> the right. guy. So Flair snakes his arm up around Garvin's neck and goes for the vertical suplex. Oh, but Garvin blocks it and gets Flair in a big vertical suplex. So now the match is picking up. We're seeing some wrestling. It's good. Yeah. Then they do the back bridge sequence, which one guy kind of locks his arms around the other guy's waist, and they have to use both of their legs to get the two of them off the, the mat. 
that. So, you know, that takes coordination, strength, and actual athletic right. ability to do that. So they, they pull that off. And now I'm enjoying the match better. We get a body, a side body press from Garvin. And then we get back to some punching, choking, and biting. We have a nice whip to the ropes where this time Flair does the 360. <laughs> <laughs> and he runs to the other post and comes up for, uh, instead of catching him and slamming him, he, yeah. he, he lets Flair come off and attack. But Flair catches up. Punch to the jaw instead. <laughs> or maybe the gut. I don't know. Pretty but common, yeah. yeah. It, it, get it's slammed gonna, off or get hit as he yeah. comes down. It's going to backfire one way or another. <laughs> That's right. Jim Ross famously, he said, I think it's even a, for me, it's a NWA, but he says, uh, he's like, he's tried that a million times, hasn't worked once. <laughs> yeah. For 20 years, he's been trying to pull that off. And, and I think, uh, you know, the king just cracks up, can't keep it in straight face on that one. Okay. So now the, the action's happening. It's an exciting match. And the and it's actually quite near the end here. We get our um, first ref bump, and Tommy Young gets knocked out of the ring. Poor old Tommy Young. He's taking more of a beating than almost any wrestler has tonight. Yeah. Garvin's behind Flair, so he pushes him against the rope and rolls him up, and the commentators count to four, so they are convinced that uh, Garvin should be the champion. He's won it fair and square. Right, right. And Garvin notices that Tommy Young is out of the ring. So after a while, he gets up to assist Tommy Young, but it's it's very clumsy. He ends up actually blocking Tommy Young That's from right. getting in and turning his back on Flair and, you know, preventing Tommy Young from getting into the <laughs> ring. Setting himself up for a nice big high knee from the back, and Tommy Young manages to get into the ring. Flair goes for the cover over Garvin. Now, Garvin isn't, like, completely damaged, knocked out, but he's confident that he'll get, that he's okay, because he's close enough to put his foot on the rope. That's right. So he doesn't try to kick out, he just puts his foot on the rope. But Tommy Young doesn't see that, he's on the other side, and he counts one, two, three... And Flair retains his NWA World Heavyweight Championship against Rugged Ronnie Garvin, the Frenchman from Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) So I didn't like it to start with, but it picked up and... And but the best part's yet to come, of course, <laughs> because uh, I'm really my affection for David Crockett is growing. I like his enthusiasm, this boyish. He's like a fan in, in a way that nobody else is. Like Mean Gene's not like that, you know. Mean yeah. Gene likes to be the arbiter of sometimes justice, but he doesn't get as emotional. His voice never cracks like David Crockett does. Yeah, he tries to crack jokes, but he's yeah. not. He's not like enjoying it the same way. Yeah, so he cracked me up, David Crockett, when he was angry with the Road Warriors and said, <laughs> "Road Warriors, you." Stink! You know, I, I like that was my like. Hey, this guy's you know got some potential. So here he's fucking really he's he's yelling. He's trying to convince yeah. them. You know, kind of like Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. First name basis. That's right. on the rope. Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon will do this sometimes, yeah, but yeah. it's a whole, whole different thing because you know. And like I said at the beginning of the show, they're so close. Like their table's right up against the apron, so he's literally right there. So he can just start yelling at the ref, and the ref can hear him. <laughs> and they're on camera too from the that's main right. shoot. Exactly. So he's really, you know, uh, so upset with the injustice of it yeah, all. Yeah, and I think Garvin's still laying there with his foot on the rope, like looking at the ref saying, like, look at my foot, look yeah, at my foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Flair can hear David Crockett protesting and trying to, so Flair comes over to David Crockett and he leans over, he's like, you can hear it on the mic, shut up! It's just the greatest, like, and we, oh boy, it's awesome. Like, this is more fun than anything that happened in the match. This Flair trying to shut up David Crockett. He grabs Crockett. his belt and yells, shut up! Yeah, yeah, oh, it's great. <laughs> So, a weak start, but fantastic finish (laughs) to uh, our dream card in what we think, Atlanta, Georgia, superstars on the Superstation. Yeah, so they throw us back to Magnum TA and Linda Curry, that useless waste of space. Everybody knows her. her, But, I mean, come on. Lady of the 80s. 
Yeah, so they come back, and uh, yeah, I, I forget exactly what they say. It's something along the lines of how great it's been, but they gotta go. And, you know, that's basically the end of the broadcast and the end of televised specials for Jim Crockett Promotions until the spring of 1988. So, you know, two years goes by, and I just wonder about all the wonderful content that they could have created with, like, maybe four of these specials a year, you know, four or five of these a year, just like they would do with Clash of the Champions or Science Man Event. And especially, you know, this is that such a juicy time. And, you know, we, we have our cards. We have our rentals that we can see. But, I mean, geez. You like play. like War Games, right? That was one of yeah. the... Well, that, that, era. Was at a, that was at a Great American Bash, 1987, the next, okay. uh, the next summer. So, but just, yeah, 86 is like... The peak for Jim Crockett, 87 is a great year for them too, but the, the, you know, they don't realize that the books are falling apart. Like the money's going out quicker than it's coming in, even though a huge amount of money's coming in, a massive amount of money's going out. So oh. it starts to fall apart for them. But point being is, is that this, the, ro- the roster, the talent, uh, the, you know, the, the rivalries, the feuds, there's so much great stuff that they could have put together for us on a few of these televised specials. And it's just, right. it's just such a shame that TBS and Jim Crockett promotions didn't, you know, figure it out. I don't know if... If, you know, maybe the ratings weren't good enough for this special. Maybe that's why they didn't come back to this right away. I don't know what it was. Class of the Champions was more of a tactical maneuver to sort of counter some of the stuff that Vince McMahon had been doing against them. This was more of a genuine just, hey, let's put something on, a special on. And for whatever reason, it doesn't continue. And it's a shame because it would have created, let's say, four to eight more you know, super cards <laughs> in, right. in the in the juiciest era of wrestling. Yeah, and then the history of pay-per-views is murky where the WWF would say, if you broadcast the competition, you can't, sh- I won't let you show mine. Then like most people yeah. cave to that. And it's it's well documented that there was a lot of, there was skullduggery. Bully, bullying going on by McMahon, a lot of dirty pool. Yeah, a lot yeah. of dirty tricks. And that combined with, I guess, uh, some mismanagement and missed opportunities, yep. you know, would ultimately bring arguably the best wrestling to its knees but but then again you know there's plenty of it wouldn't happen for quite some time yeah so we're gonna still gonna get to see some great things rick flair eventually is no longer the face and there's a phase where you know lex luger is it felt different though you know yes oh yeah because the company changed like it's i don't look at it this way but arn anderson will tell you you know he you know he left right around the time things changed over when he did his run with the wwf and he comes back late 89 and he looks at wcw ted turner's company as being the startup newbie company that doesn't know what they're doing because behind the scenes they don't have people in the right positions to like run the company Whereas when it was Jim Crocker Promotions, while they were lacking on some of the marketing and business savvy, they had everybody else in the right in the right spot. So I think that, you know, it's just unfortunate that like when Turner came in to sort of save the day, he put people in charge over a number of years that weren't good for those positions. They didn't know the wrestling business or they, you know, couldn't didn't do get a math talent. <laughs> they got to get yeah. Cole in there doing the books. <laughs> Corey's got a three year old genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, like I've heard that they had Ric Flair, Macho Man, Hulk Hogan playing cards and like, you know, how are you making money in the dressing room? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how do you make money when you've got every fucking superstar millionaire, you know, like on paint? Yeah, that's the more sort of the end of WCW there when, when Bischoff has his great run, but it also is the, it's, he, you know, the golden goose is cooked because like he, he gives all these mega contracts out. And all this control away and people have too much creative control and they don't have to wrestle very much to like get their money and they have too much say in what's going on. And so you have a, a glory period in WCW where they actually, of course, start outdoing the WWF and start out drawing them out, you know, and everything and they're with ahead their, of them in the yeah, ratings. With their NWO angle. Yeah, of course, yeah. And but, Goldberg, he played a big yeah, part in that. Definitely. 
but all these behind the scenes things again fall apart because they're just they can't didn't afford set, they can't afford all these contracts and they can't afford yeah. to have people like not showing up to work they got paid whether they worked or not so like they aye, just aye, a lot aye. of them started finding reasons not to work hmm. and and unfortunately a lot of people argue that Bischoff was a run, one trick pony and like you know his work in TNA later down the road is just like examples of like uh, that's just trying to run just an invasion angle again that's all he got it's, you know it's really all he had is this NWO invasion angle <laughs> but he didn't have Kevin Nash and Scott Hall at their prime and like you know and then the turn of the century in Hulk Hogan to like you know he's working with Tam and Eggers <laughs> like Bubba Ray Dudley is his big his, his big talent shock here so it's like it just isn't gonna work mm. so I you know I've listened to Eric Bischoff talk a lot and I you know I find him pretty interesting and he seems to be pretty knowledgeable and I have a soft spot for him from seeing him in the AWA when he was just a lowly announcer back in the you know holding the mic at <laughs> when mm-hmm. they needed him to and stuff like that but I mean he, he could be funny as well we always yeah. enjoyed that one promo oh <laughs> this hand scares even me. Yeah, yeah he's, he's like he's threatening. I forget who it is. It might be. I can't remember if it's the flare stuff or it's somebody else. But yeah, he goes. He, the first one he gives is the uh, this hand. Either like I'll knock you out or I'll kill you. And then he looks at his left hand. And he goes in this hand. This hand scares even me. <laughs> really good laugh at that. It was good, yeah. Yeah, so there were times where his character was on point. Oh, he was a tremendous performer. His on-screen performance was always great. He was super awesome at playing the roles that he played. But, you know, as far as, like, being the driving force behind creative, I mean, I don't think he, yeah, I don't think he was necessarily the best man for the job. Right. Nothing we need worry about. Well, anyway, that was a really fun diversion about NWA. So now, is there is there more stuff before we... What else before we go? Okay, well, we're going to do a fun what-if segment. So I'll, I'll let Jeff take the first crack at this, and then I'll come in with you know some of the th- stuff I've thought about. Oh, you got a plan to humiliate me, do you? No, not at all. This is easy stuff. This is easy. <laughs> You'll see. I'm not trying to catch you. This isn't trivia. This is just like right. general fun stuff. So my what-if for this episode is, what if the best talkers in the WWF in the 80s had the same kind of platform that they had in Jim Crockett promotion. So like, as much as we don't want to take away all the great moments and memories of the WWF, pretend you could split off into an alternate reality like these superhero universes. And, you know, who would you bring over from the WWF to get that Jim Crockett-like time where, like, you're not getting a one-minute or 30-second promo. You can talk for five minutes, you know, and and you're not scripted. Right. Well... Piper's the obvious first name that comes to mind, so why even th- overthink it? Piper, it feels like Piper had that kind of backbone of the program often, even the way that the WWF show was structured. You know, they had a Piper's pit, but sometimes the Piper's pit would bleed into the next match when they came back from commercials. Yeah. So, and they cut them off pretty quick. You know? Yeah. Like it was always like the Oscars or something. We gotta go. <laughs> yeah, and so it felt like Piper was the closest guy to get that treatment. Yes. That he could be in multiple sections. And then, and then you look at Saturday Night main event which we have covered exclusively he keeps making his appearances like he's got his match maybe or me or he's a manager you know yeah. accompanying or he's interrupting a wedding you know yeah. uh like they an interview it. before an interview yeah. after sometimes or yeah exactly another segment yeah. so i'd have to say without question yeah the first I, 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 yeah i'll just go with my instincts yeah so and the thing is too is that you know he was in Jim Crockett promotions, like right before he, you know, he was in Mid Atlantic, you know, before he went to uh, the WWF, and he was in Georgia, so he was on that set. <laughs> right. Okay. I have seen in my YouTube adventures. Yeah. I've seen clips of him in uh, like late seventies, early eighties clothes, and yep. I may, I probably even clicked on it. You know, and right. got some of his belligerence, you know, but uh, that <laughs> but was... I don't think he'd fully developed the the WWF Roddy Piper crazy character. Like he, he there was similarities for sure. Yeah, between in them, progress. But, yeah, yeah, in progress. But like in eighty five, yeah, in eighty five, Roddy Piper 
versus let's say an 83 Rowdy Piper there's a you know there's there's been a change or right. a, a progression let's say well well over the course of doing this podcast Piper I didn't realize just how I I was remembering more the 90s Piper which no disrespect to the great man I'm finding his 80s work of course yeah just so much more fun Oh, for sure. And I didn't close, realize yeah. how great his, his work in the 80s was. I mean, we loved him in the 90s and we cheered him on. Mm-hmm. And there are these, we've already covered like some fantastic memories of live wrestling with Piper. Yeah. And his run as IC champ was great. But it, I now see that, you know, having him right at the heart of everything, their ally, I'm talking WrestleMania, the original. And then, the, you know, the first three episodes of Saturday Night's Main Event, I don't think he was right. as prominent. And the last one we watched, or, or you're probably, you, you can correct the me now, what happened? The last one that we just posted was the boxing one, and he was only in it at the beginning. So he got his, okay, you know, so he got his promo with Bob. Right. He was out there for with Bob. Okay. But he didn't so get to come back multiple I'll, times. Yeah, I'll, I'll, right. They're building WrestleMania 2 with Piper, so it's a, it's it's not as, yeah, okay, so I'm on to something. He's not multiple appearances, yeah. like the Halloween or the That's wedding. That's right, yeah. And multiple where he shines, like That's Piper's right. Manor or whatever. Like, you know, they did just like three minutes of Piper, you know. Yeah. Here's a long answer to a short question. Yeah, there you go. Anybody else? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Uncle Elmer. I don't talk too good, but I sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not Uncle Elmer. <laughs> hmm. Well, talkers. Let's see. So he's a heel talker. Uh uh, let me think. Who would be fun in the... Uh, hmm. I'm trying to think of, of the faces at the time. And who... Well, why don't you tell me your thought? Okay, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. I think the best that we could do, <laughs> Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yeah. He was over there for a couple of reasons. One, he'd get to come out like two, three times a show <laughs> and, yes. and talk, and he's so great. Yeah. Two, the NWA, they fed off the villains. He'd be yeah. successful <laughs> in the WWE. Right. He was like, he, you know, he was guys were always losing. I mean, yeah. he's got a couple of titles here and there, but not many. You know, no. he was always on the losing end. He could have been managing champions all the time, yes. and I think that would have been so great. Again, not to take away, we want to keep the great stuff he did, but just if you could split them and you know have a duplicate yeah. Bobby Heenan, I, I just think that would be amazing. Piper and Heenan. I think your man. Ooh yeah, Macho Man Randy Savage <laughs> having that microphone and like that that platform, you know, and being able to like stand there and during somebody else's match with Elizabeth and like commentate over top of it. You know? Well, that's true. Uh, I mean, Savage was put on the mic because he's one of these performers yeah. that they they came to enjoy his personality and the fans wanted, or at least you know the bosses thought we're going to give you Macho Man the entire show on the on the stick. That's right, yeah. Now Macho Man didn't want to be there. You know he wanted to be in the <laughs> ring, and he found his way back into the ring. But you know, uh, without knowing the details, there were extended periods where Randy Savage was on commentary, which is a badge of honor, really. Yeah. There are certain guys who just, like, they tried Tank Abbott on guest commentary one time at a UFC match, oh, boy. and it didn't go well. No. no. So not everybody's, you know, suited to uh, be heard. That's right. I think yes. Je- I think Jesse could have had a lot of fun in this, pl- in this oh, platform. Oh, yeah, Jesse, yeah, for sure. Even yeah. just as an announcer, you know, like, even, yeah. but as a wrestler especially. Well, there's the best example of, like, Vince McMahon thinking, Jesse's so good, I can't have him only 10 minutes of program. I need, him yeah. on, I need him on commentary. Was also, yeah, he, you're right, because he was, I was about to say, well, it was because of his injuries and retiring, but he was actually commentating well before he retired, so he was already, you know, doing both, let's say, before they knew about his health issues. So okay, well, you can't you can't use the health issues as a reason he was commentating, because he was doing it before they knew about his health issues. I hadn't considered that, actually, I, you know, 
So maybe there's a bit of both. Yeah. And another great one, and we saw, but he's a, he's a Georgia guy, so he did get some of this platform, but maybe not quite to this extent. Jake the Snake. Yeah, he was, uh, he had his own style. He didn't shout, but he was well-spoken and very intimidating. <laughs> and he was my favorite for a while uh, at the time. Jake was my favorite, but that'll come up when we get to those episodes. That's right. Okay, we're almost wrapped up here. A few more pieces of business, and we'll uh, be on our way. Well, we finally had our issues over at Apple with the Apple Podcast sorted out. So if you prefer the Apple Podcast player, you can now find the Legendary Wrestling Obsession podcast on Apple. And uh, I'm surprised it took them... I don't know, three months, two months to sort this out uh, to, for me to be able to click a button. But hey, it finally worked out. Technology, what are you going to say? So that's a place where you can listen, but there's lots of places you can listen. Jeff, why don't you tell the listeners how they can keep up with us? Well, our home base is Podbean, so there is a specific address or URL you can use to find us, and that is legendarywrestlingobsession.podbean.com. One more time legendarywrestlingobsession.podbean.com. And should you feel so inclined to help us uh, pay for our microphones, then come on over to this website. It's the Patreon link. So, patreon.com forward slash legendarywrestlingobsession. So come on down to Patreon and check out the extra bonus content, the, the heaps of it. Some, something, something's there. <laughs> There's definitely the the second episode of Growing Up AWA is there. There's a few more pieces of business ready to go that we're going to be uploading there pretty soon. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it once they're up, but there's certainly going to be more extra content that you can enjoy over on Patreon. That's right. So thanks for sticking with us so far. Now, we are finding that we need to take on a little bit less. So we have perhaps bitten off more than we can chew <laughs> by doing three and a half hours con of content. Corey's got a kid and a career and a wife, and I've got... Anyway, so we've got to uh, get ourselves, you know... <laughs> I got a deck to paint. I'm going to paint the deck. Nice. And, but we are enjoying the format so we're just gonna each week we're gonna slow down yeah we're gonna we, we still want to put out a broadcast each week and that is our intention it will do the setup for the saturday night's main event or whatever it happens to be the dream card or cage gade um <laughs> and then the second the, the following the subsequent broad, broadcast the next week will be the actual television program or pay-per-view where we get into the details so set up and then the actual show itself. So it'll be much, it'll just take, you know, one week's content will now be two weeks content. But we are having a good time and we appreciate you listening to us so far. And we'll also, it's just been too much Corey staying up till 2 a.m. Uh, <laughs> editing while I, you know, just, uh, what do I do? I, who needs to know what I'm up to at 2 a.m.? Nobody wants to know that. But yeah, I mean, we do enjoy what we've been doing. So we don't want to, you know, we had different options, right? We could do two shows a month instead of four or we could do half the content per show and i think i like the amount of content in the show it's just that based on 
as Jeff mentioned, life commitments, can't quite pull it off every week. And really one of the things was we found was with us being late with our Saturday Night's Main Event 5 and going straight into this episode is that it really didn't leave any time to like do the research. So the setup, you know, looking at and figuring out what it is we're going to cover and then handing that list off to Jeff and myself and like giving us time to review this information. Like, so we want to make sure we're doing it right like we were for the first few episodes. And it just, it doesn't take much to sort of fall behind, which is what what has happened recently. And so to, to avoid that, we'll just, uh, you know, like slow down, like we said. We'll release each episode in two parts over two weeks. So you'll still get to hear something every week. And hopefully it'll still be just as good. So stick with us. And thank you for coming along for the ride so far. We'll see you next week on the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. Woo!